Daddy want a radio He tuned it to a country show I was rocking in the cradle To the crying of a steel guitar Mama used to sing to me She taught me that sweet harmony Now she worries cause she never thought I'd ever really take it this far Singing in the bars and chasing that neon rainbow Living that honky-tonk dream Was all I've ever wanted Is to pick his guitar and sound Just trying to be somebody Just want to be heard and sing I'm chasing that neon rainbow Living that honky-tonk dream Atlas and a coffee cup Five pickers and an old Dodge truck Heading down to Houston for a show on Saturday night Well, this overhead is killing me At the time I sing for free But when the crowd's into it, Lord, it makes the thing I'm doing seem right I'm Standing in the spotlight, chasing that neon Living that honky-tonk dream Cause all I've ever wanted Is to pick his guitar and sing Just trying to be somebody Just wanna be heard and sing I'm chasing that neon rainbow Living that honky-tonk dream Daddy's got a radio He wanted 30 years Said, son, I just know we're gonna hear you singing on it someday. Well, I made it up to music grow. Lord, it on the wheels turn slow. Still, I wouldn't trade a minute. I wouldn't have it any other way. Just show me to the stage. I'm chasing that neon rainbow. I'm a living that honky tonk dream. Cause all I Guitar and sing. It's time to be somebody. Just wanna be heard and sing. I'm chasing that neon rainbow, living that honky tonk dream. Oh, I'm chasing that neon rainbow, living that honky tonk dream. Alan Jackson. Chasing that neon rainbow from the 1990s. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Today is July 6th, 2017. This is being recorded live and broadcast live at 9.13 p.m. Pacific Time. A little bit of a late show, but I'm squeezing in what I can in between my World Series events. My World Series is almost over. I've got one event left. That's the main event. We're going to talk about the World Series again tonight, and I think tonight we're going to have Calwad on from Japan. Not 100% sure if I can reach him, but if you remember last week, Calwad, who has been our co-host on the show since uh, around December, he was on the show for a little bit from Malaysia during a monsoon, during an actual monsoon in actual Malaysia, <laughs> kind of waiting it out to finish so his family could go back to Lego, Legoland. <laughs> so uh, I believe he's in Japan today, 
and he has graciously agreed to come on this show despite being on this uh, family vacation to Asia. So if he's around, he will call in. I've let him know we've started. Otherwise, uh, I'll do this by myself or with Trader Ruski if he's around. Whatever we always make do here on this show. And usually we're on Wednesday, but this week we're on Thursday. I couldn't make it on Wednesday due to scheduling difficulties having to do with going back and forth to the World Series of Poker. So, before we get going, I want to tell you about a $100 free roll that we have thanks to Calwatt. If you remember last week, Calwatt's dog, Kumba, was... uh, The show was dedicated to Kumba. Kumba was uh, apparently uh, in very bad shape at one point with a tumor. And when you're 14 and a half with a tumor as a dog, your prognosis is not very good. But amazingly, the tumor was benign and Kumba will live on. So that show is dedicated to Kumba. And uh, as a thanks... For this dedication, Kumba, uh, not Kumba, <laughs> Calwatt, maybe Kumba too, who's always very generous to this show, both with his time and his money, gave $100 for a free roll in honor of Kumba. And it could have been last week, but I decided because the show was kind of at an off time and day last week, I decided it would be better if, and I think we didn't announce it till like very shortly beforehand. So I said, you know what, we're going to hold it till the following week, this week. So we can have it for a show which is announced in plenty of time and which is not on an off day or an off time. So we are using this $100 on a Thursday at 9.15 for a show that was not announced until about an hour and a half ago. (laughs) That worked out real well. That worked out real well, me holding back that $100. But nevertheless, that's what we're using tonight. $50 for first, $25 for second. 12 for third, 8 for fourth, 5 for fifth. 50, 25, 12, 8, and 5. I know there's been some other donations, but that's all we're doing this week. I I feel weird enough having a $100 free roll on such an off night. Because we have fewer players, we have fewer listeners. I, I just don't like dedicating that much of our resources, even if donated by other people, on nights where the audience is not as big. But... The honest truth is it was supposed to be used last week and I delayed it, so I'm not going to delay it another week. So you can thank Kumba and Kumba's uh, benign tuber for this $100 you will get with probably very little competition in the free roll, which takes place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find it near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. It does not require any play chips. Don't worry about it if you have no play chips. Just go register. If you have an account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, you can register. In fact, you may say, well, hey, it started two minutes ago. Right now it's 9.17 Pacific Time. It started at 9.15. That's true. But there's 25 minutes of late registration. You will start with a full stack all the way through 9.35 p.m. So, or sorry, not 9.35, 9.40. You have until 9.40 p.m. Pacific Time to get into that free roll with a full stack. There are some rules regarding whether you're eligible to win the free money. Go read those rules at PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. That's all lowercase without any spaces, symbols, or anything like that. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. The free roll is no limit hold'em, as it usually is. And 
if you don't know the rules or don't follow them and you finish in the top spot five spots, guess what? You don't get paid. You only get paid if you follow the rules. But they haven't changed in a while. I see disposition is saying must be hard to leave your dog in need. According to Calwatt, who actually was willing to cancel the trip and eat like $7,000, Kumbo was actually doing pretty well by the time the trip came up. So he actually felt okay about uh, leaving Kumbo home. And uh, so I think he's okay with that. If Kumbo really was in bad shape, he was actually going to stay home and cancel the trip. So I'm referring to the chat room. For those of you that don't know, we have a chat room on PokerFraudAlert.com. There's a big chat button near the top of the screen. Just click on it. You need a flash-enabled device. You need a PokerFraudAlert account that is validated and in good standing. And you can chat there during the live show. If you're not listening live, which most of you are not, then don't bother with that because there's nobody to talk to. You can go in and talk to yourself if you like, but I don't think it'll be that fun. I guess you can make two accounts on the PokerFraudAlert forum and talk to... Each other. Your two accounts can talk to each other if you're that lonely. You can call into the show. You can call into the show. I may not answer if I'm busy talking about something and don't feel like being interrupted, but I will answer at some point. That phone number is 775-372-8355, also known as 775-FRAUD55. The same number, 775-FRAUD55, 775-372-8355. But if you want to call a different number into the show, you can. There is the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary telephone which sits on top of Mount Charleston, which is near Las Vegas, about 45 minutes away by car. It's about 35 degrees cooler there in the summer than it is in Las Vegas. So nice place to go if you want to escape the heat of Vegas without having to travel too far. It's a mountain setting. It doesn't at all look like the desert over there. And I have an old 70s phone that sits on top of Mount Charleston in a little cabin and forwards to me wherever I go. You can't text that number, but you can call it, 702-430-1808. If you do want to text me, you can text the main number of the show, 775-372-8355, to text me at any time before, after, or during the show. However, I might read your texts on the air unless you ask me not to. So be careful what you say. But you can always ask me. You can always ask me if you want me to not reveal. Just say at the beginning of your text, don't read on air, and I won't read it on the air. But sometimes people say it at the end, and then I read the text, and I see at the end, don't read this on air. And it's, whoops, it's too late. And if I do that, I'm not going to go back and edit it. It's just going to stay. So let's see what text we've gotten tonight at 775-372-8355. And you can really text me anytime. Don't say, oh, I don't want to text him. It's 5 in the morning. You know, he may be mad. No, text me anytime. I'm serious. And I'll probably respond to you. Uh, a number of texts from people asking if the show is tonight, which I don't blame them because the show is uh, pretty erratic and schedule as it often is during the World Series. Someone asked, how does a brother get chipped to, for the free roll? Website says just text you. Well, you need to PM Belly Buster. He's the one doing it. If the website says that, I'll have to change it. But Belly Buster, who runs the No Fraud Online Poker Room, he is the one who gives you chips. So you have to make a forum account and PM him Belly Space Buster, and he will give you chips. 
Ask him nicely, though. If you, if you get too demanding or nasty with him, he may not. It's up to him. He actually runs that. It's affiliated with Poker Fraud Alert. It has a PokerFraudAlert.com domain. It's actually a NoFraud.PokerFraudAlert.com is the address of that poker room. But he runs it, and I let him run it the way he wants. It's actually on his computer. And he's in England, by the way. When you play on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, you're actually playing in England. Isn't that strange? I bet when you play on that thing during the free roll, you don't think about how you're playing in England, but you really are playing poker in England, even if you're sitting elsewhere. All right. I cannot forget to tell you about the Call to Listen line. The Call to Listen line is a wonderful invention. It's a wonderful thing. I've had more than one people, more than one person, not more than one people, more than one person come up to me during the World Series of Poker and tell me that they love the Call to Listen line. I've had people raving about it. I've had people raving about it to third parties. Someone actually came up to Matt the Rat who was wearing a Poker Fraud Alert hat, somehow thought I was him, which is strange because we don't look alike. I mean, we're, we're both tall and around the same age, but that's about where the similarities end. I guess we're both white, too. But anyway, someone came up to Matt the Rat and said, hey, are you Todd? And he said, no, no, no. <laughs> but anyway, the guy said, yeah, just tell Todd I love the call to listen line. So a lot of people love it. I think you will, too. If you call the call to listen line, this is the number you can call, and you can listen to the show at any time, from anywhere, using any phone that can dial in the world. It doesn't matter if it's a smartphone. It doesn't matter if it has a data plan. It doesn't use any data, even if you have a data plan. You can really use an old 70s rotary phone that your grandmother has. You really can. And it's a way to listen to the show. And there's no buffering. There's no requirement of a strong internet connection. There's no requirement for any internet connection. You don't need a computer. You just need a phone that can dial, and you'll hear the show playing loud and clear, and it'll never pause, never stop. When we're live, you can listen to it that way. And when we're not live, you can hear one of our streaming reruns where the computer just picks a random episode from our library of more than uh, 225 episodes we've done. And it plays it in full. And when that's done, it picks another one and plays it in full. It does this over and over again until we come back on live the following week. The Call to Listen line, which is located in a little shack in the town of Carroll, Iowa, The phone number is 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162. I call it myself. I really do. I I usually don't go back and listen to individual episodes. I usually don't, like, select an episode. We have a call here. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Usually I don't answer calls during the show. Usually I don't, but we're going to make an exception here. We're going to put someone on the show we haven't heard from in a little while who just called my cell phone. That was the ring you heard in the background. Yeah, you're on the radio. Oh, God. I can't <laughs> talk about what I want to talk about. Well, that's that's the way it goes. You can text me what you want to talk about, but yeah, you can, if it's something private. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. So- yeah, I saw, I saw this uh, this free show at MacArthur Park, this band called The Regret. Hello. Really good. I mean, I think the, the, the singer could be like my daughter, but... 
Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we have a Cal yeah, one they, on here. They gave a shout out to Rodney Bingenheimer because they play. That's how I found out about them. Yeah. Well, hang on, hang on, Ken. So we have a Cal one on here too. He just joined. For, are you in Japan right well, now? I'm Cal in Watt? MacArthur Park. It's really loud. I'm by like Sixth and Alvarado. Okay. It's very loud. And Cal, can you hear I me? I usually go to MacArthur Park for Langer's Deli, which is better than Brent's. But okay, hang on, Ken. Hang yeah. on, hang on. Uh, Cal, can you hear me? I can hear you. All right, beautiful. Ken, can you hear Cal Watt, the other guy on here? Yeah. Yeah, he's Who's that. Well, he's he didn't he's, vote for Trump, did he? He's I don't know who he voted for, but he's he's been on this. Uh, oh God, Trump sucks. He, listen, he's been on this I show. Know everybody says that. He's but been. I think Ken, the hang on, the hang on. Administration. Cal Watt I'll has answer been, your question. I'll answer your question. I did not vote for Trump, and I did not vote for Hillary. Oh, just like me. I voted but for I Jill Stein, and, and and Todd voted for Ev- Egg McMuffin. <laughs> okay, so so Ken uh, Ken is a fixture on this show over the years, and I know you can't talk about what's going on right now because it's it's a private matter. Oh, absolutely but, not. But uh, what what else? Can, what can you talk about? Are you still going to school? Uh, I'm taking online classes this summer. Um, once I get through a certain situation, I'm gonna I'm gonna need a second job, so I can't be going to in person classes. So yeah. So so what yeah. cl- what classes are you taking online right now? Uh, advertising in uh, media. I'm taking a, a public relations class and a history of Asian Americans. I see. All right, now, now, why did you pick these particular classes? I haven't taken them yet. So, so basically, you're just you're going through the the Pierce College book of classes they offer and seeing whatever you can take that you haven't taken. And well, no, not actually none of them are Pierce classes, but they are in the district. I think one's East LA. One's Valley, mm. and one I think is uh, West LA. I see. Yeah. So you're taking various uh, LA community college community college district classes, and, and yeah, you, like 900 units, 700 at Pierce, though maybe more. <laughs> so you have 900 units right now, and what, and what is the typical number of units a student would have when he graduates with an AA at that school? Why does it have to be a he? I think more females are college okay, students now fine. than guys. Be- like because, because you're a guy. Or engineering I, or something. Because you're a guy. That's why I said huh? he. Because you are a guy, unless you got oh, a sex change. Oh, true. Oh, wow. You, you can rebuttal everybody. <laughs> okay. So, so, so how many units would a um, normal student have who is just getting an AA and leaving? To get an associate of arts or an associate of science and assume you don't need remedial classes, me, no like elementary, like just college transferable classes, you need 60 units. So, so you Basically need- 30 units. The freshman year, thirty units a sophomore year. If you're going full time fall and spring, in fifteen minutes a semester, or maybe twelve units, they do a summer school class. Or okay, you so know. hang on, hang on. So, yeah. so you're saying that right now you have fifteen times the units that the typical student would need to get an AA degree. <laughs> I never thought about that, but I guess so. Wow. So that's that's your tax dollars at work, people in uh, Los Angeles. That's where your money's going. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I get a Florida governor's fee waiver. I don't have to pay the yeah, tuition. Yeah, Ken, me. yeah. Ken doesn't have to pay any tuition either. It's it's uh, a great use of resources. And uh, how many AA degrees? There's no, there's no unit cap. There's no unit cap. They were Jerry Brown actually proposed a unit cap, and it got defeated. That's funny. So, so. Now do you do you? How many AAs do you have at the at this time? Five or six. I don't even know. I don't even bother to get AAs anymore. I just take classes and, so, and so, yeah. So Ken doesn't even remember which degrees he has. Cal, what, do you know anybody? I know you, I have one in political science. Well, hang on. And I think I've one in, like, anthropology. Cal, what, have you ever met anybody in your life that doesn't know all the degrees they have? Uh, great I, question. I guess we can't hear him right now. But anyway. Uh, I, I've never known anybody who is, else. Where, who is that other guy? That's Cal Watt. He's actually in Japan right now. 
and uh, he's, a co- he's a co-host of this oh, show. Oh, did you hear about that local election of Liberal Democratic Party, which isn't even liberal, they're actually conservative. They lost a lot of seats with some new local party there. I, I couldn't believe that. I hate the LDP. They're not L or D. I don't know what that even is. Oh, yeah, the Liberal back. Democratic right. Party is the main political party in Japan. Oh, okay. okay. Sorry. Cal, are you there? I am here. So, so have you ever known anybody in your life that does not know every single degree they have? Does not know every single degree. No. No, can't. Well, Druff, I associate with a very low class of people. Most people have no degrees. Oh, I see. I see. Well, <laughs> it, it, not well, the people I know, but you well, know, yeah, maybe, can, maybe, maybe like in Turlock or uh, well, Ken, Ken like knows somewhere in West Morgantown, West Virginia. Ken, but, Ken has more. He has more degrees than anyone I know. They may not be advanced degrees, but they are degrees. So I give him credit well, for let that. Let me tell you something, and this is no no offense to Ken, but a, a degree doesn't necessarily mean that you're smart or educated. Uh-oh. A degree, a degree well, means... Well, it doesn't mean that, that I'm educated. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Not necessarily. A degree <laughs> means that you gave a lot of money to a university, for sure. <laughs> no, you have to pass the classes. You have to do the work. Obviously, you I have, have to, to write do the that. papers. Oh, I have to take the tests. I have to do the work. How, and I don't however, cheat. Wait, hold on. Let somebody write my paper. Hold on, Ken. Let let him speak. Let him speak. What I'm saying is that there are a lot of some of the smartest people I know are self-educated because instead of going through, you know, a curriculum that someone else has set up, they're intellectually curious enough that they go out and learn the stuff on their own. And, you know, I may be I I may be uh, somewhat biased, but I am entirely self-educated when it comes to computer programming. Something I've been doing for you know thirty years. So, you know. oh wow, yeah. So so Ken, uh, yeah, I so, can't pro- I can't even toggle. So you know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Ken actually lost a job one time because he couldn't toggle. He didn't understand what toggling was. I didn't know what it was. They kept trying to show me. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Ken, uh, what now? Um, have you did you used to, when you were teenagers? You used to work at software, etc. No. I have owned my own company okay. since I was 14. Oh, see, I didn't even know that. Wow. Really? Yeah. So, so, so and this guy's initials aren't JW. Never mind. So, so, no, the way that I got started out, Druff, was actually designing typefaces. Really? Um, you, you, might, you, you might remember this, but back in the day, um, there was no laser printer. There were dot matrix printers. Yes. Right? Oh, I remember that. And, they were annoying. The, way, the right. sound they made. Right. <laughs> my, I hated that. And my father owned a... Um, basically business-to-business consulting agency, and they had those huge typography books where you could flip through the books of type to pick pick the different typefaces. This is like way before there was any kind of, you know, desktop publishing or anything like that. And I I got my start doing this stuff, designing digital typefaces that were designed for dot matrix printers to make them look really good. On the limited but did you know, like, did you know Kevin Mitnick and Kevin Paulson? No, he was he was in. Uh, I know well, who they are, but I didn't know them. Yeah, he, also he was in a different area of the country. He's in uh, New York. Okay, and, okay. but I thought they were internationally known to, for what. No, and I started learning how to program because I wanted a way to package up this typeface or these typefaces that I made so that it wouldn't separate the the documentation from the typeface. Because it, back in the day, you know, it's 14, Druff, and this stuff was shareware, right? You remember what that yeah, was, Yeah, yeah, right? so this is like yeah. around uh, 1984, right? But what There's I, a lot of jargon. I'm, not, I'm starting to get lost. I, I, basically, no you offense, put it out. Just... So shareware is basically you put it out there and you say, please pay me. But there's nothing enforcing 
that they get paid. So you t- you encourage people to share it, and you ask them, please pay. But it's purely honor system based. You, you know what the right? oh yeah the free rider what I had the free seen, rider problem. What I had, so what I had seen is that a lot of the other typefaces that were being made were just distributed on their own, separate from the documentation. So even if people wanted to pay, they wouldn't know that they should or how to. So I started teaching myself how to program in order to create like a bundle so that it was all together. And that's kind of how the whole thing started. Oh. You know? uh, that's an interesting history. But are you well-rounded? Yeah, yeah, he is. He's, uh, he's done a lot, I, a lot of good my work. Major okay. in, my, major, my major in college was photojournalism. Oh, yeah, wow. Well, I'm, see, I'm learning all these new things, too. So, uh, Take my picture, Gary Leonard. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, so listen, uh, That's an inside so, joke. So Ken, have you, uh, have you dated any girls at all in the year 2017? Uh, like in, in, in any way? No, not this year. Like, I, like, I've had a lot of things on my mind. and Well, I know recently there's some things I, I, going on, but, but like, have you done anything like with any I girls mean, at all I, in, in 2017? I almost was going to ask out a girl literally like two hours ago and then she went into another bathroom line it was like oh, then, oh well was this, was this at the, uh, follow her kind of, hold on this was at, uh, kind of was this at uh, macarthur park yeah macarthur park now okay i'm now, actually at the park right now well, hold on i want to ask you about this by so, the way there, there's people that live at this park believe it or not yeah but I anyway know, i know but ken let me ask you about this girl how old was she the girl yeah. i didn't ask her that no but how old did she look how old did she look approximately be 27 okay so now since you're 47 uh what made you think that oh, a girl man. that age would would want to go out with you well you have to have a lot of money well, but so you, but I you don't that, so, so, that, you know but so but what, what did you think like you, you were going to ask you were thinking of asking wait, wait, her out can you just show her, hey ken can you just forget about the money can you just show her all degrees and then she'll drop her panties that's true maybe you should use the degrees to your uh, advantage <laughs> I I don't know. I, I I didn't even think about. I don't even think about college really, unless I'm doing it. It's weird. It's like I compartmentalize everything in my life. Okay, okay, but Ken, I'm just I'm just wondering. Like, was there something you noticed about her that? Because there are girls who like older guys. There are there are girls who are 27 that will date guys who are 47, even if they don't have money. So, was there something about her you noticed that huh. you thought that she may have said yes if you asked her out? No, we were just the talking about just throw. casual stuff because I was talking about the music. It says, "Oh, let's go to the bathroom. Uh, I gotta go." And then, then she just oh, ran off okay. before was, I could, you know. She was probably trying to get away from you. And I really thought about running after her, but I just, I just felt, you know, <laughs> no, if no, she no. really wanted to be there, she would have stayed. So no. I kind of, I listened Ken, to my, Ken. my, my, my super ego. Ken, she was trying to escape. Is that sort of sounds? If you like... ran after her, that gets into stalker territory. She said, "No, no." no. I'm accused of being a stalker. That's not a good right. accusation. Right. Exactly. Someone I knew once called me a stalker, and I, I didn't like that. It wasn't even true, but well, yeah. I, I think what you should Just do. Accused of it, even if, I, I think what you should do is you have to start focusing on the women who are a little bit older. Now, if you don't want ones your own age, that's fine. No, but, no you get like thirties or something. At least go over thirty. Otherwise, it's going to get tougher I'll, and tougher. I'll think about. I'll. I'll, I'll I, I, have to, I have stuff in common with her, and you know, it's just. I'm not just going to like, oh, she's filling a niche, so I'm just going to be with her. You know, it it, it has to be. I'm just saying your, 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 chan- interest, your chances lo- will be local. higher. Your chances will be higher if she's closer to your age. It doesn't have to be 47. Just you know, it's closer to your age than 27. We'll see. Okay. All I'm saying, drop, is that if a girl runs away, you don't chase her. She didn't no, run no, away. She started chasing her. Oh, I'm going to go to these other bathrooms, you know, because they, there's someone that they announced the thing. Oh, there's other bathrooms behind the this. So then. 
she wanted like a few other people, you know, because there's a line. Well, like, no, but I, I agree with Cal. Watch, so. she was probably done talking to you and, and was getting away, even if it wasn't like a panic getting yeah. away. She was still uh, exiting the situation. No, it wasn't a panic. No, I, I got, no, but she, I got along with. Her. No, I don't no, know but, her she, name, but she was, but, she was know, exiting I mean, the situation. See, in fact, in, in cases where I have pursued a girl, it's because I noticed that uh, they seem to just be having an interest to continuously talking to me, you know, they're not trying to get away. In fact, they're, yeah. They're, and, if they, I, and if I saw that, I would have, I would have, fact, I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, I'm not great at social cues, but I would have gotten that. In fact, like even if they, even if they like, it could easily have an excuse to leave or even if it's inconvenient for them to stay and they're still staying. Then I think, okay, there's a reason for that. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh yeah. 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 We've talked about that. Yeah. All right. So anyway, you know, uh, I'm sure even the tuna girl was like that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Ken. Uh, th- thank you for calling tonight. You can text me about your concerns. I wish I could talk stuff. about poker, but I don't know anything that, about that's, it that's except right. uh, we'll, we'll do that ourselves. So, Ken, th- thank you for calling, and uh, you can text me about. Can the, I ask you a quick poker question? No, you, you can text me about the other concerns, and uh, no, well, the poker question. I, I don't want to do a poker question. You can text me about your other concerns. You don't want to do a poker question no, on I, a poker show? Not, not from someone who knows nothing about it. <laughs> okay, goodbye. You can text me, Ken. It goodbye. was just a yes. All it was all right. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> no, it's it's going to be something stupid. I don't want to do it. It's going to be something stupid. Right. Oh, is Phil is Phil no, Ivy at the World I, Series? It's going to be something like that. Some men whip out a big wallet of bills. Can you hear me? Uh, it's it's oh. kind of hit and miss with your connection here. Uh, is that better? A little bit. Okay. Well, okay. So, some men whip out their wallet and show a bunch of bills, right? Yeah. Get the younger women interested, and you, you know you were saying that uh, some women like dating older men. Yeah, if they don't have money, usually the younger women are just ugly. <laughs> well, sometimes but there are there are some. In fact, it's a growing number these days. There are some women, some younger women, who are so frustrated by the awfulness of, of young guys and their immaturity and everything else that there are right. some that actually prefer older men for that reason. And there's also ones that. Older- that, uh, Older men, yes, but not twenty years. No, it can even be up like up to twenty years. Like once it gets past twenty, then it starts no. to become a gold digger territory. But no, that, then we then it's either gold digger or daddy issues. No, I was going to say some, well, no. Sometimes there are the daddy issues. That's true, but yep. uh, but nevertheless, yep. they they still legitimately like uh, older men. Yep. So, right. Uh, but what I was going to say was, so Ken doesn't have a whole bunch of money to whip out, probably because he gave it all to the universities for his degrees, right? <laughs> Well, actually, so he did. He should just carry around his portfolio of degrees, and you just casually, you know, wave them around, <laughs> see if it attracts anything. You know, you know it, what's funny is that maybe, I, maybe there'll be a degree whore or something. What's you know? funny is that's actually not that bad of an idea, not necessarily to bring around the degrees, yeah. but actually to, to kind of mention there. You know, I have six college degrees. Like, oh wow, an educated man. And then they'll 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 mistake him for someone who who is very uh, you know driven and 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 likely to be very successful. And by the time they find out the truth, it's too late. Then he's had sex with them, and it's all done. Yeah. So, like anything else, you you lead with your best foot, right? Right. right. If you it's, got a lot of money, you lead with that. It's, if you're it's, handsome, you lead with that. If you're educated, lead with that. And it sounds like uh, the six degrees might be Ken's best foot. Yeah, it's it's right? kind of like a, a steak at the supermarket. They put the best side up with the plastic, and then the other side is where all the gristle and the fat and and the discolorations are. Are so, you calling Ken? Fat, grizzle, and discoloration. I'm saying he has that, and then he, he you know, <laughs> but then the, the good side of the steak for him is uh, is the degrees. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm just picturing this miserable steak with fat everywhere. This is nasty. <laughs> All right. So so anyway, um, 
we uh, uh, Real Talk is asking in chat. I'm looking at the chat, which I usually don't, but I, I'm looking at it now. Uh, Real Talk is asking, why has Todd never had Mark Klang check back in? That's a fine question. Mm. We will do that soon yeah. because Mark Klang, uh, you know, we interact on Twitter sometimes. We're on very good terms. And, uh, you know, he would definitely come back on here. So uh, uh, we, we can have him check back in here at some point. What, what was so weird, I'll, I'll tell you a little Mark Klang story. Not a huge story, but I saw him tweeting like a thanks to T-Mobile because – T-Mobile, I guess, has something that's called like T-Mobile Tuesdays, where if you're a T-Mobile subscriber, you get discounts on pizza and other things. I, I don't really fully understand it. Anyway, he's thanking them for this, and I'm going, this, this guy was betting like $30,000 a hand in a home blackjack game. Why is he thanking T-Mobile for saving him like $2 on pizza? <laughs> he's like the last person I expected to care about something like that. He seems like the type who'd say, I want a pizza, I don't care what it costs. I, I, I don't care anything. I, ju- I just want to order it now. Charge me whatever it is, and I'll pay it, and I'll give you like a $20 tip. That's how I picture Mark Klang. Well, maybe he, he likes the VIP treatment. You know, Maybe that's why he goes to those home games, too. He likes being treated like the VIP. Mm. And granted, it's only 2 bucks, but it's you know a little bit of a VIP perk, I guess. I don't know. I, I think it could be the opposite. They could see him as like a cheap guy who's uh, only ordering the pizza <laughs> because it's a, it's a discount. So it, It's kind of like, I don't, have you ever used Priceline before for hotels? No. See, I, I used to. I remember, I remember trying to use it, and it was just so annoying. I gave up. It, it is pretty bad. And I, I used it for a little while in the mid-2000s, and then I gave up on it. But uh, some, one of the reasons I gave up on it was because I noticed that the hotels treated me like crap because they knew I was not a potential repeat business customer. They knew I was only there because Priceline directed me there and that I was getting some yeah. bargain price that they accepted you- from Priceline. You were customer detrius. Yeah, you so, know, you were the you were the the Dan Druff, like the the Druff, the flakes that fall out. You know, <laughs> yeah, they they were For real. Yeah, I know, and they, and they say so you get the the worst room in the place. You couldn't complain. You have the, yep. you, there's nothing you can say or do, and it's not even like you can withhold payment. You've already paid. You've prepaid through pr- Priceline. You have no power over yep. any situation. Uh, they don't care about keeping you happy because they know you're never going to come back at the regular prices. So they treat you the worst of any customer. I'm not just talking about, like, if I had a complaint. I could just tell from the start and with the rooms they'd assign me to, and I, I said, you yep. know, this, this sucks. I'm not going to use this. So, anyway. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's get on here. I, I know we took a little time so, at the beginning of the show with... Uh, so, Druff, I don't, I don't have too long. Okay. Um, because I'm at... Uh, yeah, Brendan's not going to believe it, but I'm at Universal Studios in Singapore. <laughs> and... Yeah, he's going to be like, they have that there? No, I'm, I'm wondering, maybe you should have just stayed, uh, you should have just gone to California. You could have gone to Universal Studios, you could have gone to Legoland, you could have done all this within like a 100-mile radius in California. I, I know, but you got to understand, we got kids with us, right? Believe me, these are not the stops I would be making if we didn't have kids. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, whatever, we got to do some stuff to, to keep them happy, too. Um yeah. But listen, let me let me tell you. Real, is it okay if I tell uh, the story real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I almost ended up in jail. Is oh, right? whoa, whoa! I didn't even know about this. Go on. Yes, by all means. Yeah. So in Singapore and and in Malaysia, you drive on the other side of the road, right? Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, I've done that in a number of other countries. So I was the designated driver here, or one of them. the The problem was that we're we're trying to drive from one place to this restaurant that we're meeting everyone at and the gps in the car like it's just just 
you would think Toyota would do better, but it's just this broken piece of shit, and we could not find the address, right? So we, we punched in something kind of close to it, but it really wasn't right. So then we started using my uh, iPhone, right, just Google Maps to navigate there. Yeah. And the problem was that it, we had used the phone all day, so it was on low battery. And I had even switched, like, battery cases to charge it. Like, I'd stolen the battery from my kid's phone and charged it up. But we were still on low battery. And what it does is it switches it to low power mode. And that includes no turn-by-turn direction. Oh, I hate low power mode. I I despise low power mode. Right. So picture me. I'm driving in this city, uh, Johor Bahru, that I don't know. Driving on the other side of the road. I got the, the whole family in the car. And I'm holding in my left hand, I'm holding this GPS that is not giving me turn-by-turn directions. And then I've got the car GPS that is telling me to go the wrong way. And it's just this, and we're in a city that's kind of like, um, kind of like downtown LA. It's very confusing, like lots of exits and turns everywhere and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we're going down it and I end up missing this turn that we should have taken. Okay. And normally, that wouldn't be a big problem, except that, and I was going to take the next left, but it was a one-way street going the other way. So I just went straight. Well, then I had I was surrounded by all these motorcycles that were, like, yelling at me, these mopedists. I'm looking yeah. around. I'm like, I don't even know what the hell's going on. And then I see a sign that says, to Singapore, right? So apparently, because we missed that one turn, we ended up in the moped-only immigration line from malaysia to singapore Uh right and we have no passports nothing like that and i am driving past and i see this policeman on the side of the road that he's waving me to like pull over and there's nowhere for me to pull over so i just kind of keep going and we're at the entrance to singapore and and let me tell you drop like singapore and malaysia and any country really but especially these they don't fuck around on their borders at all so they got people out in front that, like, stop our car. And are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Go on. Okay. I got people out in front that stop our car, and we start getting interrogated by the police. And he, he's talking in Malay. My wife, she's Chinese, but she switches over to, like, uh, you know, speaking in Malay. Like, it was pretty impressive. She flipped her switch, right? <laughs> and... They're talking about, oh, the, the guy was just like, oh, why you don't, don't listen to me? This is very serious. You don't have your passport. Okay, drive over here, and then I'll tell you what's going to happen next, right? So they blocked off this one-way. What the hell is that? That's a siren for you. It's, it's in honor of your story. Oh, okay, okay. okay go on, so go on. they blocked off the road, the, the moped road. They blocked it off. There were like 50 mopedists waiting for us. We turned around, went up the one-way road, and then pulled over. And I'm just sitting here thinking, oh, fuck. Like, I'm thinking Midnight Express. You know what I mean? Um, did you ever see that movie? No. Where the guy, the guy got locked up in prison for no, I've, smuggling I've heard, drugs? No, I've heard of it, but I didn't see it. And I, I actually, I've actually met the guy. He comes up uh, and plays in our poker game sometime, one of the guys who's in there. Anyway, um, so I'm just sitting there, you know, waiting for them to come over and tell us what's going to happen. And then he starts asking for us for our passports. And I'm like, no, we, we don't have them with us. And he's just like, oh, you cannot travel around the country without your passport. You can't do that. If I came to your country, you know, I would not be able to do that. And I'm just sitting here thinking, oh, fuck. You know what I mean? Like, here we are. We're trying to make, like, an illegal border crossing. We ignored the directions of the cops. We don't have our passports. I'm like, we're fucked. 
then the guy starts saying, oh, I just want to go pray, right? It's mostly Muslim <laughs> countries, so it, in the evenings they go pray. He's like, oh, I don't want to deal with all the work. I just want to go pray. I just want to go pray. Long story short, we ended up completely getting off. They actually helped us to get out of there, but it was a little scary for a little bit. And my wife was telling me that when he started saying, I don't want to deal with this, I just want to go pray, he was kind of like tacitly asking for money. You know? oh. Like, I don't want to deal with this, just pay me some money and this will all go away. But I, I believe me, I bribed police officers and yeah, I bribed police officers in foreign countries before, but I don't do it unless they ask. Right. Because you can get in more... You can get in more trouble by just offering them money because some of them will get offended, you know? So yeah. you kind of have to really, it's got to really be clear. But probably we were detained for a good half hour, hour. And honestly, I thought I was going to end up in jail somewhere. I really did. <laughs> I really did. Yeah, That's I, it. I, you know, I would never, I'm, I'm glad it worked out. I would never uh, bribe someone either unless they ask exactly because then you never know, you know, they're yeah. going to say, well, you're trying to bribe me here? Okay, now you're really in trouble. Like that's, I, I, yeah. Exactly. I've, I've never actually had to do it before, though I do remember this is much less severe. But uh, when our family was in Thailand in uh, 1988 and uh, my dad parked the car somewhere and he went into some store or something. So he just left my mom and, and the three kids in the car. And then someone knocks on our window and we roll it down and it's some Thai woman who supposedly I think she was some kind of parking enforcement, some kind of cop there. But she kept saying. Oh, pay money for parking. Pay money for parking. It kept saying over and over. So my, my mom my mom was afraid that she's uh, like shaking us down for a lot of money. She, we, she kept trying to explain to her. She kept saying, no, 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 we're, we're just stopping. My husband, he, he's, he's in the store. And the woman said, pay money for parking. Pay money for parking. That's all she kept saying. So so, so finally, yeah, that's all she kept say back. So finally, my mom just said, well, okay, how much? She says, uh, five baht. Well, five baht was like uh, 20 cents at the time. So, yeah, so, so she took out the five yeah. bots and she really thought it was going to be like some kind of, uh, you know, like $10 or something like, you know, equivalent of that. But uh, she, when she heard it was five right. bots to 20 cents, she gave, <laughs> she was okay to pay money yeah. for parking. The, but we never yeah, had just to actually, cough, Just cough it up. Yeah, we never actually had to – I've never seen it where either I've had to bribe any law enforcement in a foreign country – uh, or even anyone in my family, I've never seen having to do that. But I, you know, I can understand how sometimes it's necessary. And if if I'm in a place where that would be the best solution, I would do it. But like like you, I would never just offer it. So so. But your wife, yeah. she, she said she got the idea. That's what she's trying to say. Was, was she considering offering yeah. it, or did what, what did, she, did she just figure like he's going to ask for it at some point? It, it. I think it's one of those things that she would have known when it was the right time to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she would have just whipped out some money and given it to him if it was the right time. I was just sitting there and I'm like, you know, like I said, I've done it before. I've done it in Mexico and some countries in Central America where, you know, they're basically saying, oh, they'll say like, oh, you can pay the fine now. Yeah. Yeah. When they say when they say you can pay the fine now, that's okay. Like, you know, but I wasn't going to do it just because the guy was like, oh, I want to go pray. You know, I don't want (laughs) to deal with all the work, you know? Yeah. Um. And the, the funny thing, Gruff, is so my name, Kalwat, I think I've told you this before, but Kalwat means like proximity or um, unallowed closeness, right? Yeah. So there actually are Kalwat laws in Malaysia where like an unmarried man and woman can't be together. Oh. And it's it's sort of like the U.S. in that um, the, the big cities like KL are very modern. You know, like uh, the Muslim women won't have headscarves all the time and all that. But in some of the more rural areas, it's a lot more, kind of like the Bible Belt in the U.S., it's a lot more religious. 
And there was one time when I was driving one of my wife's friends around in the car, just me and her, and I realized that I could, we could get in trouble oh. because we were. she's not married to me. There's no relation. And if for some reason we were pulled over by the Kalwat police, we could actually get in trouble. Her oh. more than me. Like, I really wouldn't get in trouble. Now, could you just pretend you're married? married? Could you just say you're married? Well, it, we could, but we'd have to present some proof, I guess. Yeah, I guess. You know? Though I, but they, I, tend to, they tend to leave foreigners alone for the most part, so... It would it would be more applicable if like there were two natives that were in the car that were not related. Now, does it bother? But I don't want to paint it like the whole country is like that because. Go ahead. Does it bother any of them over there that uh, that, you're, that you're white and your wife is uh, is Asian? No, no, not at all. Which is kind of interesting. Like they they look at me, and they I think I I'm kind of like an orangutan in a zoo. You know what I mean? They're kind of like, oh, that's really cool. We don't see those very often. You know, well, I guess with you, with you being no, very, everyone, I was gonna say with you being tall, it's probably very unusual over there just for that. Uh, yeah, probably way taller than everybody right. around around there. No, everyone is super friendly, super nice, and yeah, honestly, I felt every time I've been here, I feel safer here than in most cities in the U.S. So I don't want to paint it like it's you know some crazy place. It really isn't. Yeah, I was in a you know I was in a, a small town in Thailand once, and the the kids and this is a place where tourists don't usually go. The kids were so fascinated mm-hmm. by me; they they were like jumping up because right. they they saw I was like a giant because they never saw anyone my height right. before, and it was weird. Yeah, so I mean, if you're if you're a you know halfway decent looking white guy, and you go anywhere in Asia and you can't get laid, just give up. Like it's all over. <laughs> you know, no, really, because there there is that kind of the same way. You know, like people in the U.S. will get like exotic, you know, Japanese or uh, Chinese tattoos or whatever. There's that sense of it being different or unique. And so that's an attraction. And that's that's everywhere all over the world. Right. Yeah. Um, but especially true because, yeah, I mean, the whole white colonial thing, you're seen as uh, higher class, you know, rightly or wrongly. Um, so, Ken, maybe Ken, we should ship him off to Asia somewhere. That's right. Maybe that's where he should go. He could show all the six degrees, impress them, you know, find a girl, bring her home, you know? Yeah. By the way, I got this uh, this text message from someone in the 979 area code who listens a lot. He said, great hosting job. So I thought, oh, that's nice. He's, he's complimenting me that I sound good Uh-oh. so far. And he says, no updates early in the day, so missed free roll. Fail host. Uh-oh. So he's calling me a fail host, and the great hosting job is really uh, – being him, he's being sarcastic there. He's not even complimenting mm. me. So that's that's kind of sad. Well, look, man, we're working hard. How many how many calls do you have from a host from Singapore and you from California trying to make this show happen? Yeah, I know. Give us, some, and, give us a little bit of credit. And then I, I do it during the World Series. I haven't missed. Oh, actually, I did miss a week. But that's not the point. I, I've I've missed only one week. It's during the World Series. I find a way to work it in. You know, with with all the traveling. Maybe you're charging too much money. Yeah, I should you lower think the you're price. Charging too much money. I should lower the price. Or, or yeah, I should yeah. uh, may, maybe what I should do is I should, because this site is too heavy with sponsors. Maybe I should cut out some of the sponsors for as, as an act of contrition. It's really hard to hear the show through all the sponsors. Yes, and uh, actually, most of the sponsors on the show are you playing sponsors for other shows. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. I've advertised <laughs> for so many sponsors that don't even know they're on here. Yeah, I remember Run It Once got like six sponsors. Yeah, they I mean, got six spots one time. Yeah, I'm going to have to start sending bills to these people. Okay, so here's the, here's the agenda. We're actually just on the agenda here. And Cal, whenever you need yeah, to go, I'm gonna have fine. to go. I'm gonna have to go because I'm gonna rejoin my family. If there's a lull, 
or some other time, I will try calling okay, back. Okay, no problem. No problem. I, I got to go do fun stuff. Okay, okay? Go, go go do the fun stuff at Universal Studios Singapore and uh, don't get arrested. I will try. Okay, thank you. Oh, and gum is illegal here, too. <laughs> got to be careful. Okay. It is. Yeah. I, I think I remember bye-bye. that. I was there like 25 years ago. Okay, I'll talk to you later. All right, bye. That was CalWatch all the way from Singapore. Just before going into Universal Studios, or maybe he's already in there, in Singapore. Something I'm fortunate with is that uh, my son, Benjamin, who's six, and I was just telling someone this today, he doesn't require or demand that we do kiddie things. Like he does like the kiddie things if we take him, but if we don't take him, he's also fine with that too. He can actually, like we can go on vacation and just do regular sightseeing and he enjoys it. He, uh, you know, there's a few type of things that we don't do because it would be boring to him. You don't go, don't go to museums and uh, don't go to certain other things that wouldn't appeal to a kid. But anything like 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 hiking or, or, or sightseeing or you know looking at nature, things like that, um, he enjoys all that. So it's nice. It's where I don't have to feel like I have to search out a, a kid's option in places we go. And he actually does enjoy being there. And he likes going to hotels, too. He just he finds the whole thing interesting, all the, all the, all the parts of travel. So here's the agenda tonight. And then we're going to put on somebody else as a co-host tonight who sometimes calls into the show, but we're going to have him as a co-host tonight. And that's uh, Scott from the East Coast. And I'll call him shortly. But I'm going to give you the agenda, and then we'll call up Scott, and we'll get going with the show. A few World Series stories this week, not that many. The World Series of Poker Week 5 stories. Uh, the first story is something that I'm kind of like a combination of embarrassed and frustrated about. I played the 3K Limit Hold'em event, and at the same time was having a personal emergency going on involving... Uh, some things outside of poker. And uh, it actually spanned two days. I thought it was done after the first day. It actually wasn't. It caused me to actually miss part of day two, which I made of the 3K Limit Hold'em event, which did affect my chances of cashing in that event. So I'm going to explain what happened there to some degree. Tell you about uh, an attempted controversy that someone tried to start over it. And... What I'm going to do for those that bought pieces of me in that event. A bit of a happier story involving me. I did actually cash in an event at the World Series. I was afraid 2017 might be the first year I've ever played at the World Series without cashing in something. But that did not happen. I cashed this year at the 888 No Limit Crazy Eights event, and I'll tell you about that. And I will also talk about something I discovered during that event, and that's the World Series of Poker has... Two bubbles, not one, but two bubbles. There's a second bubble in certain lower buy-in events, like this one, the 888 event, which most people don't know about. So I'm going to tell you about that second bubble and what I feel the World Series should do about it. Finally, some controversy. Chris Ferguson is in the running for Player of the Year. In fact, he was leading Player of the Year. Right now, I believe he's fourth. So we'll talk about what would happen if he were to become Player of the Year, which is still very possible. And what the World Series should do about it. Non-World Series, non-world series stories this week. Alec Torelli. He has been involved in some controversy over 
a hand that took place, not just a hand, but uh, over a session he had on Poker Night in America, which was actually filmed about a year ago, but just appeared on TV about a month ago. And people accused him of angle shooting. Now, we've talked about this before on this show. And I even played a little clip of Doug Polk talking about it. Doug Polk was very critical of Alec Torelli. But the story has heated up because Alec Torelli posted a response video. I'm going to play you parts of his response video. I'm going to tell you what I think of it. And I'm going to give you my analysis of the whole thing. And even tell you where you can look on the original video, which I'll tell you how to find, of that episode of Poker Night in America, where you can look that backs up my point of view. So I'm not just going to give you my opinion. I'm going to tell you where to look to see where I got my opinion from, and I bet you'll agree with me. Recreational pot has become reality in Nevada. It started on July 1st at midnight. At I guess 12.01 a.m., it began a new era in Nevada history where you don't have to get one of those BS medical marijuana cards if you want to smoke pot there. You, you can just go to a dispensary and buy pot because, hey, I want to smoke it. I want to get high. You can, you can really say that. It doesn't matter the reason anymore. So we'll talk a bit about that, whether it's a good idea or not. And a listener has offered to call in and talk about his experience with these dispensaries since it became fully legal on July 1st. So we're going to call him at the time and hopefully reach him. It's a bit of a weird story. It was brought to me right before the show, so I, I don't know much about it, but I think it's worth talking about. It's a little video I'll play you. It's this weird poker player claims he has reported America's card room to the FBI because they reopened his account after he asked them not to. So he, that created like a whole chain reaction where he ended up reporting them to the FBI. Now, that's not as ominous as you may think because uh, the FBI and other federal law enforcement bodies are very aware of America's card room. But nevertheless, uh, it's an odd story and I will uh, play that guy's video and give my opinion. By the way, I just got a text from the guy who went to the dispensaries and said he will be awake. So we will call him for sure. When that segment comes up, we've talked before about PKR poker, how they were closing, how if you had a balance on there, you were screwed and not getting your money. Well, that's kind of still the case, but kind of not. PKR uh, is definitely not paying anyone. But if you had an account on PKR and were owed money, believe it or not, you can now get your money in full with no conditions. I will tell you how. Yes, it's true. And this is not like a little teaser to get you to listen. I mean, it's, it's the truth. Connecticut has two large casinos, Foxwoods and Mohegan Sun. But the northern part of the state doesn't really have anything. So anyone who wants to go to Foxwoods or Mohegan Sun has to drive a bit. Connecticut's not a huge state, but it's also not a tiny one. Well, northern Connecticut is going to get a third casino. We'll talk a bit about what's going to happen there, and why this has been approved. Finally, I'm going to give you a little editorial tonight, a political editorial. I guess political social editorial. I have noticed 
in the past year that liberals on social media and even liberals in the mainstream media have gone crazy. They've gone crazy. And the catalyst to this was Trump getting nominated. And when I mean when I say going when they when I say they went crazy, I don't mean I disagree with them. I don't mean that they have views that I don't like. I mean that some liberals and uh, liberal organizations which were acting reasonably prior to Trump's nomination. When I say reasonably, I don't mean that they said things I agreed with. I don't mean that I necessarily liked them, but I at least had some degree of respect for them, both individuals and organizations, companies that that, uh, were left-leaning yet reasonable and rational, who have absolutely gone off the deep end since Trump got nominated, and now you just... They're behaving so erratically and aggressively. It's just weird. And I'm going to talk about a personal experience I had recently involving that, and also the CNN situation, where they basically posted a threat, which was kind of similar to blackmail. It wasn't legal blackmail, but it was a uh, you know it wasn't legally defined as blackmail. But I would say it's pretty much implied blackmail to a private citizen who made a a gif about them that Trump tweeted out. And that they went after this individual who made this in a very strange and aggressive way. But it's not just about CNN. I'm going to talk about something that just happened in my own life of someone who just went off the deep end in the last year, who was left-leaning politically, but we always respected each other and got along fine, and the person completely changed. So I'm going to tell you in this editorial what I've observed about those on the left. Not everybody on the left, but certain people and certain organizations on the left which have gone off the deep end since Trump got nominated and why I feel that has happened. And if you listen to this and think, hey, I might be one of those people, I meaning you know, the listener, if you think you're one of those people, Maybe you should think about what I'm saying. Because, you know, there's people who listen to the show from all political persuasions. There's people who listen who are very conservative. There's people who are listening who are moderately conservative, people in the middle, people who are uh, moderately left. Some people listen who are very left-wing. And there's some people who are just apolitical. They just don't really follow politics or really care that much about it. And I try not to get that much into politics on this show because that, that's not what it's about. And a lot of the topics we cover here are apolitical. A lot of the topics here... You know, you don't have to have a certain political persuasion to agree with me or disagree with me. We, you know, we could be completely opposite politically, but you could agree with me, for example, that, that Lock Poker were a bunch of scumbags and cheated everybody. Like, you don't have to be of the same political persuasion to agree with that. So for the most part, things we discuss on this show don't really have a political or social sort of leaning to it. But I, I'm going to talk about that towards the end there. And you know, if, if you think maybe this might apply to you. I won't be talking about you. I guarantee the people I'm going to talk about will not be listening to this show. But if you think that what I'm saying could apply to you and how you deal with other people, then maybe you should look at yourself and say, hey, have I really changed in the last year? And I guess this can apply to the right, too. There have been some on the right who have changed as well since uh, Trump came on the scene. 
But that's a bit of a different story, especially because there's not as much anger because Trump won. So it's not quite the same. There's a certain bitterness that is coming from some on the left. And I understand if you have bitterness at Trump. That's a different story. But there's some bitterness toward anyone who disagrees with them at all politically. So I'm going to talk about that in the editorial. Okay, let's get going here. It's after 10 o'clock Pacific time. After 1 a.m. Eastern time, the free roll has been going for a while now, for almost an hour. You can't get in anymore. I'm going to call up Scott from the East Coast, see if we can reach him. The reason we don't have Scott on here more is is nothing about him personally. It's because I usually like to have on co-hosts who have Skype and a headset. So I can hear them very well, and you guys can hear them very well. I don't like the co-host thing where the person, uh, they sound like they're on the phone. It sounds like a phone call to a call-in radio show, which that's what it is if you're not on Skype. Skype is great. Well, sort of great. It's it's a piece of crap in some ways. But what the, what's very good about it is the sound quality, provided that it's not having issues, is excellent, where you can have someone in another country, and they sound like they're sitting in the same room next to me. And that's different than calling someone up where it sounds like a phone call. And it just I'm very big on the sound quality. I may not be that big with getting the show started on time, or the voiding fail, but at the very least, I want the sound quality to be good. We're going to call up Scott from the East Coast. Hopefully we will reach him. Either way, we're going to talk a bit about the World Series. Hello. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks. Okay, so I'm going to talk a bit about the World Series. And what happened with me there. And this was something that I, I didn't think would happen, of course. I, I, I'm i very frustrated by it. Very, very... I'm still frustrated right now. It's been about a week. It's been more than a week since it happened. But uh, I'm very frustrated by it. Um, I, I basically am doing three World Series of Poker trips this uh, this year. Last year I only did two. I did two, you know, one for all the preliminaries and one for the main event. This year I did three. I did one for the first group of preliminaries, then I left, then I came back about a week later for the second group of preliminaries, and now uh, I left again, and then I'm going to come back for the main event on on Saturday. I'm going to play the main event on Sunday. But uh, the main reason I came back that second time was for one particular event, and that was the $3,000 buy-in, six max limit hold'em event. Six max, meaning the most people that will be at the table would be six. That's actually the form of cash I've played online the most by a wide margin. That's that's basically what I've played online for many years, has been six max limit hold'em. So, as you can imagine, I really look forward to that event. So, that's one I would not miss. And uh, so I came mainly for that. And then I, I decided I'll, I, I, I made the schedule beforehand, but I, when I made the schedule, it was based around that, and then I stayed for a few other events that I could have you know, take or leave. So that event was on June 27th, and at, 
about 2 p.m., I got some disturbing news. I, I woke up to it. The event was to start at 3. So I got some disturbing news, and it was about uh, something that was going on back home. And I, I had to take care of it. And some of you may think, oh, he was having problems with his girlfriend. No, that's not, it had nothing to do with that. There was, there was no problems with my girlfriend. But there, was, there were other things going on that I had to take care of. It couldn't wait. It had to be done immediately. But the event was in an hour. So I said, crap, what do I do? So I thought about it and said, you know what? Limit hold'em events, the first hour or two are really very meaningless. The blinds are too low. Unlike a no limit, you can't double your stack if you cooler someone or you get a bad player who punts it all off to you. In limit hold'em, you're never going to win that much in the first two rounds. Especially the first round, which lasts an hour. So I said, you know what? Provided my stack doesn't get blinded off, it doesn't matter if I come late. In fact, there's there's great players, great tournament players like Ronnie Barda and, and Phil Helmuth. I hate to say talk about him positively, but you know he is a great tournament player uh, who 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 come late on purpose. They actually show up and register late on purpose because they feel that uh, that's actually a better strategy. Because when you register late, then you start with a full stack, kind of like on the free roll here. And there's people who've already become short stacks, or in some cases busted. Usually in the first hour, no one's going to bust limit hold them. But people become short stacks, you're, you're starting already with a, a full stack. And uh, all you have to do is get lucky in the first hand and you're right there. And then you're much less worn out and much less... Uh, you're much fresher than the other players there. Now, I don't personally agree that this is the best thing to do. I think you are robbing yourself the ability to beat the weaker players early on. But it is true. I find it very frustrating sometimes when I run great in the first two hours, but then the blinds double and quadruple immediately, and everything I won is gone in one hand. You know, I've got ace-queen, the other guy's got ace-king, and ace-flops. I, that's it. You know, I, I've just lost everything I won before. I'm not busted, but you know, I just lost everything I won from running great for several hands in level one. So I have noticed that's also demoralizing. So what I thought to myself was, all right, provided this does not blind out, I don't mind registering late here. I don't think that's really interfering much with my edge. I don't think it's interfering much with my equity, if at all. But how do I stop myself from blinding out? I've already registered. So I went down and asked them, can I unregister and then re-register when I'm ready? And start with a full stack. And they said no. Why? They said because you could see what table you're at, not like the table they gave you, and then go unregister and re-register repeatedly until you get a table you like. Okay, that makes sense. I hadn't thought of that, but that made sense. But I told them, I said, look, and I, I was talking to them about like 2.50, 10 minutes before the event. I said, look, look at my table right now. There's one person sitting there. So obviously I didn't come to my table and think, oh, this table's terrible. And I don't know who – I know one person. The other four, I have no idea who they're going to be. So this is an emergency. I've never asked for this before. Can you please just find a way for me to do this? And I I thought they were going to be jerks to me and say, no, tough luck. And they even kind of seemed to be giving me an attitude and just kind of dismissive. Well, shockingly, the guy says, all right, fine. I'll just put your stack in the well. I said, huh? I said, you mean you're going to, like, suspend my stack? It's not blinding off? Yeah, that's right. And he said, but, you know, if you don't come back in an hour, then we may move you to a different table. It's like, okay, I don't care. You can move me where you want. I don't, I don't care where you put me. That's the whole point. I don't, I don't, this isn't about the table I'm at. I just want to start with a full stack. So you're guaranteeing when I come back, 
uh, you'll start me with a full stack. He said, yes. So I said, okay. So Wait, wait, wait. Time out. Time out, Todd. Would you have been okay if they put you with six other bracelet winners? I mean, sorry, five other bracelet winners. Um, if, if they told me that that's the consequence of doing this, no. But if that's where I randomly ended up, then yes. Then Because ju- I could have just as easily ended up at the best table on the, in the whole event. So, okay. so, I went, uh, so I went and handled everything I needed to. And I came down there about 90 minutes late. But started with a full stack. And they did move me tables. And I, I quickly looked at the two tables. And I actually did seem to gain from that. Now, it could have gone the other way. But, but it did look like the table they moved me to was a better table. In fact, it was a good table for me. I mean, it was uh, there were a number of recreational and se- semi-recreational players there, and I immediately started off winning, and everything was good. I said, "Oh, well, great!" So I, I ran up my chips very fast, and I, I by level four, I was the chip leader. So my 15k became like 35k very quickly, which at these early levels of limit hold'em is uh, a lot. So I was very happy. I said, "Well, okay, it's good. It's good. I came late. <laughs> it's all worked out. It's all doing great here." Uh, unfortunately, and I guess partially thanks to me because I was beating them, but also some of them just got moved off because of the big, you know, they, they were moving players around. One of the people at the table who I was happy to have there but got moved was uh, Bruce Buffer. The announcer, wrestling announcer Bruce, Bruce Buffer is, uh, he was there, but they moved him. I beat him in a few hands. But anyway, uh, everybody who was at the table originally either busted or got moved. Every single one of them except me. And I wasn't even there originally. I was 90 minutes late. So everybody else was just gone, and they were replaced with a number of better players. Uh, for some reason, this, this year I was a Justin Bonomo magnet. I guess that's what I get for talking about him on the show a lot. But they, they, I was with him at all three limit events at some point. Never originally, but every time he got moved to my table. So he got moved, um, and, they, and they moved other players there. They moved a guy known as Hopscott online, John Hopman, who's very good from Minnesota. Uh, they, uh, late in the day, they moved CC Tran, who's a good uh, female player from Commerce, who's there every day. So, the table ceased being as good. Let's just say that. But anyway, uh, after that, I was kind of... Uh, it, it was very inconsistent. After I got to that 35K, I, I was just constantly going up and down at that point. And I just wasn't doing all that well for the rest of the day. But I was not busting. So I finished the day. I finished day one with 31K. Which wasn't very good. Maybe that's less than my peak of 35 early in the day when I was a chip leader. 31 by the end of day one when most of the field was gone was not good to have at that point. That was The starting stack was 15. I had double starting stack, but... Uh, as I said, most people were gone, so 31 was a short stack. But it wasn't crippled, it wasn't impossibly short, I just needed to sit down and start winning right away. So I thought to myself, okay, if I come back and uh, I lose right away, I'm done. If I come back and win right away, then I, I have a decent chance to chip up. So I, I actually came in with kind of a positive attitude. Like, okay, like I, the attitude I came in with was, okay, if, if I just chunk it all off, because I, I just run very poorly from the start. Okay, I won't be that disappointed because even though uh, we're fairly close to the money, it's not like I'm bubbling and, uh, you know, I, I don't have high expectations because I'm uh, well below average. But at the same time, I, I think I have enough chips where I can make a run of it if I can just get some good cards. That was my attitude going in. Well, at 11 a.m. I was woken up by some bad news related to what was going on the day before. And I had to spend the whole rest of the day handling it. Everything I thought was solved really was not. 
and I'm not going to go into what it is. It's, it's, it's my own private business. I don't feel like telling everybody, but it was very stressful. It was tough to deal with. It involved uh, a lot of effort, a lot of time. The restart was a two. Now, you think maybe that would have been enough time, but it wasn't. And it just wasn't finishing, and I was watching the time tick away. And um, I ended up getting to the day two of the event of the six max limit hold'em. 33 minutes late. Now, you may say, oh, 33 minutes, that's not that big of a deal. But yes, it is, because it's a six max event. The blinds are very high, as they are late in the limit hold'em events. That's how they eliminate people. And as a result, the blinds were coming around every, you know, small blind, big blind, every six hands. So a third of the hands were, were blind hands. One was small, one was big, and then I'd have four that weren't. So for 33 minutes, this went on. And by the time I sat down, my 31K stack became 21K. It was erroneously reported by someone as 14K. That's not true. Uh, I went down to 14K when I lost the first hand I played. But uh, I started with 21 instead of 31, thanks to this 33 minutes. I can't tell you how crappy that felt. I've talked about how I I once made a joke that I don't miss free hands of cash poker when I play online unless my house is on fire. And that was true. And I've always said that I'm never one who takes breaks during World Series events unless it's an actual World Series break. Now, I guess if I had, like, explosive diarrhea and couldn't hold it, I'd, I'd find an opportune moment and sprint to the bathroom. But that's the, that's the only type of thing that could get me away. But showing up 33 minutes late on day two when you're already short in a six-max event is very, very bad. And there's no doubt it robbed me of equity there, regardless of, you know, how I would run, how I would have run or how I uh, ran from that point forward. It, it all didn't matter. I, I robbed myself of equity because I, was, I went from short to very short. Well, uh, I also didn't win a single hand, and after not too long of a time, I was gone and did not cash. Uh, I I wasn't that far from cashing. I think they paid 39 spots, and I finished 50-something place, so I wasn't that far. Wasn't right on the bubble, but I was not that far. You can imagine how awful I felt, because this this is the reason I was there. This is the event. This is one of the events I look forward to the most the whole year. And here I came into day two with a short but workable stack, and I let a third of it go just by showing up late. It was, and it, yes, something was going on. I didn't just uh, decide to oversleep, but I felt terrible, and I, I, I walked out with such an empty feeling because when I sat down with the twenty-one, I thought, okay, maybe I'll get lucky. Maybe I can just come back. Maybe I'll win the whole thing. You know, you never know. Maybe, uh, maybe this changed the cards in my favor. Nope. I mean, I wasn't trying to spin it as a good thing, but I was hoping that maybe I could recover from this and it won't, won't end up have mattering. But it did matter. I uh, lost a third of my chips to it and ran bad. So I felt awful. But I also had another feeling that was guilt. And the guilt was because I had sold like 41% of me at 1.2 markup to the various investors who listen to this show and read the forum. And I had told all the investors, look, I, I'm going to show up to every event. Uh, I'm going to be responsible. I'm, I'm not going to be late. I'm, yeah, I, I gave all the reasons that people should invest in me. 
And then, of all things, I show up late to day two, which, unless your name's Vinny Vin, isn't very common to show up 33 minutes late. You don't see that very often where a guy making day two doesn't show up for 33 minutes. So I felt awful. I said, what do I do? Do I try to compute the equity that people lost from this? How do I do that? There's no easy way to do that. Um, do I make this public? Do I, I contact people privately? Because there's no report on poker news or anything about this. Like the, the, My table mates knew, but nobody else knew. So I wasn't going to hide it, but I thought, what do I do about this? I, you know, How do I let people know? What do I give them back? I thought, I've got to figure this out. But since... Since there was not um, an urgency here, I didn't. Uh, I said, "Okay, I don't have to do this today." It's just depressing enough what happened. I don't want to compound this by trying to go and figure this whole thing out and contact all these people. I, I'm just going to sit on this for you know, a short time and figure out what to do. Well, here's the problem. Um, there's there's people out there. Who um, some of whom listen to this show that like to cause problems, and uh, when I'm at the Rio, I, I kind of feel like there's always people watching me, and not because I'm paranoid; it's because it's true. It seems like anything that happens there somehow involving me, somehow people know, somehow people found out or find out. They found this one out, but I, it didn't even surprise me that someone noticed this and brought it to people's attention on social media because uh yeah there's 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 trolls out there watching me that are are, that are looking to uh criticize me for anything they can and i kind of feel that when i'm at the rio it's 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 kind of a weird feeling because in the rest of my life i don't feel that i feel like a private person where anything i don't want people to know about they won't know about but I kind of thought that when this happened, I didn't expect it to happen this fast, but I actually thought, you know, there's a chance that this is, you know, someone will have seen this and is going to uh, come out with it and, and try to embarrass me or make me look bad with it. But I, I didn't think it was going to happen that fast. And, you know, so I, and I, I kind of even discounted it going, no, I'm just being paranoid. Well, it happened. Uh, four hours after I busted, just four hours. Some idiot who listens to this show, by the way, the guy listens to every episode. He thinks he's anonymous, but uh, he's uh, he, he doesn't understand he's not. I'm not going to say who it is, but he he thinks he's anonymous. He thinks he's, uh, by making phony accounts on Twitter, I'm not going to know who he is, and uh, that's incorrect. But anyway, this person made an anonymous Twitter account, a person who listens to every episode of this show. He's listening either right now or will listen very soon in the archives. He made a gimmick Twitter account to call me out about this and claim that I was uh, defrauding people by showing up 33 minutes late and robbing them of equity. Now, now first, what's so stupid about this is if you're scamming people through World Series stakes, the way you're typically doing it is uh, either selling more than 100% of yourself or just taking the buy-in and not playing. You know who the biggest victim of this so-called scam was? It was me because I owned... 59% 59% of myself in that event. Nobody else owned more than four. Collectively, they owned 41%. So the biggest victim of this whole thing was me. I screwed myself. So that would not have been a very effective scam. Obviously, this is not intentional. Obviously, 
the one who got harmed by this the most was me. But that doesn't take away the fact that 41% was owned by other people and that they did lose equity from me showing up late. There's no question about that. I'm not denying that. But uh, anyway, this this was an unfortunate thing that happened. This is a thing that I wish didn't happen. This is something that's never happened before in all the years I've played the World Series, whether I've, whether I've sold pieces or not sold pieces. I've never shown up late to a day two. So, actually, that's not true. I showed up like two minutes late, but didn't miss any hands. I think that's what happened. To, to the 3K, that's funny, it was also a 3K limit hold. The 3K limit hold them in 2005. But that one turned out okay. That one was, that was the one I won. <laughs> so, and nobody had a piece of me in that. But uh, I remember showing up a few minutes late, but I, I know I didn't miss any hands. I think I just got there in time. And I know the very first hand I dealt was aces. It was dealt to me aces versus kings. And I won on an, an awful 8-9-10 jack board. Can you imagine? When you have aces and the board's 8-9-10 jack against a three-better. And the only thing you can beat is kings, and that's what he had. Anyway, that's the only other time I've been late to a day two. And I didn't miss any hands, from what I remember. But um, th- this is just one of those unfortunate things that happened. But still, it's for the people that bought pieces of me... There shouldn't be this excuse. It shouldn't be, well, something came up, uh, something happened in my life. That's, that's not what you're paying for. You're paying for me to be there. So, yes, yeah, something needed to be done. The problem is I have this idiot who's trying to hassle me on Twitter about this four hours after the event's over. And I saw it, and he's tweeting right to me, so there's, you know, there's, no, there's no question that I'm aware of him bringing all this up. He thought I was still trying to cover it up and hide it. How can I do that? I mean, obviously, I'd be a moron. Even if you want to say, and his point was that I wasn't going to tell anyone. His point was that I I was trying to sneak this by everybody. Four hours later. you know, He gave gave me a whole four hours to say something. (laughs) Four hours into it. He didn't say anything. He's trying to sneak it past everybody. And then he was claiming I was still trying to sneak it past everybody, even after he was trolling me on Twitter, which is especially done because even if I were trying to sneak it past people, even if I were trying to say, okay, no one's going to find out about this. I'm just going to, I'm not going to tell anyone. I'll just tell them what I, I ran bad, and that was that. Um, once someone comes forward and says, hey, I know about this, and hassles me about this on social media, he really thinks I'm, I'm going to continue at that point, trying to hide it. I mean, obviously, I w- obviously, my not responding to him for another 26 hours, which is how long I took to answer at that point, was me thinking, okay, now I have to address this publicly. But again, what do I do? And that was that was basically my thought the whole time of what do I do? What what should I give these people? Who should I make it a public announcement? Should I, I tell people privately? What should I do? Once this guy brought this public, then I knew I had to make some kind of public announcement about it, which which I wasn't happy about. I didn't want, I didn't feel this was anyone's business. I I was hoping not to have to discuss this, but you know, except for the people who bought pieces of me. But okay, now this idiot's bringing out in public, and uh, now I have to say something about it. So. I, I thought about it for another day, and I decided, okay, I'm just going to take the simplest solution here that more than makes everybody whole, and that is to give everybody a full and complete refund, including markup, for that event. So basically, it, it became a free roll. Now, the, the event was over, but had I cashed in this event, they would have gotten paid in full. And since I didn't cash... I'm giving them their whole full refund. So it was actually a free roll. There was no way they could lose here for that particular event. So for 
everybody who bought pieces of me in that event, it's like I didn't play it. You're going to get a refund as if I, I didn't buy in. So I'm eating the 41% plus markup that you guys bought of me on that because ultimately it was my responsibility to show up on time no matter what was going on in my life. So I said that's... You you can't get more uh, generous than that as far as the compensation for the situation. So I gave everybody a full and complete refund in a situation where I still could have easily cashed. I was fairly close to the money and I, I, I wasn't super crippled when I showed up. I just had two-thirds of the starting chips that I was supposed to have, but uh, it wasn't good, but the, you know, I, I could have easily come back and cashed in that event, and I would have paid everyone in full. So it really was a free roll. As, as someone on 2 Plus 2 said, I free rolled myself, which I really did. Speaking of 2 Plus 2, this person, even though I, I, I posted that solution, which was uh, I felt was very generous and very... Uh, more than fair to everybody who had invested in me in that event. This guy still wasn't satisfied. To show you what a troll this guy was, to show you it wasn't just a concern, he went and posted on 2 Plus 2 trying to uh, make me look like a scammer and tried to explain the situation in a rambling post. And uh, not a single person who responded in that thread agreed with him. Not a single person. Every single person there couldn't understand what he was bitching about. <laughs> uh, someone, a mod there named Gregorio, even said, I hope someone scams me like this one day. <laughs> it's true because, you know, he's saying it's a scam. The, the only person who got uh, screwed here was me because I, I gave people 41% of my event and paid for the whole thing myself when it was all done. And I did that just so there, to remove any doubt that I was doing the right thing. And because it's too hard to compute equity. At first I thought, okay, maybe I'll figure out the equity, give people money back. Then I'm like, yeah, this is too hard. I can't even compute what the equity would really be. You can, you can try a mathematical way of doing it, but that still doesn't really give you the true equity. There's a lot of factors like the, the, the table you're at, your, your table image, um, the, the style of the players with you. There's a lot of stuff involved that you can't just do with a math equation. If forced to, you could do a math equation if like, the tournament just ended and they had to pay everybody. But, but the, the true equity cannot be really figured out. So I said, screw it. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to – I said I'm going to be there on time. I wasn't on time. You're just going to get your money back. That's the safest, easiest way to deal with it. And the only person uh, that, that suffered from that was me because it was my doing. So anyway – uh, to show you how things have changed, I just talked a few weeks ago on this show about uh, a possible legal dispute I had with Mason Malmuth, and we, we might end up in court, blah, blah, blah. Well, um, to show you how things have changed, not only my back on 2 plus 2, but Mason Malmuth posted in the thread and was somewhat on my side. And when I say somewhat, he, he didn't uh, criticize me at all, but uh, he was actually... A lot of it was him just trying to say, oh, yeah, you can figure out equity. It was posting about, uh, you know, how he feels you can compute the equity. So some of that was just him showing, like, uh, you know, look how good at math I am. I can show you how to calculate the equity. And I understood what he was doing, and I understood his point. But uh, I, I don't think a math equation can really give you this answer. But anyway, but he did tell that troll, to Mason's credit, he, he told that troll that uh, he's in the wrong, that there's no scam here. 
So I give Mason credit for all the issues we've had in the past and recently that uh, he didn't take that opportunity to bash me. And in fact, he could have just stayed out of it. He, but, but if you take a look overall, what he wrote there it was actually uh, on the whole on my side. So, you know, props to him for that. <laughs> I don't think we're going to be buddies, but uh, props to him for that. But not a single person agreed with that idiot who's listening now, by the way. Now, that person kind of just gave up and tweeted a nasty thing to me. Of, okay, yeah, fine. Two plus two. They, uh, yeah, I got owned there. Fine. I said the guy got owned when I posted it on my site about this guy. And he's like, okay, yeah, sure, I got owned. But I cost you uh, $1,500 in Jew gold. So, and I exposed your fraud. That was, my, that was my point. Mission accomplished. So, listen, dummy. I was going to take care of this in some way. There's a very good chance I was going to decide to do this anyway. The only thing you did that I wasn't going to do anyway was make it public. So congratulations, you made it public. Congratulations, you exposed the fact that I had an emergency in my personal life that caused me to be late on day two to this event. And I know you you believe you're sure that I would not have told everyone about this. Well, next time... You think that you see something like this. Next time, wait more than four hours and see what happens. You can't, after four hours, say, oh, you're not telling everybody this is a conspiracy. You're going you're gonna to keep quiet about this. You're going to screw everyone. No, you give more than four hours to see what I'm going to do. I had all this crap going on that day in my personal life, which then was compounded by what happened at this event with me showing up late and not cashing which I felt awful about. So I, I needed a break. I, I, I was not going to sit down at the computer and figure out, okay, what do I do about the investors right now? It, it was not urgent to do that. I figured I'll handle it in the next few days. And I did. And you can say I did it because you brought it out. But as you saw, when you brought it out, I still took over a day because I was thinking about it. People need to think about things sometimes. So you think you cost me $1,500. The only person who cost me $1,500 there was me. I cost myself $1,500, which I was likely to give back anyway after thinking about what to do. But um, to this person who thinks they were so clever and so anonymous, you, you guys don't realize that it's, there's ways – to see who is behind this sort of thing. I'm not going to say how, but there are ways. And this person um, is not as anonymous as they think they are. So, uh, Todd, tell me you can't hide on the internet. Yeah, I mean, well, you, I, you, you can in some cases if the person looking for you doesn't have the ability to find you. But I've, I've been at this for a long time. I've been online for over 30 years. I, I have a, a, a computer background. I have a software background. I, I do all the technical work for myself for this site. I'm used to doing things like this when, when people try to anonymously harass me. So, um, you know, making an anonymous Twitter account... And, and doing things like that. And uh, you, you may think you're taking precautions, but there's a lot of things that one must be careful about when they take such precautions to remain anonymous online. A lot of things. If you don't believe me, if you think I'm posturing, go, go to a security uh, forum online and discuss this. Ask them if, 
describe everything you did and ask if there's a way for you to be found. You'll be surprised at the answer. So, um, and people may say, okay, well, why, why do you care about this person? You know, they reported something that was really true. They reported that, uh, yes, you showed up 33 minutes late and he, you know, here I am. Uh, yes, I showed up 33 minutes late. So aren't they just putting out the truth? What pisses me off here is, is two things. Number one, this person knows who they are and they know they shouldn't have been doing this. I'll, I'll leave it at that for right now, but they know who they are and they know they should not have been doing this. Number two, um, this is an attempt to create a scandal and call me a scammer and try to make this make a mountain out of a molehill, try to make this look much worse than it really was. And the fact that they jumped the gun and did this after four hours shows that they weren't they weren't going to wait to see what I did. They just they wanted as fast as they could to make me look bad. They were trying to destroy my reputation. And you know what? Everybody has the right on the internet to state their opinion. But be aware that if you do that, your closet must be clean. Because if there's anything you don't want people to know about yourself, then you should take care before you do things like this. So just just keep that in mind before you come out anonymously and try to do things like this, to try to create scandals. Just try to keep in mind. Now, now, by the way, if if weeks passed and I wasn't saying anything and you felt people were really being cheated, then fine, okay? Then, uh, Then you have a right to bring this out to people's attention. I'm not saying that I'm someone holy who you cannot question. Of course, if you were to see reasonable evidence that I was trying to cover this up and not pay anyone back anything for what happened here and try to pretend like uh, I was there on time, then yes, you have every right to bring this up. Or even if you just witnessed me come in 33 minutes late and you just tweeted me, hey, Todd, you came in 33 minutes late, uh, you know, what are you going to do about the investors? Nothing wrong with that either. Nothing wrong. You weren't required to keep that secret. It's just the way it was approached. I'm, I'm shady. I'm a scammer. I mean, all, all the type of language that was used. And then when I said, okay, everybody's going to get their money back, uh, I still got attacked and told that the uh, only reason I'm doing this is because he called me out, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's, that's, that's not the way to approach it. But especially the person who did this should not have been doing it. And you may ask as a listener, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by they should not have been doing it? They know what I mean. They know that they should not have been doing this. And I encourage them to get in contact with me as themselves, I, I think they're going to know when I'm saying this what I mean by this. You guys don't know, but they know. They should get in contact with me as themselves and tell me why they did this. And explain to me why they did this in the manner that they did. That's, that's my suggestion at this point. Unlike them, I will wait and give them a chance. And again, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that if anything that you feel I have done is dishonest, that you, that you shouldn't be able to say it. Of course you should. But uh, it needs to be handled in a fair and uh, reasonable manner. Not wait four hours before I can complete everything and come at me with accusations of being a scammer and this and that. And then when I make it all right, still come at me with these uh, terrible accusations. But again, I know you're listening, the person who did this. I suggest you contact me as yourself and explain yourself. 
Okay, on a happier note, um, after this, I had a second thing that was concerning me. And that was that my 12-year run at the World Series of cashing at least in one event every time might be coming to an end. And you may say, okay, you know, big deal, one cash at the World Series. People who cash, you know, 10 times at the World Series in one year. So why, why is one time a big deal? Well, I don't play that many events. There are some people who play all day and all night. And they bust from one, they enter another. And they're, all they're doing the whole summer is day after day after day after day playing the World Series. They, they could be at a final table, take a brutal beat to go out, you know, go from the chip lead to out seventh and just be a heartbreaking loss. And then they go register for like a 1500 event. It's crazy. Like, I don't know how some of them do it, honestly. I don't know how some of them can just shake off whatever happened from the previous event or not be mentally fatigued or even physically fatigued and just go on to the next one day after day after day after day for six to seven weeks. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. Um, one guy who does this, by the way, is a, it's a former listener to the show, Ryan LaPlante, who's one of the few out gay male poker players. Uh, he almost just won a bracelet. He just finished second in an event. But, uh, I mean, he just plays an insane number of tournaments. He won a bracelet last year. But he's he's someone who just go <laughs> just constantly playing. Negreanu does this, too. So there's some guys who are just constantly playing. I'm not one of those people. I play... Yeah, as far as preliminary events, usually you know seven to eight by the time you account for the ones I don't get to play because I miss some because of making day twos. Usually, like yeah, usually seven actually. That's that's usually the average of what I end up playing after you take one take away the ones I miss. So, and then there's the main on top of that. So that's not that many, you know, seven and fifteen percent cash. So yeah, on average I should cash one out of the seven if I'm an average player, just by those numbers. But uh, you guys know tournament variants. You could easily run bad or moderately bad in all seven, or run bad at the wrong time in all seven and go over seven. I mean, there's there's a lot of tournament players who go over seven at some point in their career. In fact, I, I think just about every tournament player goes over seven at some point. So I know some year it will happen to me. Now, what will happen if that occurs? Will will the world end? No. Will I be broke? No. But it'll just destroy the streak. I had a streak going from 05 to 16, not playing that many events, that every year I cashed at least into one thing. And I was not playing that way. I wasn't playing two min cash or something, but it's just the way it always worked out. And I'm not even benefiting at all from the change they made last year where 15% cash instead of 10% because I've never cashed and been in that 10 to 15% group. Whenever I've cashed, it's been top 10%. Even in that 50-50 DraftKings event they had in 2015 where 50% of the field cashed, I was in the top, like, I think uh, 4%, 3%, something like that. So I had played every preliminary event I was going to play except for one, and that was the $888 Crazy Eights event, which is an eight-handed no-limit hold'em where the top prize is $888,888. So, you know, the whole theme is eights. I have called that event stupid. I called it a lame gimmick. I said that it's a poor man's 1K event. I've said a lot of bad things about that event, and then I was kind of 
sheepish when I added that to my schedule because that was what happened to fit in there. So that was the last shot I had. Now, it had unlimited rebuys, but I was not going to do unlimited rebuys. I decided I would do two rebuys total. There were four different flights. I decided I would do one flight. If I busted that, I'd, I'd do a flight the next day, and that would be that. I charged all the backers for two bullets in advance with the intent upon refunding the second bullet if I didn't need it, but there was no way I'd be using more than two bullets. So if I busted after two times, that would be it. But it really had unlimited rebuys. You may wonder, what's the most number of times that somebody has ever bought into an unlimited rebuy World Series event? I believe this was in 2007 in the 1K No Limit Holding with Rebuys event. Daniel Negreanu bought in 48 times. 48 times to that event. Spent $48,000, and he did not cash. He didn't have poker stars money back then. No, this was actually during a period when Negreanu was kind of on a downswing. This wasn't one of Negreanu's better years, 07. It's just that period of his life, he, he was kind of in a, a little bit of a spiral, at least financially. Uh, he's recovered big time, of course, but yeah, he, he wasn't getting poker stars money, nothing like that back then. So, yeah, he rebought four, he bought in 48 times. I don't know if it was, he rebought 48 or he, he bought in 48, but it's either 48 or 49 he played. But uh, he played at least 48 times in that event and did not cash. I was proud of that fact because I bought in one time and I finished 10th. So that was one of my better World Series of Poker no-limit performances. And, in fact, I almost made the final table. I came one card away. I, I got rivered by an ace in a Queens against Ace-King all-in uh, with a stack that was almost identical to mine. And Ace popped the river there, and that was that. So anyway, uh, I was not going to be a Negreanu. I was not going to buy 48 times. I was going to buy two times. That would be it. Well, I didn't need to buy two times. I ran it up pretty fast, then lost some back, then ran it back up. Well, I never I never had a huge stack. Like right at the beginning, I, I, I ran it up from the $8,000 stack or 8,000 chip stack, not dollar. 8,000 chip stack you start with, I ran it up to like 21. So, you know, good, but not great. Good good start, but yeah, it's, it's not uh, a massive chip lead. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't the chip lead at the time. But I, I never was really killing it there. For most of the day, I was never higher than 41. Uh, towards the end of the day, I ran it up to 74, but by then 74 was like a little more than half of average. That wasn't very exciting. So I was I was kind of short to short middle stacked the whole day, but uh, not only did I cash, but I made day two, and in this event every flight cashes, which I'll get to shortly. It's a weird situation. I'm going to explain shortly. So every flight cashes in that, but fewer than five percent of the participants tend to make day two. So when day two started, there was like 4.5% of the participants of the event left. 8,120 people played that event. Actually, it wasn't people. It was buy-ins. There was 8,120 buy-ins. Some were unique people. Some were not. Some were people rebuying. Uh, on day two, there were just 372 people. I was one of them. So that's 4.58% of the field was left. I was very short-stacked. I was, in fact, the 370th 
stack at a 372. So <laughs> only two people in the field had fewer chips than I did coming to day two. So to say I was uh, desperate for a double up was uh, an understatement. Uh, very first hand, I'm dealt seven deuce off, dude. And by the way, I had four hands to make a move. It was I have 28k. The blinds were 4,000, 8,000 with a 1k ante. So, <laughs> so that doesn't give you very much play with 28k. It's three and a half big blinds. I would have three hands that were not blinds, and then I'd have the big blind. So I knew I would have to make a move within four hands because uh, by the time the fourth hand would come up. I would be down to 16K if I folded the big blind. And that is not what you want to do when you're, you have 28K. And you're that short to begin with. So I knew in the first four hands, no matter what, I have to make a move. Very first hand, seven twos offsuit. So, so I threw that away. <laughs> like, that's not a good start to get seven twos offsuit dealt to me. Uh, it's a good thing I didn't make a move with it because I would have been against pocket twos and pocket aces. Not pocket aces, pocket eights and the eights won. So I would have busted there. Next hand, king seven offsuit. I said, okay, it's not great, but I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to I'm going to shove. Nope, under the gun goes all in. Well, at that point, king seven offsuit's not what you want. So I said I'd rather go in with two random cards than king seven offsuit to an under the gun shove. So I folded, folded around. The button went all in, or the cutoff went all in, or the small blind. Someone went all in on the other side of the table. I guess it was the button. The button went all in, and it turned out it was ace-king against ace-queen. So the guy who shoved under the gun was ace-king. The button was ace-queen. They ran it out. The ace-king won. And my king seven would have lost, as you might have guessed. So, okay, I avoided busting again. Great. Third hand. Under the gun, queen-ten offsuit. Well, you know I'm shipping that in there. That's, that's obvious. It was either shipping the queen-ten or shipping with random cards in the big blind. So obviously the queen-ten is superior here. So I shipped in the queen-ten. Fold, 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 fold. I'm like, oh, wow, maybe, maybe I'll actually pick up the blinds and antis here, which is not trivial at this point. The blinds and antis, since it's an eight-handed table, is uh, 20K. So it goes fold, 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 fold. Cutoff says all in. I go, shit. <laughs> he must have something better than Queen 10. Now, he was the one, he was fairly low also. He had more than I did, but he was... Uh, Fairly low, he's the one who had the ace queen who lost the previous hand. So everyone else folded. I turned over my queen ten, he turned over ace king. Board ran out low on the flop, queen on the turn, ace on the river. And that was all she wrote. So I had one moment of happiness there that maybe I was going to go up. Uh, I would have gone up to 62k had I won that hand, which still was quite short. You got Greensteined? I did. I, I got Greenstein there and in that other rebuy event I talked about from 10 years ago. Something about those aces on the river, all in. In these rebuy events in years ending with seven. Kill me. So I was out. Cashed $3,164. Was I depressed about it? Not really. I, I came in with a 370th stack at a 372. I didn't expect to uh, destroy the world there. So <laughs> I knew I'd have to get very lucky to make it deep. Now, would you believe that in those three hands, 16 people busted ahead of me? I was 356th was my final place. It's crazy. Mm. So anyway, I didn't get a pay jump, though. I still got the minimum for day two. But let's talk about the minimum for day two, because this is a very weird situation that even though I benefited from it, I felt that it's wrong. I felt that I, I felt I got money I didn't deserve. 
And when I say I didn't deserve, I don't mean that I, I stole it or that I scammed it in some way or that uh, I cheated someone. No. I, I, the World Series... You took advantage of a flawed system, Todd. Uh, the flawed system actually just took advantage of itself and gave money to me. That's really what happened. I, I that that was what I was getting paid. You know, I, I took advantage of nothing, but I got money. Not in, I, I felt not intentionally, but you took advantage of it. I, actually, I did. I, I did. I I'll, tell, done the same thing. I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why in a second because I didn't realize that I, I, in a way, I was taking advantage, but I did it without even realizing it. So let me explain to everybody here. So let's go back and talk about the way this event is that. All the day ones cash because by the time the day ones are over, they're down to like five percent of the field or less. So, all the day ones cash, and then combine into one day two. So you may ask yourself, well, how do they do that? Because, um, how do they align the caches with each day? How are how is the la- like the last person to cash on each of the flights? Wouldn't it be more on some flights than others, depending on how many people busted and how many people entered and you know, the way the 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 pay structure is, is, is broken down by the computer. There's going to be different amounts cashed by the last person cashing on each of the day ones. So how do they handle it? Especially for day two, how do they handle that? So let me talk about our flight. My flight, which was flight 60B, the second flight, had, what was it? I'm trying to think the exact number. 1,600... Uh, let, me, let me go. I'm going to look up the exact numbers. It's, I think 1,600-something in our flight. I'm going to get the exact numbers so I can be accurate here. I posted about it, so I'll just go read my own post in the 2017 World Series of Poker Forum. Um, where is it? Here we are. So... How come it doesn't say this here? <laughs> uh, I, I know, I know where I am. It's actually in the poker community discussion forum it's called "How to Fix the, Se- the Second Money Bubble Problem on Day One." That's what it's called. So, yeah, my flight had sixteen hundred sixty-four people enter, and eighty-five survived, which was actually the highest percentage of survival of all the four flights. The last person to cash got two thousand twenty-three dollars. The min cash was thirteen hundred something. At, at the 15% mark, and then it, it yeah, at, the, at 250 people, they started paying. That's when the bubble burst. Okay, got down to 85, and then they ended the day because it had been 18 half-hour levels. So we had nine hours of play, 18 levels, 85 people were left. The last person to bust, the one who finished uh, 86, got, got uh, 2,023. Okay, flight A, the one before us, had 1,506 entrants. Only 58 people survived of that. And the maximum cash that day was 2751 So a big difference here because a lot more people busted that day for whatever reason. A lot fewer people made it to the end. Plus, it was a bit of a smaller field, so that made the maximum cash of day one much higher. It was 2751 where ours was 2023 Keep in mind, it was almost 31-something because had they... If there were 56 survivors instead of 58 on, day, on flight A, it would have been like 31-something. So that would have been even a bigger difference. Flight C had 93 out of 2,072 survive. The maximum cash that day was 2,204. Flight D, very large, 2,878 people entered, 137 survived for a maximum cash of 2,234. So you had different last caches on the day one for all four of these flights. Two of them are very similar, 
one of them was less, which is ours, and then one of them was much more, which is flight A. So what do you do for day two? At what point do you start the cash on day two? Because the next cash up for 2023 20, in our flight was like 21, 22 something. But if they did that, then people on day two would be cashing less than people who had cashed on day one in some of the other flights, like flight A. So how do they do it? I thought to myself, is it possible that I could make day two and actually get less money than some people who busted on day one? That didn't seem right to me. Well, I was happy at first to find out that the World Series does not let that happen. That in events like this, there's uh, the Crazy Eights is like this, the Giant is like this, Colossus is like this. Any event where they have multiple flights which get in the money on day one, the rule is that anyone who makes day two will get paid more than anyone who did not make day two. Which meant, for this event, since people got 2751 for flight A, who went on day one, who went out on day one, that meant that I was guaranteed more than that for day two. So I was happy about that. I, that was a quick pay jump there. The last I saw was 2023. Now I was guaranteed more than 2751 just for making day two, which I did not know. I only found this out after the day was over. They did not announce this. They didn't make it clear. No one knew this. So what this essentially was is a second money bubble, because if you think about it, think about when uh, the bubble burst. The bubble is where you go from making zero to making the min cash. So that's always a dramatic difference. But once you've made the min cash, Scott, what does everybody do in a min cash? Once the min cash bubble is broken, what does everybody do in a tournament who short stacked? Oh, they jump for joy. I mean, they're static. That they no, no, I've been in, in, in subsequent hands. What do they do right after the bubble bursts? Oh, they start shoving. Yeah, what, and, and the reason they start shoving is what? They've got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Right, because the pay jumps are very they, small from that point forward. They're very small. So so if you, you know, once the bubble bursts, you're not concerned that much whether you get uh, 1300 in cash or uh, 1500 it's, it's different than 0 to 1300 you know, At this point, it moves up very, very slowly. In fact, you could move up several hundred spots and not go up very much in, in pay. So... Everyone says, that, well, at this point, my goal is to accumulate chips. At this point, I'm not going to hold out for the, the gradual rise in pay, which I probably won't get to anyway because I'm so short-stacked. I might as well go for the gold here and try to uh, run my stack up. That's, that's what everyone's thought is when the bubble bursts. Okay? And that makes sense. But there's a second bubble. There is a second bubble in these events for making day two. Because if you look at it, if I busted on the final hand of the day with my tiny stack of day one, I would have gotten paid 2023. And yet, by making day two, by making it past that one hand, it jumps to at least 2751, probably more. But I still didn't know exactly what I would be guaranteed. They just said it would be more than 2751. But what does that mean? How much more? Well, it took a while for them to announce this, but shortly before day two started, they announced that Anyone who makes day two will get a minimum of $3,164. That, in case you do not have a calculator out, is 56.4% more than what you would have made if you busted on the final hand of day one in my flight. So I just got a 56.4% pay jump simply for making day two. There are no 56.4% pay jumps in these tournaments 
outside of the final table and outside of the bubble. So this really is a second bubble where there is a massive pay jump in relation to what was being paid in the place before. So literally just, you know, folding that last hand, not shipping in on that last hand, which I didn't know, by the way. I wasn't trying to make day two. I didn't know about the situation. I just didn't ship in that last hand because it sucked. I got dealt trash, okay? Otherwise, I would have shipped it in. But I got dealt trash, it folded, and that was that. I did not realize that fold got me guaranteed another $1,100 when I was only guaranteed initially $2,000. So I, I got a 56.4% rise in pay just by folding that one hand, which is crazy. It should not be that way. There should not be a second bubble like this. What was especially perplexing to me was why they made the day two cash so high. If they want to say, well, look, we can't make it less than the highest cash of any flight of day one. Okay, that makes sense. But then why not start it there? Why why jump another 400? Why go from 2751 to 3164? Like, like why add another $413 onto it? It didn't make any sense to me. Like, why, why not either start at 2751 or start a tiny bit higher than 2751? But, but why start $413 higher than 2751? Why, why start at 3164 and compound the problem? But what bothered me the most about this, and keep in mind, I benefited from this. I, I got extra money that I felt I really did not deserve or even know I would be getting by surviving day one. So this did not hurt me. I'm not, I'm not being a Jew bitching about money I didn't get. This is the reverse. I got the money. I got money. I think I didn't deserve it. And had I busted out on the last hand of the day and found this out, I would have been furious. Now I'm not furious because I gained from it, but I, I think it's wrong. And I'm, I'm being honest with you guys. So they did not inform people. I, I guess it's somewhere in the, in the documentation. If you like, Yes, it can be found somewhere online, supposedly, but I think only in the way the Colossus is described. I don't even think necessarily they described this event would be this way. But the point is not whether this is buried in the fine print somewhere. The, the point is that most people did not know this, and I guarantee you as a participant in this event, as someone who was there in this event, as someone who was sitting next to other short stacks, nobody realized that making day two was going to significantly increase their pay. Nobody was aware. When I say nobody, I don't mean zero people, but nobody I saw or talked to or was at my table was aware of this. Nobody knew. This is not widely known. Now, if you've cashed before in the Colossus, then you probably knew. So yeah, it's probably whoever's been there before and cashed in the Colossus and thought about this fact would probably know it. If you cash in the Giant, you probably know that's a new event, but you know, maybe someone who cashed in the Giant knows. Though They may not because they haven't played Day 2 of the Giant yet. Or if you cashed in this event last year, I guess you would know. But otherwise, you're not going to know. So I can tell you the vast, vast majority of the people in this event did not know. There was a second bubble that most people did not know about, and I accidentally made it past there. So what do you do about it, though? What, what can be done? I thought about it. I thought, well, what would, what would be the solution here? So I, I tweeted, actually, to the World Series what I thought was a decent solution. I tweeted, as much as I enjoyed getting a 55% pay jump, it was actually 56%, uh, for making day two of the 888, this should be changed. Halt day one after the bubble to fix this. So I was trying to say, as soon as you get to the bubble, just stop it. Stop every flight at the bubble and then continue on day two, where everybody's guaranteed to, to min cash, and then go from there. Then you won't have this problem. So, well, Wait, you do run into an issue, Todd. What is that? 
to run into a huge issue there. What if each flight ends on a different level? Right. So this is, that was the World Series of Poker's answer. They said, can't halt the bubble at different times and levels. This has been done a few years this way. No way to know numbers of, number of entries. This way has worked. Now, this way has worked doesn't mean anything. That's now, I don't know who gave this response. I know Kev Matthews uses that account sometimes. I know uh, Seth Polanski uses it sometimes. I know other people use it sometimes. So I, I don't know who's operating it, so I'm not going to call out any individual who gave me that response. But I don't understand what they mean by this way has worked. Uh, it's worked in that the, the World Series hasn't crashed and burned, but it doesn't mean it's fair. That doesn't mean it's right. It just means that that's the way they're doing it, and, and that's what they've chosen. But... As you said, the different level thing can be an issue. What do you do about that? What do you do if somebody has, uh, you know, if one stops at level 18, one stops at level 16, uh, and then you know, where do you continue? You know, can you for, you know, how is it fair to force people to jump up to a higher level without playing ones in the middle that they expected to play? So a guy named Michael Juno, who I believe listened to this show, responded to both me and the World Series. He said, Stop day one once 15% of the field is left. Once late registration ends, you know the total of entries for the day. Insurers top 15%. Play day two and, and payouts are accurate. On day two, revert the blind levels all to the, the back to the shortest day one. Reverting the level is much less severe than a 50% pay jump on the second bubble. So what he's trying to say is just, just step back. Whatever. If some levels have gotten ahead, just step back to the level that was earliest. And start from there. And I'll even go farther and say just start it at the exact moment. So if, if it ends with a 23 minutes and 14 seconds left of level 16, and that's the earliest one to end as far as what level it's at, then start everybody at 23, 14, level 16. Well, you may say, well, that's got a problem too. People who've already been to level 18, now they have to take a step back to level 16? Well, yes, but uh, there's no perfect solution here. There's no way to have multiple flights that all cash on day one and not have some kind of weird wrinkle into it where there's something non-standard. So it's a matter of picking what's the least impactful to the whole thing. And I think, I, I agree with Michael Juno that that's probably the least impactful way to do things. Uh, but there's a secondary way I thought of after this, because I, I proposed this both on Poker Fraud Alert, you know, by reposting what Michael Juno posted, and also on 2 Plus 2 I brought this up. And... Some people disagreed. Some people didn't like this. And so I, I said uh, another way to possibly do this. In fact, someone, some people complain that the World Series of Poker actually wants people to bust on day one in the money. So, number one, they can re-register. Because you actually can re-register for other flights if you have no more chips. So you actually can cash twice in these events. I could not have re-registered because I still had chips left. But had I busted, I actually could have re-registered for another flight. So they want people to do that to pump up the numbers, and they also uh, they don't want a payout fiasco because if everyone busts at the same time at the bubble, they're going to have a massive line of the payouts, which is true, and that happens at Colossus. Wait, Todd, did you just say you can get paid twice in this event? You you can't. I didn't. I I did not cash, but you can cash twice in this event. Yes. Wouldn't you have to if you re-enter? Wouldn't you have to fold your? Uh, I mean, forfeit your stack. No, 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 I couldn't have because I did have a stack. If I had busted on day one and cashed, then I could have re-entered. Otherwise, on this one, on this one, I, I, my choices were either to not re-enter or forfeit my stack. Oh, I understand that. So okay. I, I was not going to forfeit my stack, but uh, um, th- those were my choices. But I'm saying if you bust day one but, but, but bust late enough to where you cash, you can re-enter, and then if you cash again, you will have cashed twice. 
But anyway, the, so there's so many people on 2 Plus 2 were saying the World Series wants this situation. They want people to be able to cash twice. They want people to re-enter after busting, even if they cashed. And they also don't want a huge flood of people on the bubbles. We don't put all the bubble, all the people together right when the bubble bursts and then have a massive line of people to pay out. Okay, okay, makes sense. You're right, okay? So that, that is a flaw in Michael Juno's plan. So I came back with another response. I said, okay, how about this? In order to prevent the huge glut of people that will show up if you put all the people in a, a huge event like this together on the same day right after the bubble burst, how about you just play down to like 7% of the field left? And and then um, on, on flight A, flight A plan to play to 7% of the field. So you eliminate a lot of people right there as the World Series wants. Get to 7%. And then see whatever the cash is, whatever the whatever they're paying out at that point at, at the seven percent mark, okay? And make that the goal cash for the rest of the flights. So let's say the cash at the seven percent mark is is twenty three hundred fifty dollars, okay? So then that's what you're going to play to on the other flights. So flight B will play until the cash is within a hundred dollars either way of twenty three fifty. Meaning if the if the, once the next cash between becomes twenty two eighty four, twenty four zero one, anything within a hundred dollars either way of twenty three fifty. You stop. That's when you stop. And same with every other flight. You will play until you get within $100 of that goal cash amount that was established at 7% of the first field. Uh, You're still going to have the level problem where people will be on different levels. But then that's where you take the point where you just take uh, the earliest level that stopped and revert to that and go from there. Because if you do this, then... It solves most of the problems. Then you don't have everybody cashing at once and, and creating a huge line. You still have it where people can bust and re-enter the next day, even if they cashed. You still have most of the field eliminated. You still only have a small percentage, well under 10%, that's coming back for day two. You know, under 7, 7% or under. And you don't have a big money jump because everybody's top cash on day one will be within $100 of each other. So then there's no big jump. Is it perfect? No. Is it without impact? No. Is there a way to do it without impact? No. You can't there's no way to do it. I feel that is the best way to do it. I just and if you're not going to do this, if if they say no, we like it the way it is, we're not changing it, which is pretty much what they're saying. I don't think they're going to change it. They say when they say it's worked, that means we're stubborn, we're not changing anything. We <laughs> we think you're wrong, we're not changing it. That's what the World Series is saying to me. So fine, that's their choice. This is my opinion. I think it's wrong. I think it's weird. I think it's arbitrary. I think it's stupid. But fine. That's my opinion. You guys have yours. You run the tournament. I don't. But if you're going to stick to your scheme, make it very, 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 very clear to every single player there as the end of day one starts to approach that if you make day two, you're going to get a big pay jump. And if necessary, do hand-for-hand hand at the enders. I, I, you've got to do something to make people aware, everybody aware, that there is a big second bubble. Otherwise, it's not fair. Otherwise, it's not fair to where those who know there's a second bubble can play differently. Because I'll tell you, I don't play for the bubble, but if I knew with this tiny stack that folding one or two more hands that aren't even on the blinds would get me a 56% pay jump, you better believe I'd fold there. I'm not going to fold a good hand. You know, if I get dealt ace-king, ace-queen, yeah, I'm shipping it in. But you know, if, if I get dealt uh, the, the queen-ten type thing, I'm not shipping it in with that. 
if if I if I get if I can fold two hands and make it fifty six percent more than what I had originally in, in guaranteed cash. I didn't know this. I I just happened to make day two, not knowing this, but everyone should know this. So they have to make it very very clear to everybody about this. But you know what? I bet they won't. Because they, they seem like they really believe this is working. They seem like they really believe they found a, a magic formula that this is great. But th- there really is a second bubble here on these events that no one knows about. Not no one, but most people don't know about. Now, now Scott, how do you feel the solution I proposed? What would be, in your opinion, the best way to do this? Um, you stop at 15% of the field or even the 7%, but you set some percentage mark. Okay, you know, someone suggested that too. I think it was Snake in the Ass suggested, why don't you just stop at 5%? And I said, well, the problem still well, is... Well, not 5. 5 is way too much. Well, that's actually what they did stop at. They stopped at 4.5%. And that's, 4.5% came back to day 2. That's actually what they did. But uh, they didn't try to get there, but that's what got there of, of, for the time they allotted in the first day. 18 levels in the first day produced uh, only 4% of the... 4.5% of the field coming back. That's exactly what happened. But uh, he was saying just uh, just... Just send the top 5% on to day two. But the, the only problem there is you can still have an issue because there's different numbers of people entering on, uh, on each day that the payouts are going to be different. So you're still going to have these big pay jumps. Especially if you have it. Like Flight A had the situation of both the fewest entrants and a low percentage of people making it through. And that's what makes it a big differential. But that can easily happen. So that I, I'm trying to make it so it's just absolutely impossible to have a big jump between day one and day two. Just totally prevent the ever ever being a possibility of a second bubble. And I think the way I came up with it is the only way you can do that without without bringing the whole 15% back the next day and creating a, a massive number of people cashing at the same time. The problem is here, you're talking about the Rio. Okay. And you already know all the other issues at the Rio. You can't think anything's going to be running good there. I mean, everything's a fail. There's going to be no right or wrong answer, no matter what you come up with. Not you personally, but whoever decides on it. You're not going to satisfy everybody is the biggest issue. Yeah, well... And then you have four... Is each day a consecutive starting day? This is is like every other tournament except the Giant, I'm assuming? As as far as I can see, there's three, unless there's something I'm forgetting, I believe there's three tournaments this applies to every year. There's the Colossus, there's the Giant, and then there's the Crazy Eights. The only one I played this year of those, well, actually, I played the Giant and busted very fast, but um, the only one I I cashed in this year where this became, I was made aware of this because it affected me, was Crazy Eights, but I only became aware after I made Day 2, which kind of pissed me off because I'm like, you know, there's a big second, second bubble I didn't know about. I happened to get past it, but I, I didn't know about it. So that's what pissed me off. And there's many who busted on Day 1 that also did not know about it. In fact, most people who busted on Day 1 did not know about it and probably would have held on to Day 2 if they did. So they, at the very least, they've got to make people aware of this. But I, I bet they won't. I bet they're not going to change a damn thing. Well, it's only it's in the fine print somewhere, and then they won't be able to show you. I mean, we know how it is. Yeah, but even if it is, though, that's not sufficient. They need to remind people of it. They need to. They, this is a very important thing that people need to know, and because it's non-standard, a little bit weird, this should be something they really make everyone aware of. Not just hey, we we printed it somewhere, so we're off the hook. If they want to run a good event, they need to make everyone know that there are two bubbles here. 
because there's really two bubbles here. And I will know if I ever play an event like this again. I don't play the Colossus, and I'm not going to play the Giant again. I think it's a Giant fail. The, the Giant really is a Giant fail. What, what sucks about the Giant is the Giant, the structure is so awful, and it's so fast. It's really like playing a nightly event that has a bracelet. It's, it's terrible. There's, no, there's such little play. It's just such an all-in fest from a, very early on. You start with a relatively big stack of 20,000, but then the blinds go up so fast that the 20,000 is meaningless. So this 888 event, yeah, the, the, the levels were 30 minutes, but there was actually a fair amount of play. Now, on day two, there wasn't much play. On day two, it was a shove fest, and I noticed that some people who came in day two with a lot of chips just were gone fast. Which must have I, I wasn't one of them. I was a tiny stack, but I would have been very depressed if I were some of these people who came in with a very nice stack in day two and then just bricked out pretty early because you're just you know everyone's all in, all in, and you know it runs out and you lose. So uh, that was one problem with that event. But overall, I didn't. I, I kind of liked the Crazy Eights event in a way. Like I, I did like the fact that I'll tell you a few things I liked about it. I like that it's eight handed. Um. As far as no limit goes, I, I don't feel I'm that good at six-handed. So while I love six-handed limit hold'em, uh, six-handed no limit, I don't. Uh, I think there's better players in that field than me. I'm not sure how comfortable I'd feel there, so I don't play those events anymore. Uh, I but the nine and ten-handed no limits, I feel is too much. I kind of wanted something in between. I, I kind of feel like like eight is a good uh, number of people at the table for my style of no limit hold'em tournaments. So I like the eight-handed. Uh, aspect of it. Uh, I didn't love the half-hour levels, but it, it, at least the structure was slow enough to, on the first day to where you do get some play in. It's not just a shove fest on day one. And and the rebuy thing, you know, it actually, the rebuy, what's good about it is it does run up entries fast, and there are some people who are very reckless with the rebuy. They just show up and just, you know, all in, all in. They're very, very reckless with their chips. And this actually benefits people who are not, because it runs up the entries and, uh, you know, so, so you benefit... It builds the prize pool. Yeah, it builds the prize pool, right. So if you do cash in it, you do better. And, like, when I, I made it to the final 4.5% here, but it didn't feel like I did, because a lot of these were just rebuys that just kept shooting off. But whatever, it's still it's still 8120 entries, and I still made it down to 356. So, you know, that's a, so I got almost four times the buy-in. So that's, that's not spectacular, but uh, it's... Uh, so I, I th- I'll play it next year. I'm not going to go out of my way to play it, but I'll play it if, if it fits in my schedule next year. So I don't want to say I hate this event because I didn't. I, I hated the Giant. I thought the Giant sucked. Right when I started playing the Giant, I thought it sucked. And I said, you know what? Win or lose this thing, I'm not coming back to this next year. And I'm not, I'm not playing it. Well, you few- kind of brought up the big issue with the Giant, but you left out the biggest one. What's that? Okay. The issue you brought up was that it's just like a regular nightly tournament. Yeah. It's a regular regular nightly tournament over four or five weeks. I guarantee you, anybody that's going to play it and win it is most likely going to be from the West Coast. How many East Coasters are going to play it and go, oh, okay, I cash. Now I got to come back down and get it. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass that you have to come. For, yeah, day two is actually on July 8th. It's this Saturday. And you've got to come all the way back. And you're right, for people on the East Coast, it sucks. Now, I, I guess you make it fairly. What are you coming up for? $700? Yeah, I know. That's what's crappy. Is you're, you're, yes, a lot of people bust, but I, I don't even know what the min cash is. But it, yeah, you could end up spending more on airfare. Uh, and hotels than than you would for uh, for the min cash that you're guaranteed for the giant. So yeah, if you're if you're fairly short stacked, it probably feels stupid to come back. And you're right, that definitely would have to be figured in when you choose to play it. 
being from the West, I didn't worry about it. And being that I was going to be, you know, if I, if I made day two of the Giant, I, I'm coming for the main event anyway. I would have just come a day earlier, so that would have been fine for me. But uh, and that's why I was willing to play it. But uh, yeah, if I was from the East Coast, I would not have played it. And uh, that's that's a weird gimmick they have too. So I don't like the Giant at all. Uh, the eight 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 event. Uh, I, I actually, you know, it grew on me. I, I said it was stupid originally, but uh, look, I other than the weird thing with the caching, which actually did help me, even though I think it's stupid and unfair, uh, I did like the event for the most part, and it did break my no cash in 2017 World Series streak that was happening. You know what was also annoying here is that I was getting deep in every freaking event, except for like two of them, and I wasn't cashing. It was pissing me off. I got prior to this, I had gotten deep in four of the six events I played, plus deep in a satellite, and didn't cash in any of them. Now you're not going to cash every time you get deep, but I mean, can you imagine getting deep all those times and having zero to show for it, as if you just busted on the first hand? It's, it's it was it was really demoralizing. So there were there were only two events I played this year where I where I was out pretty quickly. Everything else I played, I was I was in contention. Everything else I played. So I had this weird feeling as I was playing, like every event I'm competitive, every event is, is looking good at some point, and yet I was cashing in nothing. So it's fine. It's good that I finally got that monkey off my back and cashed this. And uh, um, I'm going to be playing the main event on Sunday. Uh, I, you know, I've made a few tweaks to my style this year, and that may actually explain, even though results-wise, as far as what I cashed, it wasn't very good this year. I only cashed in that. 888 event of the seven things I played. Uh, I, I did, as I said, I got deep in some of these, and if a few things fell differently, I could have had a lot of caches. I could have had some big caches. I, I actually, I'm not going to say what they are because I may have some people listening here who play me at the main event. So I'm not going to say what they are. But I, I made a few tweaks this year, where as I thought back to previous events I've played. And in some spots, there was nothing I could have done. Some spots, it's automatic and, uh, you know, just the cards fell the way they did. Other times, I thought about, hmm, could I have done something differently? And then I also thought about my general style. Is there something that I could be doing differently with that that uh, I could improve? And I did come up with something that I thought I could do better and that I thought would not be a huge departure from my existing style. I mean, yeah, I could say I'm going to change my whole style to something completely different, but that's not easy to do. But something that goes along with my existing style, but I felt would benefit me, would, would work better. And from what I saw in all the events I played, it actually did. I know I'm being results-oriented, but there were a number of times where I saw it saved me chips. Saved me or made me chips. So... Uh, yeah, you know, I'm coming to the World Series main event with this little tweak. I'll see if it helps me at all. And I'll see if I can get back into the money in that one. The last few years I've uh I've struggled. I had a few years in a row where I got deep in it. You know, 2010 I got 88 out of 7300 something people. Uh 11 and 12 I got very deep and didn't cash. In fact, if they were paying 15% those years, I think uh one of the two or two of the two I would have cashed. Because I made it past 80% both years. And I think I think one year I made it to like the 86% mark. The other year was like the 83% mark. So I think one year I would have just missed it. The other year I would have uh, cashed. 
but then they were only paying 10%, so I did not. But since and then 13, I got to a great start and was one of uh, – or no, and, and at 13, I made it pretty deep too. And I, in fact, I was uh, among the top ones in chips. Not the top, but you know, in the upper echelon of chips after the day one. Uh, then I busted day three in, in 13, and then uh, since then, 14, 15, 16, I, I just didn't do well. I think uh, 14, 14, I think I went out day one. Yeah, I did. 14, I went out day one. 15, 16, I made day two, but didn't go anywhere and was at both of them. So I haven't seen a day three since 2013, and I haven't seen a cash in this since 70 years ago in 2010. So the time has come for me to cash in this damn thing again. So we shall see. Nobody has a piece of me in this one. This is owned entirely by me, the main event. And I've had people ask me, you know, can I buy a piece of you? And I keep saying, no, 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 no. And I'll tell you the reason why. Um, I don't want to sell like 40% of myself here. And then strike lightning and make the final table or even win it or finish second or third. I know that's unlikely, but it, it could happen. And then have to give away 40% of millions of dollars. And I, I may sound like a selfish Jew saying that, but it's, it's the truth. It's like, I, I don't mind sharing six-figure, five-figure, four-figure caches that I get at these things. But if it's going to be some kind of massive payout, if I get really lucky in one of these, I'm going to feel like a real fool for selling it off when I can afford to play it. So because the upside, the potential upside, while unlikely, is so high, I don't want to sell off any of it. And that's that's the honest truth here. So when, some people may ask, well, okay, we'll sell less, sell 5%, sell 10%. Well, no, because everyone then everyone's going to want to buy it. You know, I'm not going to just sell to one or two people. Like I, Yeah, I could sell 10%, it wouldn't be a big deal, but then there's other people who want to buy. I don't want to be unfair to those who keep asking to buy, and I say no, and then I, I secretly sell 10% to somebody. So yeah, I just I just say, screw it. I'm, this is an event I'm just not going to sell. I, I now sell every other event except for that and except for something... Like I added the giant at the last minute, and that's three hundred sixty-five dollar buy-in, and I didn't sell any of that for obvious reasons. But uh, this is one I will not sell. And you know, I I, I include events where I I think I have big equity, like the fifteen hundred limit hold'em. I think I have big equity in that one. You saw I just bubbled this year. If you look at my history, I've been cashing or coming you know, very close in recent years with that. I, I'm seemingly always deep in that one, and. Uh, so there's there's some of these that uh, have big equity, and I sell anyway. Would you swap with the right person? Uh, yes. Yeah, so the reason I would swap with the right person is, and I, I I can't say for sure, but I think yes because there I can still like get the same sort of luck. Like if I'm if I'm selling a piece of myself, the only thing I'm gaining from it is just getting my making my buy-in less. If I'm swapping with someone, well, I could bust and they could win, and then I get millions of dollars, <laughs> so, so, uh, or, or, or hundreds of thousands or something. Like I, I could get a big windfall. There's still a big upside to me to, to swap, but the problem is like the, when I sell the main event, it's like my upside is is capped fairly low, and my downside is is not uncapped but pretty damn high. So that's that's what I don't like about it, and I, I'm willing to do that for the other events because the amount I'll be Giving away is not bad. Like, you know, I finished fifth in the 2013 5K limit hold'em. Cashed 50-something thousand. Okay. You know, I actually sold 55% of that. I sold more than I wanted to, but that's what I sold. So, yeah, I had to give away 55%. What, was I unhappy? No, I, I was actually happy for people that uh, 
the people who had bought in for me that weren't making money in previous years that they made some money that year. Okay, great. You know? So uh, uh, I, I, even if I had won it, even if I had won it, I went and said, oh, now I've got to give away uh, – because I think the win was like 213000 or something or something like that. Maybe maybe a little bit more, but whatever. It was, it was in the low six figures. So if I had to give away half of it, okay, I give away half of it. That's, that's part of it that's not uh, that's not life-changing money. It's nice money, but it's not life-changing money. But, you know, I, I, I'm not going to want to give away – a large piece of, of a huge windfall if I get lucky enough to make the final table and even make it deeper than that. So, and and for those of you who say, oh, you're never going to do that. I, I was 88th in 2010, and and all in to in a race to if I win it, I'm I, I'm average chips with 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 88 left. So, believe me, had I won that race, anything could have happened from there. With 88 left that deep in there, so. I have to get lucky to get in that spot again, but it's not—it's uh, it's not like I'm dead money and there's no chance I'll get there. So that, that's the reason I don't do it. All right, so let's uh, let's take a look here. Um, final thing I want to talk about the World Series, and then we'll go on to the Alec Torelli story, and I'll play you some clips of him. And that's—I've got a lot of opinions on that one. Chris Ferguson is in the running to be the World Series of Poker Player of the Year. Now, as it stands, and by the way, not too long ago, a few days ago, he was number one. But uh, he's been passed by three people. Ryan Hughes currently leads with 758 points. John Raisner, who must be really happy at this point that he paid Mark Klang back. And that that's over because he's second with 729 points because this would this would be dogging him for a long time. If, if he screwed Mark Klang and didn't make it right and this was still hanging over his head, any if he became the World Series Player of the Year, this would be dogging him. This would really get in the way of any endorsement opportunities he could get. This could really screw him. So he was he was smart to cough up that money, and I'm sure he's happy right now that he coughed up that money since he's uh, one spot away from Player of the Year with the World Series. So he's uh, at 729 John Manetti, angry John Manetti, $697, dollars, 697 points. But right behind him, right behind angry John, is Chris, Chris Ferguson with 693 Now, the winner is only, that's all that really matters here. And they don't get that much for winning, they just get it. They have an entry into the uh, 2018 main event. That's all they get. So monetarily, they don't get that much. These guys are entering so many tournaments. That's the only, the only way you can get up here is by entering a ton of tournaments. You, like with a schedule like mine, you're never going to be player of the year. You're just not playing enough events. You have to constantly play. In case you're curious, uh, b- behind Chris Ferguson are Ray Henson, Ben Yu, James Ost, Alex Foxen, Barry Greenstein, and Mike Leah. Those are the top ten. Negranu, if you're wondering, is 14th. Though he's he's deep in an event right now, so he could rock it up too. So Ferguson is 693, and yes, he's 65 points behind Ryan Hughes right now, but that can easily change. So the question is, what if he wins? What if Ferguson wins after everything that he's done, involving full tilts and? How they stole all our money. Uh, Chris Ferguson is a very hated player now. People are 
rooting for him not to be the player of the year. But what's the solution to this? What if he were to win it? Would they put his banner up in the World Series? Because they've, they've been putting a banner up with their, all the players of the year in one of the rooms where the World Series is played. The World Series is played in several rooms. There's the Amazon room, there's the uh, Brasilia room, there's the Miranda room now, there's the Pavilion room, which is a big room. So there's a number of rooms where, where these events play. And in these rooms, there's various banners. And the banners consist of the main event champions and the players of the year. By the way, back in 2005, I was close to player of the year, despite the fact that I played a whopping four events. Just for finishing first and third in those two events, that uh, first two I entered. And I actually almost cashed in the third event I entered. I, I entered a uh, no-limit event, I think a, one, uh, a 1500 no-limit event. I came very close to cashing in that one. It wasn't quite the stone bubble, but I was, I was close. That wouldn't have put me over, but if I had done that plus like a decent showing in the main event, which I ended up breaking, I could have been the player of the year. It ended up going to Alan Cunningham, by the way. But I was I was in the running. I was I was one of the top ones. That couldn't happen anymore this year. There's just too many events and too many people who play tons and tons of events that and that wasn't going on as much back in 05. So anyway, back to 2017. If Chris Ferguson were to win. Uh, would they put his banner up? And how would people feel about that after everything he's done that his banner would be sitting up at the World Series? Now, keep in mind Russ Hamilton. He was a main event champion in 94. His banner was once up there but is no longer anywhere to be seen. It was uh, At first, it was tarped. where they, they put a black tarp over it, which is kind of weird. Like, why not just take it down? And then that's eventually what they did. They just took it down. It's just gone. And I think they figured... Everyone hates Russ. No one's going to say, hey, where's Russ's banner? And the banners are strewn about the different rooms, so they're not even totally in order. So it's hard to even notice that he's not there. You have to look for it to notice he's not there. So I guess they figured it's better to have it absent than present and removed it. But okay, that was, that was a main event champion from 23 years ago. What about someone who's the player of the year in 17? And you see up there all the other players of the year in the 2010s and going back to the, the the zeros when they started this so what why is you know are they going to just leave 17 out and not put Chris Ferguson up or just say okay he he could play so he he won it we're putting him up there he won it fair and square i don't know what they would do i really don't know what they would do i think they'd probably just put it up there i think they would put it up there and i think people would be unhappy I think the mistake here is not so much putting up his banner if he wins it. I think the mistake here is allowing Chris Ferguson to play in the first place. And you may say, wait a minute. Chris Ferguson didn't do anything wrong at the World Series. He has never, to my knowledge, committed any kind of offense or rule violation, or at least major rule violation at the World Series. So why should he be banned from there for something he did in his personal life? Well, because this was something that majorly affected Thousands, in fact, millions of poker players. In fact, it affected many people who would have come to the World Series but could not because they did not have the money to once it was stolen on full tilt. Yes, they got it back years later, but that was only thanks to poker stars. And even though they got their money back for years, they were out of action. So this not only negatively affected the players, it negatively affected the World Series. The World Series made less money because of what full tilt did. That's a fact. 
Caesars has a right to ban anyone from anything for just about any reason. I say just about is they can't say, um, yeah, we're, we're kicking you out because you're black. We don't like black people. That, that would be a violation of a federal law. But they can say, we're, we're kicking you out because we just don't like you. Why don't you like me? We're not telling you. We just don't like you. Get out. And unless you could prove there was some form of uh, racial or uh, gender or age or uh, sexual preference discrimination, unless you could prove that, which is hard to prove, then you have no recourse. They have a right at any casino to tell you, we just don't want you here anymore. We're not giving you an answer. In fact, I've watched people get kicked out for that reason. I've watched them, I watched them kick out a guy one time, not from the World Series, but uh, just some guy in a casino. And they said, uh, sir, we're, we're going to have to ask you to leave. He says, why? And they said, because it's our decision. You're leaving. We don't want you here anymore. That's all. <laughs> and they took him out. That was it. And it was totally legal to do that. I, I don't know what he did, but uh, for whatever reason, they didn't want him anymore. So they, they can do it. They do not have to give you a reason. So they could have told Chris Ferguson and Howard Lederer because of what you guys did, we're not going to allow you to play here anymore. In fact, they could go a step further and say, y- y- your presence is going to create a disruption here. So for that reason, we don't want you. And they can do that. They can't be sued. They can't be... Uh, nothing can be done about it. It is their right to say that. It is their right to say, we don't like the way you handle, handle full tilt. Uh, it's going to create a disruption. People are going to be angry when they see you. We don't want you here. Totally 100% legal. For whatever reason, the World Series is not doing that. Uh, There has not been much disruption as far as Howard and Chris playing. I mentioned on a recent show that I had a long talk with Howard. I even have his phone number. uh, About uh, stuff that happened with Full Tilt. And I'm not done talking to him. I'm going to talk to him again about this stuff. But... They, they they don't have to let them play there. They don't have to. And once they do let them, then if they win Player of the Year, I, I hate to say it, but uh, they probably have to display the banner. They don't have to, but I think at that point, that's probably the correct thing to do. And it pains me to say that, but, but if Chris won, I wouldn't cry for him if they didn't display the banner, but I would understand the decision to display it. Because if you're going to let him play, you should let him be Player of the Year. If you don't want to be Player of the Year, don't let him play. It shouldn't be this middle ground. Now, Russ Hamilton was different because he won the bracelet in 94 and, and he cheated everybody in the 2000s. So, okay, you know, they didn't know when he won in 94 he was going to cheat people in the 2000s, so th- that's a different story as far as displaying his banner, and now they don't anymore. But, but here they are knowingly allowing Chris Ferguson to play even knowing what he did and knowing people's reaction to him. So if they're going to allow that, then they've got to allow all the benefits that he will derive from that that everybody else would get, such as winning player of the year. So how do you feel about that? You there, Scott? Do we lose Scott? No, he's here. Sorry about that. How do you feel about Chris Ferguson? Do you think they should display the banner? And what do you think? Do you think they should have let him play in the first place this year? I think people should have set their cars on fire. <laughs> Find his in particular and start with that one. So what if you win? No, seriously. I mean, I mean, if the guy's allowed to play, he should be allowed to win. It's not a, um, not a membership thing. If it's a, if it's a sport where you have to pay membership and pay your dues, and you don't pay them, you can be left out of awards. But it's not a membership thing. He's welcome to play. 
let the man win. I, I wouldn't be happy with it, but rules are the rules. What do yeah. you want to do? Now, but thumbs up. It doesn't mean it's a raise. Yeah, no, I, no, I agree. <laughs> I agree. But now, as far as if, if it was left up to you, if they put this decision in your hands, should Chris Ferguson be allowed to play at all at the World Series before this season started? Would you have said yes or no? I would have said no. I think he screwed too many people. I think everybody that can be um, reasonably found guilty or or be brought to court for what happened, him, letter, anybody else, just don't let him back. Don't let him back in the community. Yeah, I agree. It's plain I, and simple. I, but I, but until somebody stands up and and enforces it, whether it's the World Series, whether it's the World Poker Tour, whether it's an individual casino, nothing's going to be done. Yeah, I, I, you know, we I, as players I, can do nothing except except speak about it. Yeah, I, I agree, and and as I said, they they could have just told them you're creating too much of a disruption, or or there's too many people to be unhappy, or there or there's people who who couldn't play here for years because of what you guys did. And and if they look, Howard said when I talked to him at the 10K Limit event, he kept saying this wasn't me, this wasn't me. I'm getting I'm getting wrongfully blamed for something Ray Petard did. And, uh, you know, I didn't have control over the situation, and by the time I found out, it was too late. That's basically what he told me. So whether that's true or not, anyone who seems to be guilty of it, like Howard, and I said this to him at the table. I'm not saying on this radio show. I said this to him several times at the table, that you need to show everyone how you are not guilty. You need to find a way to show them if this is the truth. So and that should be the only way that these guys should come back. I think they should be banned, and then they should be told, okay, if you want to come back, Show us that what is believed about you is not true. Show everyone that what is believed about you is not true. And if if uh, if we decide that you were falsely accused, and uh, th- then we'll let you back. Something like that. Where the, where the if, if the public becomes convinced that they were wrongfully uh, blamed for this, and it was really Ray Batar and, and only Ray Batar, then then fine, then come back. Otherwise, no. And that's that's what I feel. But but yeah, once once they're allowed to play. Then you have to let them win. Then you have to let them win any awards that come with, uh, you know, if he wins a bracelet, award him the bracelet. Let him do the ceremony. If he went player of the year, put his banner up. Yeah, you have to do it. You have to do it because if you're going to let him play, then he should have the same right to everybody, you know, to everything that comes with playing, as, as much as I hate to say that. Are these guys the, are these guys really the reason why Jason Mercier does what he does now? What do you mean by that? So he doesn't lash out. He brings his little puppy, a cute little puppy. Oh, he brings his puppy. That's right. <laughs> you haven't seen that? Yeah, I've, I've I've heard about it. I haven't I haven't actually seen it. But, you know, he was actually at an event. When was he? he was at a few events I was at, but he was never at or near my table. But like I saw him on the list of players, and he never got that anything I played. He never got that deep either. He seemed to be out pretty fast in everything I played. He's not the only one that does it, but he's the he's the biggest name for sure that does it. I mean, until Negreanu does it, I'm sure that would be he. He'll stay the biggest name that decides to bring his puppy everywhere he goes on the real property. It's so cute, <laughs> but so disgusting too. I mean, well, I I don't even understand <laughs> it. Like I I wouldn't want to have a dog with me when I'm I'm playing. It's just a, it's a distraction, and it's uh like why 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 bring the dog? You see the dog when you get home, you know. <laughs> a, I I actually leave I leave my dog for for weeks when I go play the World Series, and the so. My dog is, is is twelve years old and honestly wouldn't uh, would not enjoy sitting with me during the World Series anyway. So you know that actually brings up another question: How's that work if somebody can prove that they're allergic to dogs at the table? That's a good question. Is that, I, I, 
I, is he doing this because he's claiming it's a it's a service dog? Like, how are they allowing, or are they just allowing it because he's a big name? Is is that what's going on? Like, I don't I don't want to speak for him. I don't know him like that. Yeah, because there's there, if I knew the if I knew the guy, I might tell you. But yeah, because I, I've wondered about that. Like, like how I do people no get idea. how do people get dogs at the tables? I, I would have thought that's prohibited, but. Uh, May, you know, there's a lot of ways you can do it these days by saying it's a service dog, an emotional service dog. There's a lot of different ways you can claim it's a service dog, and maybe that's what he's doing. Or maybe they're just lax about this, or maybe there's no formal rule about dogs at the table, and they don't want to enforce it because they want someone like Jason Mercy to be happy. So, like, like for example, to show you the favoritism that goes on, uh, Negranu is constantly videoing things at the table. He videos stuff... Uh, I don't know if he videos with actually. With his little vlog. Yeah, for his vlog. And he posts it, and they have no problem with it. They told me, you know, the Poker Fraud Alert has a media pass. And, and I don't think Negranu has one. But uh, we have a media pass, and I was told, I can't do this. I, I cannot record at the tables. I can I have very specific places where I can record anything. I cannot just whip out my phone and record at the table. If I do that, they'll, they'll get mad at me. They'll take away my media pass, and that'll be that. And I, I, you know, I, I, I follow the rules. I, I know what the rules are. I follow them, and I know if I don't, they're going to come down on me. But Negranu, he just does what he wants with with these recordings, and they're not going to interfere because he's a big name. They're not going to tell him Negranu don't record. They're just going to let him do it because they, you know, certain names at the World Series get certain favors. I, I've mentioned before, I played with Phil Ivey once at Limit Hold'em, and when the day was over, he just walked away. He didn't bag his chips. He walked away, and the floor man bagged it for him. He didn't get a penalty. No one gave him a hard time. The floor man just they bagged his chips. They did everything for him. Because he's Phil Ivey. That's the, that's the, if I walked away and didn't bag my it's chips... It's all about who you are, Todd. If I walked away and didn't bag my chips, I'd come back the next day with a note, 20-minute uh, penalty for you for not bagging the chips. I, I know for sure that's what I'd get. So, And I'd get a lecture about, you know, what, who do you think you are walking away and not bagging your chips? Why should we have to bag your chips for you? Like, I'm trying to get that whole thing for them. So, And not just me. I'm not saying, it's, it's, I'm not saying they're picking on me. They, just about every player who would do that would get that treatment, except for the big names there. So there's a... And then there's Phil Helmy. You know, look, he got uh, Jared Blesnick let back in from a lifetime ban within three days because he he spoke up for him. So uh, not even spoke up. He, he quietly went to Jack Effel and talked him into it and said, hey, it's important to me do this. And it was supposed to be a hush-hush thing. And then uh, um, I found out it happened. <laughs> so <laughs> this was not widely known how, that Phil got him in either. It was, it was a big secret that uh, I found out about. But... Uh, Look, it's yeah. You know, there's been favoritism there for for years, and I just when I see Negreanu recording, and I don't have a problem. I don't care if he wants to record for his vlog. It doesn't bother me. Like it's it's not that him doing that is not an issue to me. I just I just think, wow, if I did that, there's no way they, this would fly. They would not let me do even with a media pass. They would not let me do this. So like someone even asked, like when I was having my issues with Phil Helmuth on the about the thumbs up raise at the fifteen hundred limit hold'em. Someone asked, did you record the whole thing with you and Phil? And I said, I would have loved to, but that's against the rules there, and I would have gotten in trouble. And then, sure enough, I see, like, Negreanu is recording everything, including, like, the aftermath of the Phil-Terrence Chan fight. So, uh, so yeah, everything uh, – there's one set of rules for the big-name pros and one set of rules for everybody else. So I'm in the everybody else category. Well, here's a story not about the World Series – but it's one that is gaining steam and uh, getting a lot of play, even though uh, the World Series is going on. This is the Alec Torelli angle shoot story. Now, 
Alec Torelli and Doug Polk have been they've been kind of you know they're kind of in competition in a way. They they both do their their uh, their, their videos. You know, they both produce uh, video content. They're both high stakes, no limit players. They're both around the same age. You can tell there's a big like rivalry. They don't uh, they don't seem to care for each other. And I'm sure Doug Polk was happy to report on this uh, unflattering story about Alec Torelli. But I have to say that like he has been in most of these situations, Doug Polk was mostly correct. Uh, Alec Torelli appeared on Poker Night in America. And we've talked about this before on this show, but there's there's some new developments, some major new developments. Alec Torelli appeared on uh, Poker Night in America. It was recorded about a year ago. It's, it's, uh, this didn't physically happen recently, but the fallout's happening now. And there was a particular hand where Alec Torelli raised with ace-queen and... Um, I forgot exactly how the action went. But anyway, there was a player who had just entered the game about five minutes before that. Or sorry, no, he wasn't five minutes before. It was a player who had uh, entered the game in the middle. But anyway, the player who hit the game named uh, Daniel Wolf, And from the position he was sitting, he could not see that Alec Torelli had two silver $5,000 chips hidden in his stack, because Alec Torelli was breaking the cardinal rule of high-stakes poker play, and that is to always have your bigger chips up front where everyone can see them. So this way, if someone says all in, they know what they're dealing with. Otherwise, uh, it greatly changes the play. You know, you think someone's short-stacked, you go all in on them. Nope, they actually have some big chips hidden, and now you're, you're committed to, to run it out with that. So, so in order to prevent that sort of angle shooting, uh, they... You know the the rule has been for years and years and years in No Limit Hold'em that your big chips have to be out front, and that's true in the World Series too. But it's especially important in cash that the big chips have to be visible and out front. No limit. In in any in pot limit Omaha, yeah, any, yeah, right, any right, big right, right, that's true. And, and, not limit. Yeah, even in Limit Hold'em, they sometimes pressure me to do this at the World Series. I I sometimes laugh at them, like in the early stages, like, "Sir, you've got to have your five thousand out front." Like, yeah, we're playing fifty one hundred here. <laughs> We don't we in limit hold them. We, you're not going to need the five K chips, but okay, fine. Like, but 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 yeah, no limit pot limits very important. Alec Torelli, he's been playing for years. There's there's no excuse for him not knowing this or not doing this. Randy or not uh, Daniel Wolf. Randy Wolf is a baseball player. Daniel Wolf joined the table uh, in the middle, and uh, he was sitting uh, like like I think two two or three seats away from Alec Torelli. And from his angle, you could even see on the video, he could not see those two big chips that were inexplicably hidden behind uh, Alec Torelli's stack of smaller chips. So what happened was uh, Wolf had Ace-10 offsuit, and he tried to make a move. There were a few people in the hand, and he said, all in. Um, one of the people in the hand who was already in for 500, who had Ace-Jack suited, folded. It went back to Torelli. And before Torelli could say anything, that was when Wolf noticed that uh, Torelli had more chips than he really seemed to. Like, I think Torelli like, pulled the chips out and were kind of playing with them as he was thinking. So quickly Wolf said, whoa, whoa, I didn't know you had those. He said, oh, yeah, yeah I have them. They, they had this awkward moment of like, like, what do you say at that point? So you, you shove it all in. You shove all in with Ace-10, which is a crappy hand to go all in with. So you obviously don't want to be called by someone who's got a big stack and is going to just get
big money from you uh, if they beat your ace-10, which, of course, they're only calling if they have you crushed. So Wolf was unhappy, but at the same time, Torelli hadn't called yet, so he couldn't make it too clear he was unhappy. Otherwise, Torelli snapped calling him. So the question is, this 10K worth of chips, the two silver chips he had, uh, were they in play or were they not in play? Should they have just been taken out of play for that hand and then brought back in the next hand? So that that was the big question. Uh, what ended up happening after a lot of talk about it was that, number one, it was ruled that, yes, all the chips are in play and that Torelli has the option of what to do. Torelli decided that Wolf had indeed uh, protested too much and that he must have a weak hand. He called with his ace-queen, which normally you wouldn't want to call a massive all-in like that with. Because, you know, this is a, we're talking about what was uh, like over $20,000 for each of them. So imagine calling off $20,000 something with ace-queen. Normally that would be a horrible play. But when the guy is, is, is hemming and hawing so much how he doesn't want to do that, because he didn't know you had you know, 10, 10K there that, you, that he thought you didn't have, uh, all of a sudden you know that he's not doing this with aces unless he's really putting on a Hollywood act with you. So he reasoned out that Wolf was probably weak. He was weak with ace-10. The ace-queen had a crush, and the ace-queen uh, easily won. So Torelli won a massive pot and I don't know if it got him unstuck or not, but he was stuck a lot in that session, and he got, I think he got out from just that hand alone. So that happened, and um, he offered... So, so while they were discussing this, while the hand was... Uh, while Torelli still hadn't called yet, Torelli wasn't demanding that his 10, that 10K that was hidden stays in play, but at the same time, he was not offering it not to be in play. He kept saying, well, I don't know what we should do. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. He just kept saying, I don't know what we should do. And I think the reason he did that is because he's on TV. He knew this was going to be played later. If he's very emphatic that this gets, that this is part of the all-in, and knowing that he had his chips hidden behind, this would have made him look like a terrible angle shooter. If he says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't know, I shouldn't have been back there, I'm so sorry about that, I don't know what we're supposed to do here, then he can just sit there and, and hope that it gets ruled that they are in play, and then he can call and, and probably be way ahead with the ace-queen. And that's exactly what happened. Now, we don't know for sure what's in his head, but this aired uh, two months ago or something, a month and a half, something like that. I think it aired in late May or something. And uh, so maybe a month and a half ago. So people got very upset seeing this. They felt that Torelli was angling. They also... seemed to notice that it seemed like Torelli did something called going north. Going north is a term, for those of you that don't know, that means you have bought more into a game than the maximum buy-in allows you to buy. Because some games, Limit Hold'em doesn't ever, the Limit games typically don't have a max buy-in, because it doesn't matter how many chips you have on the table, as long as you have enough to complete the hand. But in, in No Limit and Pot Limit games, there's often a table maximum, so this way someone can't uh, bully someone with a huge stack by just sitting down. That The only way you can get a huge stack is by sitting down and winning. So if you buy more than the table maximum, or if you sneak additional chips on the table to make it to where you've bought more than the table maximum, then that's called going north. And of course that's very unethical and it's against the rules. So there's a suspicion, a suspicion that Alec Torelli also went north, that at some point he added uh, a 5K chip, that one of those two 5K chips was added at some point, which put him over the 20,000 maximum buy-in amount that was allowed at Poker Night in America in that game. So that was also criticized. Doug Polk made a video, which we've played parts of it before on the show, 
uh, criticizing Alec Torelli very heavily for the angle shooting and for the fact that he basically just didn't make it right for, for Wolf and Wolf lost the hand. And the only thing Torelli offered to do for Wolf was to offer him a piece of his future action. <laughs> now, you may say, wait a minute, that's nice. He, he offered him uh, a piece. No, no, not, not, not to give him a piece. Not to give him a piece, to sell him a piece. Say, uh, you know, I'll make this right for you. Don't worry, I'll, I'll sell you a piece of myself in the future. Yeah, that's really generous. <laughs> I'll sell you a piece of my action in the future. That, that's supposed to make it right. No, if you're going to make it right because you screwed someone that way, Give them a piece of yourself in the future. Don't sell them a piece. It's like it's like you own a restaurant and uh, you have a dispute with someone. Hey, you know what? Um, I'll let you come to my restaurant and uh, and eat here and 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 uh, you know you have to pay like everybody else, but you can come down to my restaurant and eat sometime. That, that's basically the same thing. I'll let you buy a piece of me in the future. So, be careful with that. What do you mean? We have we got foreign listeners that will use that to their advantage. They've already used it to their advantage this summer. What, what do you mean by that? Free meals, World Series. Oh, okay. We'll get we'll get to that later. All right. Yes, Matt. I'm talking about you. Yes, who? Oh. Matt. Matt. But Matt the Rat did something. Uh, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Keep keep going, Todd. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know what that's about, but let me let me get back to this here. Um. So this this has been. A controversy ever since this was aired Even though it's about a year old when it happened Once it aired Everybody got to see it and started talking about it Uh, This also got the attention of Daniel Wolf Who before kind of begrudgingly accepted it And some kind of blamed himself Because the truth is Before you go all in It is your responsibility to know What everybody at the table has And When you go all in and don't Check carefully there is some Responsibility on you for not having Done that but if someone's hiding their chips That's uh, that's on them And it, it, you know, it, it's a sliding Scale of who's at fault for what if, if someone is totally totally Hiding their chips to where no one can see it Then you cannot fault the person Who goes all in to where They didn't know if someone's somewhat Hiding them then it's kind of, it's kind of uh, you know, Partially each one's fault and then if Someone's you know, uh, hiding them Not completely but but Hiding them fairly well Then it's it's still mostly or all the fault Of the person hiding them not the one who doesn't know But but Wolf was kind of convinced that This was At least somewhat his fault so he let it go For the past year until people Saw this episode and everyone started saying He got screwed and it's one of these cases And I've had this happen in my life before too Not necessarily with poker but I've had it happen In my life before where I get screwed in some way And somehow I talk myself Into believing that it wasn't that bad, or I had some fault in it too. And then I tell other people, and they say, "What? I can't believe it! How, you know, how are you taking this? You, you, you shouldn't allow this." And that, you know, people talk me into changing my mind and getting angrier about it when I was going to let it go. I've had the reverse happen too, where I'm really pissed about something and think I got screwed, and someone says, "No, no, no! Actually, the other side was reasonable." And then I, I sometimes will change my mind and, and you know, lighten on how much uh, I'm angry at the other side. So, so it goes both ways. In this case, with Wolf. He had let this go for the past, you know, it happened a year ago. He had let it go. He was kind of convinced that some of it was his fault. But then when everybody else who saw this said, wait a minute, you're, you're letting Alec Torelli off way too easily here. The guy was uh, totally angling you and screwing you. Then Wolf thought about it and said, you know what? Uh, yeah, I got screwed. So in early June, on June 2nd, 
Wolf tweeted out a long a series of what I call notepad tweets. This is, you know, on, on Twitter you can only tweet 145 characters. So what people do if they want to write something along on Twitter is they type something up on their iPhone notepad and then screenshot it and then tweet out the screenshots. So the thing he typed out was so long, it wasn't just fitting on one notepad screenshot. He did like six of them. And I, I've read it before on another show, and I'm not going to read it again. You can find the show where I talked about that and go listen to that. You can also read it for yourself. There's a thread on Poker Fraud Alerts, Scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum called High Stakes Poker Pro Alec Torelli Accused of Angle Shooting Amateur. And if you go look at that, you'll see right in that thread Wolf's statement about the matter on June 2nd, 2017. So, again, I'm not going to read that, but the new development here is that Alec Torelli made a response video. Because Alec Torelli was very silent about this for over a month. And he said he's going to respond. He said, I'll make a video responding, but he never did. Just time passed. He just was ignoring it. But on July 3rd, he tweeted out the full story between myself and Daniel Wolf, including 10 minutes of footage that was omitted by Doug Polk. And oddly, Alec Torelli made this video a lot about Doug Polk, even though Polk's entire Involvement in this whole thing was just criticizing Torelli Polk had nothing to do with his hand Polk just criticized him after the fact And Torelli felt that uh, Polk was uh, being unfair to him So I'm going to play parts of this here And I'm going to respond to what Torelli's saying and, uh, and then I'll give you my take on the whole thing And also tell you where you can find video evidence that backs up my take So uh, Scott, I'm going to see if you can hear this I'm going to play the very beginning and then I'll stop it and ask if you can hear it Right. So, if they oh, included all 15... so, so did you hear that? Well, loud and clear. Okay, good. So I'm gonna, that, that was just the middle. I'm, I'm going back to the beginning. That was our test. Here we go. Hey, guys. Before we begin, I want to let you know that I understand you. I know exactly what you're thinking and how you're feeling. <laughs> that, that makes him sound like a douche right away. Hey, guys. I just want to let you know I understand you. I know exactly how you're thinking and how you're feeling. What is this crap? Just start out with... Hey guys, I know I've been involved in, I know some of you are angry at me recently I know you guys uh, there, there, I know there's a controversy involving a hand I played on Poker Night in America uh, I'm here to explain that to you Just come out, be straightforward like that Don't, don't start off with the psychobabble That you understand how we're feeling And honestly, after seeing the video that Polk put out I feel really disheartened as well So I really want to commend your open-mindedness And the fact that you're so willing to seek the truth So thank you so much for being here today Yeah, see the I don't know if he's being sarcastic here or thinks he's being funny or if this is just his, his way of, of being patronizing towards the, the viewer. But this is this is already very off-putting to see that first 18 seconds. The, the first 18 seconds I watched this, I already hate him. <laughs> just from that. just I, I just watched that 18 seconds. I hate him immediately. I just just don't don't start with that crap. Just start with here is my response to what Doug Polk had to say about that hand I played with Daniel Wolf, And I'm going to explain my side of it and show you why Doug Polk was not accurate with his description. That, that's the way you start off, not, not, not this. Now, imagine if this was the screenshot you were shown. Imagine if you were shown this one instead of this one. Let's examine these two for a second. The one on the left is the one that Polk used. The one on the right is taken in the exact moment in which I showed the floor that my... So what he's trying to say here, you obviously can't see this on the radio, but he's trying to say that Polk was uh, selectively taking 
screenshots that made him look worse based upon where his chips were there. And it, believe it or not, I don't know why he's starting off with this because this is kind of confusing and he's not really getting to why this is a big factor. And the truth is, when it's all said and done, this really isn't a big factor. So I, I don't know why he's starting off with this, but he's already starting off saying basically Doug Polk was trying to portray this unfairly. And is taking selective screenshots of, of the Poker Night in America stream to make me look bad. My big chips were behind my stack. This is where Polk seemingly cut the clip on purpose to make it seem like I lied to the floor about the position of my chips. This is what happened after. Now, not only was this moment ignored in Doug's video, but he purposely cut it. I mean, he completely erased it from his recollection of what happened. Then he went backward in time, took a clip out of context, and pasted it right after the first one, and make it look like I lied to the floor about the position of my chips. Imagine- this is already weird. So we're a minute in here. All he's doing is talking about Doug Polk and, and, and the way he's cutting the video, which is a really strange way to start off. Here, here there's been so much criticism of Torelli for, for over a month now over this. And you'd think he'd start out with just a very coherent introduction of this is what I'm accused of. I'm gonna, this is what Doug Polk's saying about me. I'm going to explain to you why this is not true. He's getting right into details here that don't make much sense. But that, that's just as far as the, the production of the video and the way he's approaching it. That's not really my big issue. Imagine if, instead of doing that, he showed you this moment instead. The moment in which I show the floor the person who's responsible for overseeing a poker game, and who could have come up with any decision, certainly not a decision that I could foresee, imagine if he allowed you to see the moment in which I show the floor bluntly that my chips were actually behind my stack when he's there to make a ruling. Because they were here and like, I know. Because they were here and like, we were here and like, He's already trying to get cute with it. You know, he's playing himself over and over, saying, it's not my fault. They were here, and then they were here. They were here. They're here. Like, there's... Nobody wants to see this. He's trying to make comedy out of this, or trying to make this in the style of a scandalous YouTube video to get views. This should not be the focus here. He should be making a very straightforward answer to people and their concerns. I, I didn't know you had them and there. And he didn't the know I had them, and so he shoved, but he he went all in for 10k more than you yeah. Know, I was thinking he had like 15,000. So like I, I don't, but yeah. I mean, hmm. I wonder why that wasn't shown in Doug's video. But actually, I'm not that surprised this clip didn't make it to Doug's video, given that he craftily decided to cut out about 10 minutes of what actually happened. Why is this important? Because Doug's whole argument and painting me as some sort of villain starts with his bullshit editing cutting and replacing the video footage, all to portray that I was dishonest to the floor and to Daniel Cletus Wolf. And you know what the sick part is? That this did not happen by accident. This video was carefully cut together to tell a one-sided story and intentionally make me look bad. Let me quickly recap for you some of the relevant points that were purposely omitted in Polk's video. Number one, Polk omitted a big chunk of the hand between myself and Dan Wolf. Number two, Polk omitted the table talk and input given by most of the other players, including those stating that it was Wolf's responsibility. Number three, Polk omitted the fact that Dan Wolf has been a professional poker player for quite a few years now. Number four, Polk omitted the fact that a player called the clock after the floor ruled twice that the bet should stand. 
Number five, Polk admitted the fact that Wolf put the decision back on the other players at the table and the floor, but never once spoke up about what he actually wanted to do. Number six, Polk admitted the fact that during the course of the hand, I brought up the idea of making Hello? several times. Number seven, Polk admitted... Here, I'll stop, stop for a second. We have Calwatt back on here. Yep. I, I'm playing... Uh, oh, we lost him. All right. I think he doesn't know what's going on. In fact, I'm not even sure if he can hear that. I think I have to enable the sound for each each caller now on Skype. But uh, okay, so let, let me stop here with this. So he's he's going on about the, all the different things. Polk omitted this. Polk omitted that. Polk omitted that. Uh, forget what Polk omitted. Just plead your damn case. This is not about Doug Polk. This is about you. This is about whether you angle shot and screwed Daniel Wolf. D- Doug Polk was not in that game. You shouldn't be talking about Doug Polk. I know he made a video critical of you, but. All you have to do is present your side, and then at the end, if you want to say, "Yeah, Doug Polk said this about me," he said that this is why it's untrue. Then, then at the end, you can you can fix that. But let, let me rewind a bit here. Let me rewind a bit and and give you a bit of background on this that you may not have. You can actually go and watch this episode by yeah. You you let me tell you how to get to it. It's twitch.tv slash videos. This is all lowercase. Twitch.tv slash videos. That's videos with an S. Slash 584-50160. So once again, twitch.tv slash videos slash 584-50160. That will get you to the original Poker Night Twitch stream of this episode. It's a six-hour stream. You must say, I don't have six hours to listen to this or watch this. You don't have to have six hours. Use those six hours to hear this long show. Instead, you can jump to very specific points in the in the video. Forget Polk, forget Torelli, forget their response videos and all this other crap. Go look at these points I'm going to give you in the video, and you will see the relevant information, and you can make your own decision. The first very relevant point in the video is at the 2-hour, 38-minute, and 25-second mark. That's 2.38.25. Everyone's just come back from dinner. And you can clearly see in the video that Alec Torelli has a single silver 5K chip. It's not out front. It's not visible to all of the table, but... It's not completely hidden. It's kind of you know, partially hidden, but not totally back there behind chips. Players who are to his right can definitely see it. Players to his left could not see it. But it's still not totally hidden. If you skip forward about 23 minutes to the 3-hour, 1-minute, and 40-second mark, you can see that Alec Torelli has now changed the position of this single silver chip, and it's more out of view. It's it's behind these, these orange chips, which are not worth as much. Why? Why did he move it out of view? Well, there could be several reasons. It could be just the way he moved his chips around. It, you know, there could be some innocent explanations. There could be some not-so-innocent explanations, but we don't know yet. Five minutes later, that's when Dan Wolf joins the game. He's wearing some sort of uh, silly wizard outfit, but he shows up at the, right around the three-hour, six-minute mark. Right when he sits down, he gets ace-king. So obviously he plays that hand. You can see Alex stack from that angle. Because what they do is right when he sits down, he gets ace-king. And he immediately raises. So they quickly show a point of view from 
Daniel Wolf of what it looks like of you know his view of the table, and you can you can see Alex Stack at that point. You can see that Alec Torelli Stack is completely hiding that single 5K chip. That there's no way Wolf can see it. This is right at the beginning. Now this is t- still like two hours from when this controversial hand took place, but you can see at the three hours six minute and twenty three second mark. If you stop it there, you can see the exact point of view that that Daniel Wolf had of Alec Torelli's stack, and you'll see that there's no way for him to see the 5K silver chip. So that's already a problem. So right when he sat down, uh, Daniel Wolf's unaware that chip is there. So now you can still say at this point maybe it's just a stupid mistake by Alec Torelli. It happened to be where he moved the chip, and uh, it was just a bad circumstance for Daniel Wolf, who happened to sit down in a position where he couldn't see that extra chip. Still a mistake by Alec Torelli, but you could say maybe it wasn't uh, intentional and uh, it was just uh, an oversight. Now, a key moment happens. If you skip forward over an hour to four minutes, 23, four hours, 23 minutes, 45 seconds. That's 4.23.45. Alec Torelli is in a hand against Jennifer Tilly. And Jennifer Tilly has pocket aces. Alec Torelli has 6-3 suited. The board is 2-3, 10-queen, 10, 10. Or something like that. It's 2-3, and then there's a jack-10 queen on the board. Now, uh, Scott, if you had 6-3, and you're facing uh, a decent-sized river bet by Jennifer Tilly for uh, $2,500 on a 2-3, jack-10 queen board, and Jennifer Tilly did, you know, she did raise before the flop, You've got you've got a pair of threes there with Jack Ten Queen on the board. Would, would you call that river bet? Insta folding. Yeah, right. It's an insta fold. Somehow Torelli, I guess he was on tilt because he was a loser in the game. He was not doing well. He thought, he thought, he thought, and he called. Believe it or not. So he called the twenty five hundred, <laughs> saw Jennifer's aces, and uh, lost twenty five hundred dollars more. At this point, he was definitely the biggest loser in the game because the two losers in the game were him and Jennifer, and Jennifer just won a decent-sized pot on that one, bigger than she should have because uh, he made a bad call. So now he was by far the biggest loser in the game. About a minute later, at the 4-hour, 25-minute, 14-second mark, 4.25.14, Alec Torelli reached into his jacket pocket and seemed to be making the motion to pull out more chips. Uh, He later verified that's exactly what he did. But... uh, it cuts away from him right away, so you can't see what he does, but uh, that is what he did there. At the 4-hour, 25-minute, 14-second mark, he pulled out another 5K silver chip. Now, it's under it's important to understand that you know since Torelli was the biggest loser in the game at that point and pulled that chip out about a minute later after losing that pot, after he made that bad call and knew it would be on TV eventually, uh, he was probably steaming. And... He stacked that silver chip on top of the other silver chip, again, out of view. Now, for sure he went north when he did that. For sure. He even admitted it later that he went north when he pulled out that silver chip. Here is his explanation in a different video that he he released the next day on July 4th of this year, after there was bad reaction to his first video. See, he did a 36-minute video, the one I was just playing you. is a 36-minute video. And not once in that 36 minutes does he explain 
the situation that he's being accused of going north. In 36 minutes, he couldn't find a moment to explain whether he went north or not. So after getting that criticism on July 3rd, uh, the next day on July 4th of this year, just three days ago, he released this brief statement. I'd like to clear up any confusion about my rebuys. After losing this pot to Jennifer Tilly, where I did make a pretty bad call, I might add, my stack was down to 15675 You can see I only have one silver chip in my stack. Literally one minute later, I rebought one $5,000 silver chip, which you can see reflected here. You can see right here, the Poker Night in America crew comes over to check our rebuys and stacks literally one minute after I rebought the additional 5000 I have rebought for $675 over the $20,000 max, and I'm very sorry I didn't do a better job of being more accurate in my calculation. I understand that I should have been more precise, and I'm sorry for going over the table max by $675. An amount that, in my opinion, does not justify someone publicly accusing me of going north to gain some sort of advantage in a poker game. Okay, that was his entire video. Could you hear that? Yes, but okay. can I ask you two questions? Yeah. Is this is this typical to just rebuy as you want on the on the left coast and um, not tell the dealer, not notify another player, just basically pull out of your pocket and go? I, I don't understand. I, I mean, I don't, on the east coast, you've got it. On the east coast, most places you have to notify somebody. If you don't, they get called out for. It's not necessarily they're not going to make you take it off the table, but it's very frowned upon. Yeah, I I don't play much no limit cash, so I, I don't know you know what little I play is usually online, but. I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, on Poker Night in America, they have a rule for this show that if you buy in more, you have to inform and, them. And part of the reason for that rule is because they always put up on TV what everybody has, and if you don't tell them when you add chips, then they have an incorrect amount on TV and, and the show looks stupid. So they, they, they tell you – That you, was my next question. Yeah, they tell you you have to they tell do them. They that on Live of the Bike, too. Yeah, so they tell you you have to tell them. So now he claims in this little video I just played that, hey, look, you can see me informing the staff. No, we, we can't see him informing the staff. If you watch this video, obviously on this radio show you can't, uh, you can't see this. You can only hear this. But I can tell you, and the video, it's on YouTube called Rebuys in Poker Night in America. You can also find it in the Scamps, the Andals, and Shadiness forum and the thread about Alex Torelli. Alec Torelli. But... You can see that he's not informing anyone of anything. You can just see a staff member of Poker Night in America leaning over someone else at the table who's sitting near him briefly. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to go rewind to this over part. the $20,000 max. Let me, let me get back. I just want to look at this myself one more time. So he circles this guy who's leaning over the person sitting next to him but doesn't seem to even be looking at Alec to check our rebuys and stacks literally one minute. Yeah, so so it looks like he's checking the stack of the guy next to him. He, he is talking to the guy next to Alec, but he, he's not, this staff member is not even looking at Alec, and Alec is looking the other way. So what do you mean he's coming over to check our rebuys? You no, know, he, he, he may be checking on the guy next to him, but he was not checking on Alec. Now, it's possible the guy next to him said, hey, I just rebought, and, and you know, they were having that conversation. It's this person he's showing there with a circle around him, the, the two of them never look at each other. Alec does not seem to be speaking to him. He's not pointing to his stack in any way. This is no proof. In fact, it's, it's proof the other way, that if this is the best he has to show that he informed someone, he didn't. And the chip stack was never updated on the screen. So if he really did tell a crew member, why did they not add 5000 to his stack? Why was this wrong for the entire broadcast until... 
that big hand happened, and then the whole controversy occurred. So, Todd, I, I call bullshit on this because you know the person you notify at these televised games is the dealer. The dealer has a mic. The dealer motions to the floor if they need anything, and they inform the dealer, and they inform the floor. The dealer controls the game like they're supposed to. I don't, see, I don't even know if it is the dealer. So the person he'd have to go to is the dealer. There's nobody else. You can go to the floor directly and say, hey, I'm rebuying. But well, he's not motioning anything. Well, I don't, see, I, don't know, I don't know in Poker Night in America if that's true. It, it is possible that they may just be able to tell someone on the staff. But whatever it is, number one, the table has to be informed in some way. Either you tell the staff and the staff, it's their responsibility to tell everybody. Or, uh, or you tell the table or you tell both the table and the staff. Or it's something like that, but he's not even showing evidence that he told the staff member. The the video he's showing of the staff member, the the staff member is leaning over somebody else and talking to somebody else, and they're not even looking at each other, Alec and the staff member. So that's not – he just found some video shortly thereafter of some staff member standing over the guy next to him. That doesn't mean anything. That means nothing. If, if that's the best he can find, I don't believe him. Now, there's also speculation that he didn't just go over by 675. Now, he does show some proof, he claims – that uh, just before that, just before he reached to get that chip, it showed that the number of chips he had left was a uh, fifteen thousand six seventy five. So that if he added five k to it, that would have left him with twenty six seventy five, and that he only went over by six seventy five, which isn't that significant. Well, um, I don't know if that's true. Some people are saying that he had more than that, and that they just didn't have an accurate count. And that from watching him play, it seemed like the amount of chips he really had was a little more than that. It seemed like he went more north, more like 2,500 or so. But the bottom line is, forget about him even going north. If the rule of the show is that you have to inform them when you add chips, and everybody believes that that's the rule, then uh, then those chips should not be considered in play because uh, he didn't follow the proper rules. So anyway, get, getting back to so that, that's about the factor with going north. And but then of course you may say okay well that's only that only explains one of the two silver chips, the other silver chips the other silver chip was there before Daniel Wolf sat down so shouldn't that be in play you may say, well again, it was hidden behind his stacks and when Daniel Wolf sat down he was at an angle where he could not see it, so while the uh, it was included in his official total for the televised broadcast. For the players at the table, anyone who, who's new who came to the table who's sitting in that position could not see that. And and there's still no explanation for why he put those chips back there. Now, uh, Alex spent some time in his response video repeatedly asserting that he didn't know what to do when this happened, when this supposedly honest mistake occurred, and that he simply wanted to be fair to everyone, including one person who had already put in $500 that had folded, that guy with the H-Jack suited. So he was trying to say, look, I'm trying to find a solution to be fair to everybody. I didn't know the right thing to do. I kept asking, asking, asking. Eventually I called the floor. I didn't know what the floor would say. It could have gone for me. It could have gone against me. Uh, it could have been anything. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with me calling the floor over for a ruling, which I agree with. I, I agree that there's nothing wrong with getting a ruling and discussing it with the table. And it is true from watching Alec at the table when this controversy started to come up. Uh, about whether, you know, about the 10K not being able to be visible to Daniel, that uh, Alec was not demanding that they include it. He kept saying, oh, I don't know what we do. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know how this happened. I don't know what we should do now. I don't know what we should do now. So he kept saying, I don't know what we should do now. So um, 
so should we perhaps give him the benefit of the doubt that he just made a stupid mistake, or maybe even if you want to say that he snuck that actual that extra chip on and didn't want people to know, but still that uh, he was doing it more so he could go north a little bit rather than uh, to try to angle anybody. But even if you take all that away and say that this was just an honest mistake, uh, is that possible? Is it possible this is really an honest mistake and that uh, he didn't mean anything by it and that it just was an unfortunate situation? Well, well hold on a second. I'm going to skip to the uh, 15.25 mark of Alec Torelli's response video. And I'm going to play you a, a, a something he says there. This is him showing uh, part of this Poker Night in America broadcast where he's explaining it to the floor man. And I think that uh, this is very telling. So let me get to the 1525 mark here. Let's skip up. 1525. And again, he, what he's doing, he's playing a portion from the show. So listen to this. And that's and why I asked, like, like did you have them? Kind of I didn't know. Because they were here, and like, I had just won these and put them here. Well, hold on. Hold on. Listen to what he just said. It's kind of my fault. And he, he has up on the screen, Polk omitted this entire part. Well, Polk shouldn't have admitted, omitted this part because this part actually makes Torelli look bad. And I'm surprised Torelli's including this as a way to defend himself. So he's showing himself explaining to the floor man. Okay, this is kind of my fault because uh, I put these chips here, here, and then I, then I won these chips and put them here. What he's trying to say is uh, I, I won these chips... And then I just accidentally put them in front of my silver chips. That's what he's saying to the floor man. He's explaining how this happened. The floor man's saying, well, how, why were your chips not out front? How did this happen? The floor man's trying to determine, was, was Alec really hiding them? Or did he? it just happen to end up there? He's trying to figure it out. So this is, again, what Alec said back. And that's and why I asked, like, like, you have them? Kind of like, I know. Because they were here, and like, I had just won these and put them here. And- okay, I had just won these and put them here. And what he's referring to are these orange chips that were the main ones that were blocking the silver chips. He, I just won these and put them here. All righty. Let's, let's look at that claim. That's what he says. That's what he says happened. And if that's true, that's more defensible. He just won these chips, happened to put them in front of the big ones. He wasn't thinking. Almost sounds reasonable. But if you go back to the actual broadcast and take a look, you will see that... Uh, this is a lie, that he did not win these orange chips. These orange chips were there the entire time from the moment Daniel Wolf sat down over two hours earlier. He had that stack of orange. In fact, the stack of orange was a bit smaller at that point than it was when Daniel Wolf first sat down. So he didn't just win these. In fact, he just lost some of them over time. And there was never a point like that he lost a bunch and then got some back. Alec Torelli was not doing well. He was consistently losing this game. And the orange chips were not building up. They were slowly dwindling away. I believe they were the second highest value chips on on the table. They were slowly dwindling away. If you watch, you will see that he didn't, quote, just win these. In fact, Torelli and Wolf played a hand six minutes before the controversial hand at 5.09.20, five hours, nine minutes, 20 seconds. And you'll see there, six minutes earlier, that that same stack of orange is just there and that the pot he won contained just one orange that Alec had bet Wolf folded, and then he took right back. 
So that orange stack had been the the entire time. In fact, if you want to go back to four twenty three forty five in the video, right when he lost that hand against Jennifer Tilly, you'll see that same orange stack is there. In fact, it's a little bit bigger. So when he says, "I just won these chips and put them here," that's a complete lie. He didn't just win them; they've been the, the, the they were there the entire time, and he was trying to make up a lie to the floor man to explain why he was blocking the big silver chips. And the only way he could explain it is, "Oh, I just won these and put them here." No. They've been there the entire time. But I just won these and put them here. Sounds a lot better than these have been here the entire time for hours blocking my silver chips. So he already wasn't telling the truth to the floor man. And he's very aware that he didn't just win that stack of oranges. I'm sure he knows very well that that stack of orange had been sitting there and slowly dwindling down for hours. And he did not just win them. He would remember when you're losing a session like that, you remember if, if the stack of the second highest denomination chips, if you just won it. That's what he said. I just won these and put them here. So that's already uh, very suspicious. There's not that much talk about this either. This this one thing for I just won them and put them here. That should be something everyone really focuses on when deciding whether you should believe Alec Torelli's response video. Why, why did he lie about that? Why did he say I just won them and he did not win them? <laughs> I, I didn't know you had them and there. And he didn't the know how them, and so he shoved, but he he went all in for 10k more than. You know, yeah, I was thinking he had like 15,000. So like, I, I don't. But yeah, I mean, if it's a I'm like trying to. That, that's Daniel Wolf, the other guy talking. Help you, but I don't know what is legal or fair. I mean, we always want you to keep your big chips out front. Yeah, it's probably my fault, but if I make a deal with you, then I don't know if that's allowed. You know? So so he, so Alec is again. He's on TV here. So he knows that this will be broadcast. He knows he wants to come off decent. So he doesn't want to give up the 10K chips, but he doesn't want to come off as a real hard ass. Like, no, this is part of the vet. This is part of the all-in. You, you have to. You know, he didn't do that. He's like, oh, I don't know. I want to make a deal. It's probably not allowed. He knows they don't allow deals here. They, they do not allow deals. You can't run it twice. You can't do any kind of deal at Poker Night in America. So um, now maybe they could have come up with the thing is they could have come up with something like, we'll take the 10K out of play. And that's, that's my biggest criticism here. If Alex like, well, I don't know what I can do. You know, I don't know what's allowed here. He should have said, look, okay, I had these covered. I understand you couldn't see them. It's my fault. Let's just take the 10K out of play as if they weren't here like you thought they weren't. We'll play this hand out, and then we'll put the 10K back afterwards. That would have been fair. He could have proposed that. The floor could have ruled if they can do that. I bet they would have said Yes. And that would have been that. Alec never proposed that. He kept saying, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Probably hoping that the decision comes down in his favor. Yeah, so the floor actually said, that's between you guys, your heads up, right? You couldn't hear it that carefully, but that's what it, it was hard to hear, but that's what he said. So the floor actually gave Alec permission right there, right around the 16-minute mark of Alec Torelli's response video. He gave him permission right there to offer something like that, to offer him... 10K back. You can't run it twice in Poker Night in America, but you apparently can take the 10K out. He said that's between you two. Your head's up now. Until this point, the only thing the floor heard is me taking responsibility and explaining to him exactly where my chips were, out of sight from Wolf's perspective. I also fairly present Wolf's side of the story here, telling him that Wolf unintentionally went all in for 10K more than he intended, or double the size of the bet, implying that the floor has to take this into account when he's making a rule. Okay, that's true. That's true. But again, you, you're not going to lie on TV and, and misportray the situation and look like a complete jerk. 
So yes, of, co- of course you're going to give Wolf's side properly. Otherwise, he will interrupt and say, no, 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 no. You're, you're not telling the truth. Why are you lying about this, Alec? Here's what really happened. So of course, knowing this is on TV, knowing everyone will see this, of course he has to present the other side the way the other side would do if he doesn't do it. So he's not giving away anything here. If Polk's intentions were really to be objective, why wouldn't he show you this part? Initially, the floor invites us to find a solution. Up until this point, Griff already made it clear that he thinks it would be unfair if we made a deal, so I want to make sure to ask Gusak, who invested money in the pot, if making a deal is okay with him. So Griff and Gusak, uh, to let you guys know, Griff and Gusak are two different guys at, at the table. And uh, I guess they somewhat know Daniel Wolf, so I guess they're a little closer to Daniel Wolf than than to Torelli. So he was saying that uh, he's trying to consult them to see if they feel that taking the 10K out of play or making some kind of deal would be right, especially Gusak, who already had 500 in and folded. So he should have some say in it, too. That's what he's trying to say here. But what I think he's really saying is, I'm trying to get other people to come to the conclusion I'm hoping will be favorable towards me. So if it is favorable towards me, that I don't look like the jerk. It looks like somebody else's idea. And if it isn't favorable towards me, well, okay, you know, I, I caused the problem in the first place. So it, it's kind of like a free roll. If if Alex stands up and says, okay, let's take the 10K out of play. Well, then he's then he's then uh, he thinks he's screwing himself. Then he thinks that uh, he's getting the least out of this. If uh, Alec is a hard ass and says, no, I want the 10K in play, then he looks like a jerk. He's hoping that by letting someone else decide and someone else suggest what to do, that it might end up in his favor and he can not look like a jerk. That's what, he, that's what I think was going on here. Let's ask him if he minds. Would you mind if we, like, did something? At this point in the hand, I turn to Gusak and ask him if he would mind if Wolf and I cut some sort of deal. When I did this, I was also well aware of the fact that Wolf, Gusak, Keith, and Griff are all locals and they play together all the time, so I definitely wasn't expecting them to say anything that was going to be unfair to Wolf. Me, Griff, and Keith, like we play a lot together, like, you know, we're all buddies and stuff. There's not- so, that, so that was a, uh, that, that was a clip from an interview with Wolf that he spliced in there. And, and by the way, buddies does not mean that much in poker. Uh, people you play with, you can think they're your buddies, but I don't know much about Wolf's play. But it's clear from watching him, he's at least somewhat of an amateur. And if if Wolf really is the fish in these games, the other guys are going to treat him like a buddy. But in reality, they're only buddies because uh, he's the loser in the game. I'm not saying he is. I, I don't know if he is or not. But just saying, oh, we play a lot together, we're buddies, that doesn't mean they're close friends. That just means they know each other. But I'll I'll give him this. I'll give him that... Wolf knows them better than Torelli does. Nothing wrong with that. It's totally fine. But it's certainly safe to say that the other players were at the very least going to accurately and fairly judge the situation. Because I mean, I thought like, he had like 15,000. I don't even know what's I don't even want to discuss it if you are like really tilted. But at the same time, I don't want to be unfair to him. I don't even know what I'm gonna. I don't know. I'm not gonna say anything about my hand or what. I, I thought you had like ten to fifteen thousand. So I was playing like according to that stack. Uh, I mean, it changed. Like I don't know. It changed how I play the hand, but it's up to you. That here, Wolf is asked directly by his friend Gusak what he wants to do. He had the option at this point to propose for we play for ten k less, but instead he left it up to Gusak. I don't know. It changed. Okay, hold up, 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 hold up,
Now he's putting the onus on Wolf to say, no, I want to play for 10K lefts. Well, if that's what Wolf proposes, what does that say about Wolf's hand? If, if Wolf is hoping that they play for 10K less, uh, what are the chances at that point that Wolf has aces or kings? It's about zero. There's, there's no chance. So, Reveals the strength, obviously. Right, right. The, the chance of him having a strong hand that he's happy to play all in if he wants the 10K taken off is... Zero point zero. The problem, you can say, well, maybe he's angling. Maybe he's just, you know, what if he really has aces and he's just angling? Well, first of all, you get to know the personality of the players you're playing with. And, and you could tell by watching this wolf guy, he's not the type who's going to do this. this. This wolf guy, he shows up in a Merlin uniform. He's like, you know, he's like, he's kind of like this happy-go-lucky uh, kind of guy who, uh, he seems like the last guy that's going to angle you this way. Like, going to say, oh, I didn't realize you had this. I didn't realize you had that money behind. Blah, blah. Uh, this isn't really good. This isn't really good. I don't like this. I don't like this. Ah, it aces the whole time. Ah, ha, ha, ha. now you called me and I tricked you. Like, he's not the type who's going to do that. And, and I think uh, Torelli has enough experience to know he was playing with someone who's being sincere. And I've had people at the table with me before. Like, at the World Series, this happens all the time. In a short period of time, I can get an idea of certain people at the table that are absolutely sincere when they say something. Like, you know, if I lay a hand down, they go, hey, by the way, I, I, I had queens there. 100% I believe some certain guys who say that. Because I can tell by certain personality types that they're, they're not going to be BSing me there. Other guys, you, you never know. But but uh, I I think he could tell from Wolf because that's from watching from watching this broadcast. I would have been very surprised if Wolf would have ever angled by pretending not to want that much more money in there and then really having aces or kings or something. So if if Wolf said something at that point, if he said my solution is take the 10k off, then Torelli says okay, well I guess what that means is uh. He has a, a, a lousy hand. Wolf already mentioned that he didn't realize that Torelli had this much. But he didn't say what he wants done. So Torelli can think at that point, okay, maybe there's a chance that Wolf is still angling me. But Wolf, once Wolf actually proposes to take the 10K off, then even if he is angling and has aces, he's just screwed himself. Because then if, if Torelli uh, says, snap accepts and says, okay, I'll take the 10K off, well, then 10K is gone when Wolf has a big advantage. So obviously, if Wolf were to say, there's no way for Wolf to say, take the 10K off and propose that as a solution without giving away that his hand sucks. There's no way. Because he, he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. If he, if he, if he wants the 10K in play or, or doesn't, uh, you know, if, if he says the 10K is okay to be in play, then once it is, then, uh, and he gets called, then he's screwed. If, uh, if he says he doesn't want it in play, then it's very clear that he doesn't have that. So he totally reveals the strength of his hand if he were to say every, anything about this. So for Torelli to say, hey, you know, he's asking his friend for the solution instead of uh, saying, hey, why did you take the 10K off? He can't ask you, but you haven't made a decision yet. You have not decided to call or fold yet. He went all in. You're deciding what to do at this point. So as soon as you say, you know, I'd like the 10K to come off, then Torelli's going to go, okay, he's weak. My ace queen is gold. Call. So... That's why he didn't say it. That's why he got people to speak for him. I once had a situation, just to, just to show you why you want other people to speak for you. I had a situation 10 years ago at the win. This is why I, I never came back to a win tournament. They screwed me. It was a horrible ruling. I had uh, pocket tens. I raised before the flop. Uh, someone called. And the flop came king, rag, rag. 
So I thought it was still pretty good for tens. We lost Scott somehow, by the way. But it, it came pretty good for tens. But of course, I'm a little bit worried about the king. I continuation bet it, and the guy threw out. Yeah, you know, I continuation bet seven hundred uh, chips. The guy threw out a thousand. He threw out um, two five hundreds. And the problem here was that a thousand is not a raise. To raise it has to be um, it, it would have had to be eleven hundred or ten fifty or something like that. So the problem is that that would just be a call. Why did the guy throw out a thousand? Well, because the chips were designed poorly at the win at that time, and uh, chi- some chips looked like the others. So what happened was, uh, I think the five hundred and thousand looked the same. So I I think he was trying to throw out two thousand, and he threw out one thousand. He threw out two five hundred instead of two. Uh, 1000 something like that but the bottom line is he threw out a thousand in an attempt to raise my $700 bet or 700 chip bet and he meant to throw out something that was more than that well that's a that's a mistake that it's unfortunate for the guy who makes the mistake but that's a very very standard thing in tournament poker if you don't say raise and you throw out an amount of chips that would not classify as a min raise then it becomes a call doesn't matter what you meant to do it matters what you actually did that's a very, very standard rule. In fact, I've been on the other side before, where I've meant to throw out a raise. I don't, and it's just a call. Okay? I, it's been ruled against me before, and I've never even argued. So I was in a funny spot there because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say because as soon as I started objecting to the fact you know, that this is a, um, is this a raise or not, you know, I guess I can ask, ask if it's a raise, but the, the problem is whatever I say can give away the strength of my hand, which is not very strong, tens on a king high board. Well, before I could even think of what to say, Alan Kessler, who was at the table, spoke up and said, hey, that's not a raise, and explained why. So then they called the floor over, and I just sat silent. I let Alan Kessler do the argument for me because I did not want to give away the strength of my hand. Alan Kessler was not in the hand. He was a perfect one to argue for me. So... The floor came over, this uh, middle-aged bitchy woman, and she ruled against me. She ruled against me because she said that it's clear that the guy meant to raise. (laughs) It doesn't matter what you mean to do. It matters what you actually did. It's a very standard rule in tournaments. If you don't throw enough out there to be a min-raise, then it's a call. Then you have to take back the difference, and it's a call. So she ruled it's a min raise. So um, I actually folded. I didn't have enough chips left to call another uh, seven hundred there. So what I was deprived of was being able to see the turn. It should have been a call, and I should have been able to see the turn and possibly double up if I got the ten. By the way, the guy flashed, I think, ace-king to me, so he wasn't bluffing. But the bottom line is they uh, they ruled for him because he, quote, meant to do that and just did the wrong thing, which is ridiculous. But I didn't speak up because if I spoke up, it would be very clear I could not beat a king. So I had Alan Kessler, who was speaking up for me. He and I weren't friends or anything, but he just, you know, just being Alan Kessler and speaking up for me, so I, I let him speak up. It was much better that Kessler spoke for me than I spoke for myself because I did not want to give away the strength of my hand. Because the second I object to that being 
When I want it to be a call instead of a raise, that means I can't be the king. So that's why Wolf was trying to get other people to speak for him. That's why Torelli cannot complain that Wolf was not proposing that they take the 10K back. So let me go on here. Change how I play the hand, but it's up to you. If he really had a strong opinion about what he wanted to do, one must assume he would have at least mentioned a possible solution that he was okay with. No, no. Once he mentions that, you you know exactly what he has, and then you snap call the rest of it. But instead, over the course of these four or five minutes of discussion, he never once mentioned what type of deal, if any, that he wanted at all. Why didn't you mention the deal? Why didn't you say, okay, I'm sorry, I messed this up, I shouldn't have had these 10Ks blocked, I know you couldn't see them, let's take them out of play. Are you okay with that? That's what should have been done. Not, uh, not wait for him to propose it so you know the strength of his hand. So uh, that's that's a ridiculous argument. That's where you just really... It, it's not even in the realm of something you can relate to. It's nonsense is what it is. As soon as Wolf were to... If he were to propose that, they would instantly reveal his hand as weak. Instantly reveal that. So listen to this. This is, this is at uh, the 2028 mark of Torelli's response video. Again, where he's playing a clip of himself during this uh, situation. Listen to what he says to the floor man. Tell me if this is not a Freudian slip. Because it's kind of my fault I hit him. I didn't hide him. but It's, <laughs> it's kind of my fault I hit him. I didn't hide them. Well, yes, you did. See, he admitted it's kind of my fault I hid them. Well, I agree. And then, well, I didn't hide them. Like he, he slips, he slips out that it's kind of my fault. I hid them. <laughs> I, I I can't believe he's putting this in his own response video, but he did. Because it's kind of my fault. I hit him. I didn't hide him, but it's my fault that you didn't see them in a way. Well, yes, yes. So at that point, why don't you offer to take the two out of play? It's very simple. Very simple. Now, I'm going to jump up to the twenty-five twenty mark. Of Torelli's response video Listen to his reasoning As to why He's probably going to call This all in bet Even though these 10k are in play And he will be having to call in all bet An all in bet of over 20k With just ace queen Pre-flop This is sick I'm discounting a lot of hands here Because of how you, how you acted Which you might act the same way With, with those hands too yeah, so what he's saying is, yeah, I, this is sick. I'm discounting a lot of hands you could have because of how you acted, referring to he, he understood that Wolf did not want those 10K in play just from the whole long conversation that went on here. He, he figured it out that uh, obviously Wolf isn't excited to run this out, which means he doesn't have aces, he doesn't have kings, he probably doesn't have queens. So he's saying, I'm discounting some hands. I'm saying you can't have certain hands here. Because of how you acted and then, and then he realizes what he's saying there <laughs> That uh, that this angle shot is allowing him to make it a tough decision In his own favor And he's well, you, you could have had the other hands too If it's acting the same way <laughs> he's, he's realizing he probably shouldn't have said that This is sick It's sick, but not for you It's great for you that you can take away certain hands that are crushing ace-queen 
because of, quote, how he's acting upon finding out that you have that uh, extra 10K. Exactly, exactly, that's the whole problem. Uh, so Torelli called, he won, and it was like almost a 50K pot of real money. We're not talking about tournament chips. Now listen to this. This is his explanation of uh, how he tried to make it right with Daniel Wolf. Hey, I'll uh, give you a piece of me in like a future game if you want to make up for it. If you want it. I really don't want any bad blood. Like I'll do something to try and give you some equity back in the future of my career. Okay, so that sounds I'll give you a piece, blah, blah, blah. It almost sounds like he's offering him a piece of future action for free. But that's not what he was doing. In fact, Torelli admits that's not what he was doing. Listen to this. Here, I did what all professionals do amongst each other and offered Wolf a piece of me in future games, of course, at no ridiculous markup. Oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that generous? At no ridiculous markup. So (laughs) what he's saying here is uh, he's not marking it up. He's just going to sell a direct piece at parity. You can buy a piece of me. That's something we can do. You can buy a piece of me. That'll You'll get back your money this way. You'll get it back this way. You'll buy a piece of me, and I'm, I'm such a winning player, uh, you're going to win. This is, this is a, an exclusive offer I don't give to everybody. You can buy a piece of me. You'll get your equity back. Come on. In this game, you weren't winning. In this game, you were getting crushed until you angled him on this hand. Anyone who had a piece of you in this one, had you not angled, would have lost. That's not free money. If you want to give him something as a concession here, you you should give it, not sell it. You don't sell him something as a concession. Even the other players felt this was a genuine offer and a nice thing to do. Really don't want it. It's nice of you to give him an offer to get. I'm not sure why Wolf would be surprised about this, as I told him several times at the table that I was going to offer him a piece, of course, and no markup. No, see, that's the problem. You you didn't say no markup, and and that would have at least made it clear that you're selling it to. He could have thought maybe you're giving it to him. Maybe the other players thought you were giving it. Here you're, uh, you're, you're just offering to sell him something. It's not giving him anything. I mean, that's, just, that's really douchey to do. That's, that's a really crappy thing to offer. Come on. After this whole thing, you feel so bad you're going to sell him a piece of yourself. That's, that's ridiculous. So go look at the points in, those, in that video that I talked about, in the, you know, both the response video and the... Poker Night Twitch stream, which I gave you the URL for. You can see all this, the, you know, everything I'm talking about here, I wrote up also in the Scam Scandals and Shadiness forum, in the thread about Alex, Alex Torelli that you can probably find pretty easily. And judge for yourself. So what do I feel should have been done? Well, I think that the floor should have ruled, or Alex should have offered that the 10K just comes out of play. If it was out of view, if it was Alex's fault, then it just should not be in play. It just They should have just ignored that 10K, pretended it wasn't there. Then Alec could have decided what to do. Uh, now, given that Wolf did have some equity in the hand, not great equity, but he did have equity with Ace-10 against Ace-Queen all in, because once Torelli called, it wasn't a sure loss for Wolf. He could have won. So... With an all-in situation like that, you easily can calculate one's equity by looking at the percentages of chances you know, that each side will win. The remaining 5K 
Because you know, 5K of that shouldn't have been there in the first place because he snuck that 5K chip without informing anybody. And whether it was going north or not is really not that important because he, he snuck it into the game, and that's against Poker Night in America rules. They should have made him take that off the table, at least for that hand. So that should have been out of there completely. The other 5K that was already there that was hidden, since the hand was allowed to continue and there was a call of the all-in, it shouldn't be a free roll for Wolf, but... It should have been partially refunded after the fact based upon the equity that Alec had. So since Torelli, uh, you know, since, since Alec had that chip hidden and Wolf did not know it was there, and it wasn't Wolf's fault that he didn't know it was there, since an all-in was run out, Alec's equity there should basically be refunded. So his equity was 70.37%, which equals uh, 35.18 of the 5K. So the fair and correct refund there should have been that 35.18 plus the 5K. I, I haven't uh, yeah, mathematically analyzed it beyond that, but that's that's my that's my thought about it, just from my quick analysis of the situation. That the the 5K that he snuck in there should have been taken out. The other 5K that was already there that Wolf just didn't see since it, since it did run out the hand that the uh, that should be refunded based upon the equity. And the equity there was uh, 3518 So that's what I, th- I think the refund should have been 8518 and, uh, and I'm saying this is after the fact. Before, before the hand was run, before any decision was made, you know, before, before Alec made his decision whether to call, they should have just taken the 10K out of play. That's, that's what should have happened. But since that didn't happen after the fact... They should have said, okay, one chip shouldn't have been here in the first place. The other one was there, but uh, but he didn't know about it, so he should get his equity back. The other one, Alex, should just lose because uh, that shouldn't have been there. That shouldn't have been snuck in. That's that's my verdict if I'm the judge. We somehow lost Scott. 775 fraud 55, 775-372-8355. The phone number for this show. Calwa tried to briefly call in, but then he, I don't think he understood what was going on. So he's gone. Let's move on to our next subject tonight. We're done with the World Series, by the way. We're not talking about the World Series for the moment. The next discussion of the World Series will be about the main event. So I'm playing that on Sunday. If you want to follow my main event, by the way, you look at uh, at Dandruff Poker starting 11 a.m. when the main event starts on Sunday, July 9th, which is now just uh, about uh, 58 hours away. In 58 hours, I will be playing the main event. I hope I get a good table draw. I hope I run well. Anyway, hopefully I'll have good news to report when I do the next show. When will the next show be? I'm not sure. Depends upon uh, how I do, how long I'm in Vegas, all that. I'm basically there as long as I need to be for the main event. Hopefully that's a very long time. So day one for me will be Sunday. Day two, I think, will be Tuesday. Day three will be Thursday, if I make it. Day four, I believe, will be Friday. So let's let's talk about the next next subject here. Uh, 
a weird poker play. Or actually, I think, let me get to the pot segment. We'll talk about the pot for a little bit, then we'll get to this thing with America's Card Room. I'm going to call up a listener to this show who is in Vegas. He said he'll be awake for sure. I'm going to hold him to that. I'm going to call him up and see what he has to say about recreational marijuana that is now available in the state of Nevada. You can buy legally from licensed shops marijuana for any reason. Hello. Oh, hey, what's up? Hey, okay. So, uh, introduce yourself to the uh, the show here. What is your name? Uh, on the forum, I'm Diesel49. Diesel49, and you are one of the few black listeners of the show, is that true? Yeah, about one of five, maybe. I, I think that's even being generous. I think, As far as I know, we have two, but we, we may have more that I don't know about. Actually, no, we have three. We have at least three. I, I know of three for sure. I don't know beyond that. Uh, now, I, I'm hearing some noise right now. Are you, are you driving at the moment? Oh, yeah. Does it sound super loud? Yeah, it's pretty loud. Are you going to be home? So I, I can do the segment in a little bit. I just chose to do it now. If you're going to be home soon, I can call you in a little bit. Well, let me uh, just pull over real quick because it, it'll just take like five minutes. Okay, okay. All right. All right. Uh, so should be better. So, so what's what's going on here is that starting July first at twelve oh one a.m., recreational use of marijuana became legal in Nevada, and it became legal to buy it at the dispensaries. Uh, at uh, dispensaries in Nevada, prior to that, you had to have a medical marijuana card to buy marijuana for supposedly medicinal purposes. Now you don't need to go through that BS anymore. Now if you want to smoke pot in Nevada, you can just go to one of these uh, many mar- med- many marijuana dispensaries and just say, I want to buy it, and they'll sell it to you. So Now, I don't ever smoke pot. I never have in my life. It's the truth. But uh, you said you went to one of these places, and uh, when did you go, and what was your experience there? So I went the day of. I didn't go at midnight. I went around 2 the next day. So I, uh, I'm actually an Uber driver, so I was dropping someone off by the fashion show, and there's a dispensary there, a Reef. I saw a little bit of a line. I went and took a look. So while waiting in line, there's, like, a canopy. They give you, like, popsicles and stuff while you wait. And the wait was probably about two hours. And once you get inside, they take you to a back room, and then there's the selection and stuff, but basically overall, like all the, I've been to a couple dispensaries. They're pretty low key. For most of them, you can't tell what they are unless you know they're there. And then when you get in, they have the menu. One thing I noticed, the only issue I saw really was the tax on it. It's like 15% tax. And then but as far as like everything else, like you just need to be 21 to do it. You need to have a valid active ID or they'll turn you away. They check my ID probably three times. Um, and they make you buy a bag that's smell proof and supposedly child proof that you have to get. It's like an extra dollar or so for the bag. 
And did, so you went. And at, did you go right at midnight, or I missed the time? You said. Did you say what time you went? No, no. So I went at, at two p.m. the day of. I. I'm sorry. We, we're, ha- we're having trouble. Hang on. We're having trouble hearing you. Uh, the, the reception's bad. Is this better? Yeah, it's better here. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So I went at two p.m. on July first. So, like the day of, but not midnight. And then, basically, you. Um, I already went over the bag and everything. Correct. Yes. And. But, I mean, other than that, like, I remember you had a concern about everyone kind of hopping on it or just smoking. But, really, the only people you saw were people that already smoked. Um, The way they're acting, like, people were still kind of nervous. Like, people in line were almost acting as if they don't smoke. Because you almost, like, half expect, like, a Sting operation or Las Vegas (laughs) PD to be there. But it wasn't that. It was pretty cool. And everything's just real low key. So it's not, even though it's legal, it's still kind of hidden. They act like nothing goes on. And, but as far as like average people or like just some average Joe deciding to smoke, there really weren't a whole lot of those. Now on the strip, the lines are a bit longer and they do kind of cater to the average person to come in and buy some weed or whatever. And then as far as prices go, I guess you can't buy any more than an ounce at a time. And prices range from $10 to $100. So the $10 will get you, like, a pretty big joint. And then $100 will get you bags of stuff. And it's pretty decent. They actually will let you return the product. If it's, let's say you get it and it's poor, they'll let you exchange it for something. I see. So, and and now there's no, there's no, pricing tiers for quality like everything's the same quality at each one or it's supposed to be there is like there's a tier as far as so the regulation they have to follow like it has to be grown and cleaned a certain way you know just to make sure there's no pesticides or anything in it and it does have to have like a certain amount of thc to be sold there is some lower price stuff but you'll still get like you'll still get like 16 and 17 percent thc the highest THC that you could get is 30%, so that's your scale if you're wondering. Um, I got some stuff that was 16% for about $10. No, sorry, $30 an eighth. And then there's some stuff that's 20% that's $60 an eighth. And an eighth is like 3.5 grams. Okay. And then for the listeners who may come here or out of state, it's pretty easy for them to pick up as long as they're over 21 uh, they check your ID. One thing that people might find a little weird that I found weird is they definitely record your information. Once you show your ID, they do put you in a database. So I would imagine what they use that for. And then they do kind of remember you coming in and stuff. And you just check in. It's really like a doctor's visit. Well, like here's I, I have a question. I saw there's a lot of these dispensaries. Uh, is it one ounce per dispensary or just one ounce per day? Period. Like, could you go to every one so, by an ounce? I I do believe it's one ounce per dispensary because, as far as I know, I don't think they track the amount that you're getting, and I'm sure they don't really care. Now, one of the ways I noticed, um, price wise, it is more than a street price, especially when you add in tax. But even without it, 
And the reason for that, I believe, is so people don't go to different dispensaries buying ounces at a time and trying to resell them because the they would have to make the street price so expensive that no one would buy it. Right. I was wondering Where on the street – oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was wondering if, if people like from California could buy up a bunch of these uh, ounces and then bring them back to California and sell them. But you're saying that wouldn't be uh, cost-effective because it would be more exp- – they wouldn't get the same selling it as they what they what they bought it for. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're better off just taking whatever they have themselves um, because buying through here is just way too expensive. Now, for someone who, like, like, I mean, I smoke quite a bit, but I would consider myself, like, if I can avoid going to a criminal, not necessarily a criminal, I don't want to call it that, but a dealer or, like, my most recent deal that I have to make, it's with, like, uh, he's basically a security guard. And I go up to his place of work and we do the exchange so I can avoid all that. And I can just go to one of these dispensaries next to my house and the transaction is pretty clean. You can actually pay with debit card. It just feels more legitimate and I don't feel as like nervous as buying from someone just on the street. Yeah. Well, okay. I, you know, I understand that. And so, do you think that you think that most people are going to feel that way? You think this is going to replace the uh, the street purchase of, of pot in in uh, Las Vegas, or you think that that's going to still thrive as well? I think it will eventually because the prices are high now, just because it's kind of new and it's a novelty. But for sure, these places are going to have to lower their price and compete because there's a few guys I know who will still buy the street price just because it it's like fifteen to twenty dollars cheaper. But once it comes down, and then plus you have the whole, you have quite a bit of variety. And also these dispensaries, you don't have to worry about them being out or late or waiting two hours to come to your house. You can just go there and get it. So I think in a year or two, it it definitely will. Um, I mean, for me, as far as I'm concerned, I'm probably not going to be picking up from the street unless I get a really good deal. Um, But the dispensaries, like 50 bucks like 50 to 100 bucks it's definitely worth it and were th- were these uh, was it crowded at all there when you went to two o'clock on the day they opened or is it we think people already got it out of their system at midnight and uh, the, the real diehards went there they, I, mean, I heard there were big lines then no so the first day it was i actually waited two hours when i went then i i didn't even know what i was waiting for i mean i knew what i was waiting for but i didn't know how long it was where once you get in the building it was like another hour wait but I went to that same place the next day on the second, around the same time. It was one to two p.m., and there was no. There was ten people in line. It only took me twenty minutes to grab everything and leave. And then I went to a new place today that's right by my house off Charleston and Decatur. And right there, like it took me only five minutes. You walk in, the scene is almost like the end of Matrix when he meets the uh, the maker. It's like this girl sitting on a chair in front of a white door. She checks your ID, and then she just lets you in. And that took no time at all. Because the dispensaries that are kind of hidden, that people don't know about, there's hardly anyone that goes there. Yeah, you know what was interesting? Someone showed me, I was actually, uh, on that night, on on June 30th, uh, July 1st, I was actually, uh, I, I went to dinner that night. Shortly, you know, pretty late. So when we finished, when we finished, it just past midnight, and I was with Brandon, I was with Larry Laffer, I was with another guy who, who uh, listens to the show but isn't a, a foreign person. His that's a, his real name is Larry, 
And then uh, Amanda Stinchcomb was there. You know, she's been on this show before. She was there. It, it was the uh, it was the first time I had met her in person. And so, so we uh, and then the side dish from the forum was also there. So we we ate at a Korean barbecue place. And right after midnight, uh, she was showed. Was it B one? Uh, no, no, it was, I forgot what it was called, but, uh, she, she showed me on her phone, Amanda Stinchcomb pulled out her phone and showed me that the difference between what, if you search for dispensaries, what it showed before my, midnight and what it showed after midnight. And after midnight, it was like so many showing up on the map where before midnight they didn't. So I guess a lot of new ones must have opened that, uh, were only, that weren't there before. Uh, have, have you heard about that? How a lot of new ones opened right, right when midnight came? Yeah, what happened with that is a lot of them actually were already places to sell with license. Um, they were just, because the place I went to that I'm speaking of today, it's like a wellness clinic, and you only know about it if you have a, a legitimate prescription as well as a medical card. Because um, the way to secretly find out about these places, there's an app, it's called Weed Maps, and it would show these same dispensaries before. Uh, but now, but you would only know about them if you were a patient and had a card, and they would tell you how to get to it. But now, since the dispensaries are legal, um, yeah, they were added to Google. So a lot of these places were already there. They just weren't open to the public. Because I noticed when I typed dispensary that it, it showed up as well, when before it was kind of hidden. And weed maps, when I'd go through them, I'd call the number to some of these places, and if you didn't have a medical card, they wouldn't even talk to you. Okay, yeah, that's that's okay. I guess that explains it then. Yeah, I wonder how so many just like instantly popped up on on the map right at midnight. I was wondering if there's just a bunch of new ones that uh, were waiting to open, but I guess a lot of them just were not publicizing, and then they decided to publicize after midnight. All right, well that's that's an interesting uh, perspective there, and uh, so so you think that people who are traveling to Vegas from out of the area that 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 want to get a hold of pot that this is a this is a good option for them they should just show up make sure they have their id make sure they're over 21 and uh um and, and you don't foresee like a big line at this point now that the uh, immediate novelty has ended yeah no not not at all especially if you go later at night for any of the listeners who are plan on visiting here and checking it out i would definitely download weed maps and it will show you places near you and it will also give you an idea of the menu as well as prices um, so it's definitely a pretty cool app to download. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that's exactly and, what I did. If I, I went on Sunday. Th- this is Trader Ruski. He's here now. He went to. Hey, what's happening? Which one did you go to? I went to a Blackjack Collective that was off of, uh, on Western, but kind of near like Industrial and Sahara, I think. Like um, by the Strat, kind of? Yeah, or, but kind of like there's more a like. club over there, right? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like that kind of shady area with it's like strip clubs and all sorts of stuff. But, yeah, that's um, honestly where a lot of them are. You just, you want to know they're there without directions. Yeah, and Weed Map has a rating system, too, so I just went there, went to, like, the five-star. There was, like, two that had five-star. This was the closest. And, yep. uh, no, it was easy. Like you said, go in. I had a California ID, so you definitely don't have to be a Nevada resident. You know, walked in, no line. Yeah. We, we I mean, a, it wasn't like Amsterdam, like, but, you know, it was close. We, we have a caller on who, who's repeatedly trying to call. Let's, let's see what he wants to say. Caller, are you on the air? 
Hey, yo, what's up? I need some weed. <laughs> Who is this? What's up? Hey, what's up, man? Can you get I can't Yeah, really... who is this? It's, it's the fucking bad guy, you okay, idiot. No, I couldn't, you I couldn't hear you. No, you're, you're fu- <laughs> I, I thought it might be... Hang on. I thought it might be you, but I, I, I couldn't I couldn't hear your uh, your phone very well. Your phone is not getting good reception. What do you mean you couldn't hear me well? I'm on one of the best phones you can buy, bitch. I, I heard a, a bad reception at the beginning. Now I hear you very well. Well, uh, I I almost fell asleep with the weed guy, man. I, I need some weed, man. I'm from I'm 4960 now. What's his name? He's uh, th- that's Dizzle here. He's uh, he's one forty nine. Yeah, yeah, brother, man, can you give me some weed, like some pills, like some marijuana, like the the pill form? Well, you got to come to you got to come to Vegas. Yeah, so nothing so under yeah. me. I you know I, everybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> Bagger. No, I'm being for real, bro. I'm paying Bitcoin. We can't make drug That's deals on the show. Come on now. More yeah, Rosa, man. Bad guy, you're you're, you're committing a you're, yeah you're committing a federal crime on the show. We can't have that. No, we're not going to so commit a federal you, crime. What are you doing? Okay, well, I got some crazy. Well, got okay, I got to... What are you doing? Bad, bad guy. Hey, what's up? Hey, yeah, the bad guy's finally back, man. This is the first appearance since Rosa's death. Yeah, so so who's uh, uh, my condolences for that? I was very sad to hear about that. Uh, but uh, so, who are you with right now? Not with anybody. I, I, I want myself. I, I thought I heard a girl in the background. Yeah, yeah. You want to hear her? Yeah, who is that? Hey, you want to hear her? No, thank you. No, she says no. Well, who is it? She got my phone though, and I'm trying to get it. That's why I'm not calling from my regular number. Yeah, I, th- I didn't recognize the number. I was like, "Who is this Pittsburgh yeah, person I'm, calling in?" But you never answer, man. I called you like 14 times. Oh, hey, Druff. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna get off real quick, but I'm just gonna mention two quick things. Yeah. Uh, one thing I forgot. Well, <laughs> bad guy. Bad guy. I'm be not quiet. sure. <laughs> I'm not sure how much more strict but I do know people selling around the city and selling on the strip, I guess the penalty is a little bit harsher for them. I'm not sure by how much, but I guess with legalizing it, they plan on cracking down on people selling it, you know, just regularly. And then also I forgot to mention that all the dispensaries I've been to, they all sell edibles and they sell the stuff. Bad guys talk about pill form. You could get glass, like weed glass, so pretty much anything you can think of is there if you guys come check it out. Interesting. Well, yeah, thanks for the information. I had to cut off bad guy because he wouldn't let you speak. He was just, uh, I think he's drunk right now. So oh, he yeah. Was, he was just, he was being. And, oh, they do, he is, but. and they do have a lot of that CBD stuff, you know, that's like. If you have kids a little, or something. Yeah, it's like a little THC, but it's like more for pain. So it doesn't really get you too stoned, but it, it helps yeah. with pain. Yeah. I, I look, it's uh I appreciate all the information here. You know, I'm not going to use it personally. I I don't ever smoke pot myself. But this this is what a, an open minded radio host I am here. That even though I have no personal interest in the subject, I knew that a lot of listeners to this show would, and I, I decided to have the segment anyway. So so people who who do want to partake in this while they're in Vegas uh, will have this information. And uh, so I, I'm doing it for the listeners, definitely not for myself. And uh, but I, I think you gave uh, a lot of good info. So thank you for that. And uh, Bad guy, if, if you're listening here, you, you've got to let the callers speak. You can't shout over them. Right? I have to cut you. I have to, I've decided I'm not letting any drunk people like run over the show anymore. So they've got, they've got to be respectful of the show, even though we love bad guy here. Okay. 
Cool, cool. Well, yeah, th- thanks for having me, man. I guess I'll continue listening to the show. All right, very good. We'll talk to you later. All right, Dizzle. Yeah, have a good one. All right, that was Dizzle, one of our few black listeners. I, I, I think we have three that I know of. We could have more. But there, there's him. There's there's one guy who uh, who has a 510 area code that is was from the Oakland area at one point but isn't anymore. And then there's uh, a guy who go, whose name is Lloyd, like IMD Lloyd, who posts on the forum sometimes. He's also black. Uh, those are the three black listeners I know of. There may be more, but they haven't identified themselves to my knowledge. Uh, by, by the way, I'm hearing some background noise there, Trader Risky. Oh, is it? You know, this. You know, they did. They did uh, redo like the client for Skype. Yeah, a- this is better. A little, are you muted or something? I, I don't hear the background. Okay, noise. now I know where the mute button is. Okay, I'm, I'll be muted. But no, no. But I, now, you're, now you're okay again. There's no more noise anymore. Now it's better. Oh, okay, cool. All right, good. Yeah. yeah, I think I had to point it towards the fan or something. Yeah, you know... Or the w- AC thing. Windows is... Uh, it had a major update, Windows 10, and I took it, and then, of course, my sound card just stopped working, and I had to grapple with that for a while. I hate these damn updates. I hate Skype updates. I hate Windows updates, and whenever I take them, I'm sorry. But at least at least so far, everything seems to work here. So... Uh, the pain in the ass thing with the new Skype, though, is whenever I want people to hear sounds, I have to individually keep adding the share sound to them, whereas before it just always worked. So, like, I bet you can hear, you can hear this, right? Can you hear? Did you hear that? Did you hear that, Trader Risky? Now you can't hear me. I, I don't know what's going on. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, now you can hear me, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I did hear that. Yeah. So I like it's because yeah, I added you know. it on here. Okay, let, let me before I go on to the next topic. Let me see. Now it's not letting me add Larry. It just says like add to group call. I cl- oh, no, it, it, it did add him. What Skype's messed up. Okay, Larry. Hello. Hello, Jeff. Hello. So, you know, at least I can take calls. Remember last week I couldn't take calls. You took my call last week. What's happening, Larry? What's happening there, Trayvorsky? You know, I, I had to call you back last week. That's what ha- like last week. I was having issues taking calls, and the week before, I had issues taking calls. I mean, Skype was having problems, but at least, at least, I, I, I think that seems to have fixed itself. So, Larry, what's going on? You're back in Chicago, right? I am back in Chicago. Yeah. Okay, and and Larry got to meet me in person. Sadly, Larry got to uh, uh, he got to f- be in my hotel room for uh, some time. He got to uh, ride in my car. He got to see. He got to see a picture of Benjamin, and uh, all true. He, he saw. He he went to dinner with me on uh, two nights. So I, I spent uh, some time with Larry here while he was in Vegas. And uh, Larry, you seem to really enjoy your yeah, time. Yeah, we definitely hung out. You, you seem to enjoy your time in Vegas. Is this correct? This is true. In fact, I'm going back very soon. What, when are you going to come back? Um, very soon, probably sometime this month. When? Sometime this month, I think I'm going to oh, the month. Wow, that's, that's pretty, I didn't know that soon. Okay, wow. Yeah, so, so Larry, uh, the, he, now there are a lot of, you know, when you're, if you're back later in the month, there won't be this, uh, massive number of people from, uh, Poker Fraud Alert or associated with Poker Fraud Alert around. It'll be, uh, pretty much the Vegas locals uh-huh. at that point. Well, that's okay. That's a business trip. Okay, well. Very good. I'm glad you had a good time there. And uh, have, had you ever been to Vegas before, or that was your first Vegas trip? That was definitely my first Vegas trip. 
You know, you know what gets to me? Like pe- people who are in uh, your area in Chicago, it's more understandable because you have to fly there. But I, there's people I know in, who always lived in California, in Southern California, that have never been to Vegas and are like 28, 30 years old. And I say, how's that possible? How could you, how could you grow up in Southern California and be near 30 years old and never have been to Vegas? But but there are people I know who have really never been to Vegas once. I say, how could you just not do that? I I. I was there when I was a kid in the seventies a number of times. So I just don't understand if you're so close in Southern California, why, even if your parents didn't go for whatever well, reason, if, if you don't gamble or drink or now smoke weed, uh, what's the point of going? Well, no, but it's, it's become more of an entertainment destination now. They, they, they have shows and other things people are interested in. So there's a, lot, a number of things you could find there that could potentially interest you, depending upon uh, who you are and what you what you like to do. And even just to see the whole thing. I would think this would be just something you'd want to see at some point if it's not too much trouble. Now, I can understand if you don't have that much interest in going there and you live in, in Chicago or New York, there I could see not wanting to fly there for that reason. But people... I just don't understand the Californians, especially Southern Californians. People who are in, you may not know this being from Chicago, but people who are in the San Francisco area or other parts of Northern California, it's not that easy for them to get to Vegas just because the the way the roads are. It should be easier, but because of mountains being in the way, uh, it's it's actually like a 550-mile drive from San Francisco to Vegas. It's pretty brutal. And it's not even, the roads aren't even great the whole way. So it, it's it's a pretty tough drive. I know Jstat makes it. He's in the Bay Area, and he actually drives there. But that, that I did it once. It was brutal. It, it, I'm it, never doing it. Again. Right, it is brutal. So you, people take that for granted. They just go oh, anywhere in California. It's an easy drive. But that's not really true. It's only from Southern California, yes. From Northern California, no. So, uh, but but Southern Californians who haven't gone to Vegas, I just don't get that. But uh, I'm, I'm glad. Larry, you had a good time there. And did you, uh, other than the stake that you got where you didn't cash, did you win uh, overall in your gambling or lose? Um, basically broke even. Okay. I, I didn't play enough cash really to get a good sample, and uh, I won playing the other games that I played. And, so. and and where and how many days were you there total? I think I was there four days. It seemed like longer. It seemed like you were there like ten days to me. I don't know why. It seemed like you were there like a long yeah, time. I was there, I was there for there fucking two weeks. I'm dying. Wait, are you? Where are you still there, uh, Trader Ruski? No, Vegas? I got. No, I came back on the fourth of July. But okay. it's just like Vegas just kicks your ass. Yeah, I saw Trader Ruski uh, very shortly before. I, I saw left and Larry here. joined us for dinner too. I saw Larry. Well, not the, well. That the the last night when I saw you, Larry wasn't there. No. Right. So I, I was with Trader Ruski and some people who are not on this forum, and mm-hmm. uh, and then I, I went and played the event the next day with a tiny stack and busted, and then I left that same day. So I I saw Trader Ruski less than 24 hours before I left town. Uh, here's somebody who is not leaving town very often. That's uh, Brandon Drexel Gerson, who lives in Las Vegas. Oh, here was Brandon Drexel. I'm trying to add him. Brandon. It looks like he's on. Brandon. It says he's on. We can't hear him. Brandon. What the hell's going on out here? Yeah, there we go. Is. There we. I think this is your fault. I think your mic was broken. No, oh, I'm on my phone. Well, whatever. Now we can hear you now. It's on the Skype. What the hell's going on out here? Uh, is, are you all still on the, the fraud, the fraud we're, network? We're on the fraud show, yeah. 
The fraud show still. Whatever on. happened to Stinchcomb? Does she get home safely to Kansas? I don't know. I assume she did. I haven't. Uh, I can go take. A, I can look at her Facebook. My friend had custody of her for two days now. I know. I, I didn't really talk. I didn't really talk about that. I, I mentioned she no. was there. I mentioned. Uh, I mentioned we went to dinner with her. That's about all I said. Not much else was said. You know, it's one o'clock in the morning. I'm literally starting my day. I've been up for about thirty <laughs> minutes. Is that crazy shit? I mean, you can kind of relate. You know, you get on some fucked up sleep schedules too sometimes. This is actually the time I hated waking up the most. I, I really hated waking up at midnight or one. That was the worst. I, I decided. I don't mind it. Really, I, I hated it. You know what the problem is? I'd wake up. Uh, a lot of people I knew were not reachable. They were sleeping. Uh, everywhere was closed. And, and it's not like it's not like everything's closed at six a.m. Like everywhere's closed, and you have to wait a long time till they open at eight or nine. So it just feels like, but not in Vegas, though. Well, a lot of things, regular businesses are. You can go. You tell me that what you would need to do at one o'clock in the morning that you really couldn't do. No, anything. Banking? Yeah, you don't even need banking. All you have online banking. No, you always. What would you need to? There's any any business you need to visit that has, other than a restaurant, of which many are also closed uh, before one. Uh, you can't I can do. also tell you a great number of restaurants that are open right. past one. Restaurants options right now are unlimited. I wouldn't say that, but you're, they're they're more extensive than most areas of the country. I'll say that. But there's a lot you can't do. A lot of businesses well, or anything you want to do that you can't. I, do. Yeah, I would like to add though that um, Las Vegas, for being a 24-hour town, did not have much to eat 24 hours a day. I honestly think Chicago. Well, you have to know where to go, more. even rough. Who's well, this been is to the true, city yeah. a lot doesn't I mean, know all the spots. Not even close. Someone like me, a real seasoned grizzled vet, you know, I can tell you about a place like Pops, which is the premier uh, Philly steak joint, Philly cheese steak joint in Vegas, which is twenty four hours. It's about like four miles from this trip. But anyhow, there there's a number of sushi restaurants, Musashi, for instance. You know, that's on Paradise. Very good uh, hibachi yeah. place. Open till five o'clock in the morning. I mean, so there, there, there are places there. You just have to know where to go. I mean, Korean town or Chinatown. Didn't Chinatown? we go to like a? Yeah, yeah the Thai place like a twenty-four hour Thai place. Yep, the, the Thai place we went to was twenty-four hours. That's the gin joint. The Korean barbecue place we went to that's twenty-four hours. There's you know subways all around town that are twenty-four hours. I mean, there's places to go. I mean, there's real. I could probably name thirty, forty places that are twenty-four hours right now. So that's never an issue for me. But I mean, I do. I, I guess I get what you're saying, Druff, about. Feeling secluded, like, you know, just not having a lot of people to talk to. But fortunately, all the degenerates I know are usually up around this time, too. You know, funny enough, I just got a text, I kid you not, five minutes ago from PFA legend who I met for the first time this summer, Jack Daniels. And he's just waking up in Vegas, too. <laughs> Is he still in town? He's here until they kick him out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By the way, Brandon, he's, tell- here literally, he's here literally for the 90 days that he's allowed before deportation laws take effect. Yeah, Brandon, t- tell me who, who wrote this, this little, uh, I, I, I guess it's kind of a poem. It's like the journey takes me to, to these all these places I may have been afraid to go with no guarantee of how or if I'd even want to know. It's an archaeological dig where the truth comes to me from that corner I hid my wisdom. I think it's more to it. Hang on. Uh, tucked away in secrecy until the day I'll need it. So indeed, this is quite the ride. No, no, not this train. It's really all about learning how to make pancakes in the rain with that recipe for lemonade. Who wrote that? That's got to be Marty. No. I don't know. I have no idea who wrote that. There, there, there's one. 
line in this that uh, will give you a big hint. No, no, not this. I mean, this it could be, it no, could be Traderuski. No, he gets kind of sensitive listen. at times. No, no, not this. <laughs> I say stitch come. You're, you're not yeah, – right. You got it. You got it. I was going to say no, no, not this train is the hint. Uh, oh, I, okay. I'm, I'm just waking up. Okay. Yeah. yeah it was a she was on a train uh, to middle of – Kansas, nowhere. She wrote this Last four days. She wrote this four days ago. No, no, she was taking a bus. I know, she took a train, a bus, and a train. She she took. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. It's like uh, you've heard of planes, trains, and automobiles. Yes. This is this is uh, plane. <laughs> this is trains and buses. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she took a train and bus to Kansas and is starting anew over there with her boyfriend. <laughs> she is. So and yeah, you know, funny, funny, funny tidbit. My buddy, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but it's just, it's a degenerate story, so I don't care. My, you know, she kind of had a bad run in Vegas a little bit, so my buddy gave her a little money. You know, my other, my buddy Larry, not the Larry on the phone, gave her a little money just for the bus ride to get some cup of noodles and maybe a Pepsi. And when they're on their way to the bus stop, they're walking through the casino to get to his car. He's, you know, he's taking her. <laughs> she says, "I think he gave her like sixty dollars." She said, do you mind if I make a quick baseball par- parlay? <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard, I actually heard about that. And, uh, yeah, she, I, th- I thought that was funny. I mean, that's like such a degen thing to do. I mean, borderline disrespectful, but you know, still, well, you know it was, you know. it was, it was funny because like I, I had heard about how she, you know, she had no money and that, uh, Larry was, was giving her, uh, a little money, you know, because he just felt bad for her that she was, uh, she needed. I mean, he money. basically gave her food, room, and beverage. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she got an RFP from him. That's true. So, so Larry gave really? it, and like, um, then I'm on Twitter and I see like, uh, uh, oh, hope this parlay hits today. I'm like, wait right. a minute, <laughs> where where'd that money come from? Yeah. It wasn't. It was like twenty bucks on it. It wasn't like a big parlay bet. But, I'm like, oh, wait but a that's minute. a third of your life. Or your, you know, your bankroll at the time. It's a big bet. Yeah. So I, I, I was a little surprised. It, it, it lost both sides too. Yeah. I, I saw she that. had like. A, because Larry, Larry told me it was like it was like, uh, the Nationals were playing. Who the Nationals playing? I think they were playing. I don't know the do- whoever it was. She had like the over and it went under, and she had the team you know to win, and they lost. Hmm. So she hit like missed both sides. Well, if you're gonna lose parlays, you might as well lose big. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah. By the yeah. way, speaking of those last few days in Vegas, um, I this is a true story. I actually held a lot of money. <laughs> For somebody who who had just met me, Someone you can say the story. No one knows who it is. If you want, I mean, you don't have to, but he won't care. Okay, well, th- this, like, this no one will ever figure out who he is. I mean, you know what I mean? I'm the only connection now. I guess you and Trader Rusky. Okay, okay, tell the story. For, okay, so for for reasons I, I won't uh, give here, this this uh, other Larry, not the Larry on the phone, not the Larry in the form, but this other Larry uh, needed someone trustworthy to hold uh, a lot of money for him and the amount of money he wanted me to hold was one million dollars it was actually uh one twentieth of that but still a lot of money fifty thousand dollars he uh he asked me to hold for him he had just met me that day he had he had heard of me before but he had never met me in person nor sp- uh and he had spoken to me on the phone once like two days before that and that was the entire uh Amount he knew me, he, he he barely knew me at all, and uh, he was willing to take fifty thousand dollars cash, which he brought over in a plastic bag, like a plastic shopping bag. He brought it over uh, to to my uh, hotel room, and I stored it in the safe. And I, I prayed that uh, nobody was going to break into that safe because uh, 
uh, you know, feeling bad both for him and also, you know, I, I hold the money for him and then it vanishes. Oh, I go, oh, someone broke into my safe. I was hoping he'd believe that story if it happened. But uh, he, he was willing to let me hold $50,000 for him in cash without knowing me, just just based on reputation alone. So that, that's that's an answer to that troll who was harassing me on Twitter about how I'm, uh, I'm so shady. I'm Ouch, not- that was a very strong vouch on your I was a very strong voucher on your behalf too, so that that helped. Yes, and I also insured it, meaning that if you if you did do something, that it was on me. But well, I now, knew now you wouldn't. Now you're so ruining I mean, the you know. story. You're ruining the story if you're insuring it. Now, oh. it's, uh, okay, that's uh, well. I mean, I'm just this. You know what I'm saying? This no, but that. he had decided to do that before you said that, Brandon. Yeah, Trader Ruski was yeah. there too. Trader Ruski was witness yeah. to this. So I so I I put the and I did put it in the safe. And honestly, the only thing I was afraid of was that I was going to run bad, and this would be the one time my safe has ever broken into because my safe's never been broken into. And I've never kept that amount of money in, in a safe, uh, in a room safe before, but uh, I did on that day. And uh, and the next day as well, we, I held it for two days. So, and then there was even a complication at the end because I, so I, I give him back the money and I'm, you know, no one stole it. Nothing happened to it. I never even opened the bag. For all I know, he could have just had, uh, you know, shredded paper in there. I, I never even opened it to take a look. So I gave it back to him. And I'm patting myself on the back. Yeah, I held it. You know, it was all fine. Yeah, he'll be happy. You know, he, could, he, he was able to trust me. He gets it back and he texts me that $1,900 is missing. Now, in Larry's defense, he said right away that he does not suspect I took it. That, that he, he, but he said it's just really weird. He said, I don't think you would have done this. But it's just really weird that, number one, he said, I counted it all out beforehand, and yet uh, one of the $10,000 uh, bricks there, he's, you know, he had a strap, of the, one of those paper straps around of $10,000, one of those was ripped apart, and there were only 81 bills in there instead of 100, and they were all kind of damp. And I said, well, that's really weird. So I was so curious about this, I actually went over to the safe to see if anything else in the safe was damp. And it was bone dry there. It was, nothing was damp in that safe, so I couldn't understand it. And it, was, it wasn't all the cash that was damp. Only that one 10K brick was damp that had the strap ripped and 1900 was missing. So I, I, I was like, oh, crap. You know, what we should have done was just counted it beforehand just in case something like this. Because I, like I... It wouldn't make sense for me to steal nineteen hundred out of fifty k. And if I'm going to steal, it'd be better just go for the gold and just claim someone broke in my safe and it's all gone. Or, but uh, yeah, anyway, nineteen hundred seemed to be missing, and there was this weird thing with the cash being damp. And I I felt so bad, even though I didn't do anything, and even though you know I didn't gain from the money. I even made sure it didn't fall out somewhere. I I was very very careful after he told me that to make sure that the nineteen hundred was nowhere in the room or in the safe, and that the safe wasn't damp in any way. Nothing. I, I couldn't find any evidence of this. So um, he kept saying, no, 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 I appreciate it. Don't worry. I don't think this was you. You know, I, I must have just messed up. But I was like, if only he could be convinced 100%. Like, like you know, 1900 isn't that much to him. So he's, you know, I knew he wasn't going to sweat it too hard, but it's still $1,900. So I was like, I was like, oh, this is shitty. I wish I, I wish I was just, like, I wish I had counted it. I wasn't mad at him. I was just like, I wish I had thought of counting it beforehand. So this way, if if it really was not fifty k, if it was actually uh, forty nine thousand, uh, uh, I didn't know this part. Oh, you didn't you know the nineteen hundred dollars? Yeah, no, no, no. If, it, yeah. So it wasn't a forty eight thousand one hundred instead of fifty k. Well, I guess the reason you didn't hear about it is that he went back and decided to count all of the money with him, not just the fifty k he left with me. And he figured out by counting all the money 
that actually none was missing. That he did, We still can't explain why a little bit was damp or why that thing was broken, but that when he added up all his money together... No, that thing broke in the room before. Do you remember that, Brandon? Oh, see, he, he said, have... oh, shit. He, like, said out loud, oh, shit, one of the things... Uh, see, he must have forgotten that. Okay, so that's what happened. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no I touched so, 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 so he, yeah, so he, after, after he counted all the money he had and saw it all added up properly, then it didn't matter that from that particular bag 1900 was missing because he had the right amount of money on him. So, so I was, I was happy to hear that because I, I, he was never blaming me and he was, uh, I, you know, he seemed sincere that he didn't suspect me, but I just didn't like that 1900 was unaccounted for when it, which he thought he left with me. So I was glad that, uh, that it was reaccounted for. So yeah, must, I don't know how I got damp, but, but, uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, not hopefully, but he must have broke the, sta- the strap, as you said. You saw him do it, and then I, I, my guess is that maybe you know he had broken it and uh, taken some money out and didn't realize it, and then uh, and had done so with like wet hands after he washed his hands and didn't dry him very well, and that's why it was a little bit damp on that. That's, that's that was my theory, but uh, that there was a little moment of nervousness, but thankfully he counted all his money up and f- figured nothing was missing, and uh, it was a happy ending. And uh, the money was returned safely. But that that was the first time, and maybe the only time, that I'll ever hold a sum of money like that for someone that barely knows me. So. Uh, that was, but really, the only thing I was afraid of was that somehow this would be the time someone would break into the safe, and then how do I prove it? How do I prove it, if, that, if that's really what happens? Oh, Brandon, something you missed, too, before, is that uh, Jeff... I, Jeff- no, apparently knows who the troll is, but doesn't want to reveal his name. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I've yeah, I've made some reference to it before. I, I didn't say anything about the person specifically, but I, I was just telling the person that you know they know they should not have done this, and and further, is it the person I suspect, or is it or somebody different? I'll tell I'll tell you after the show. But the, but the, the person knows that they should not. Wait, is it the person I suspect? Well, I, I didn't want to give any hints. I'll, I'll I'll tell you after the show. But. But okay. but uh, the person knows they shouldn't be doing this, and they 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 should get in contact with me and explain themselves. And they're not as anonymous as they think. And there's a lot of ways that uh, one who does something like that can be found if uh, if the person attempting to find out who they are has some. Uh, well, can you give us a little teaser? Is it someone a poster? It, it's Is a, it a radio caller. It's, 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 it's someone. I, I will say. I'll, I only went as far to say it's someone who listens to every radio show. So that's that's it. So. Uh, but Matt Glantz did it. <laughs> wow. Matt Glantz, I'm ashamed. Of, I'm ashamed of you, Matt. How dare you? No, it's not Matt Glantz. Uh, but you know, I, I, wait, hold on. I'm just getting a text right now. Ari Engel just, I don't know. He says, "Tell Druff I'm sorry." <laughs> <laughs> what about Gary? What did you do? I, I just, I, I just wish if people like if they're so. For whatever reason, this person became concerned about it, which only he knows. He should have just come to me. He should have just said, "Okay, I saw you came in late. What are you going to do about the investors?" Like that—that's the adult way to handle it. Not that four hours later, try to troll me about it on Twitter and accuse me of scamming. Uh, be, I think it's Howard Letter trying to take some of the heat off him. Hello, hello, Calwat. Hello, Calwat. Hey yeah, I can hear you, Calwat. Can you hear us? What's up, Drop? Now, are you still at Universal? Yeah, are you done with the agenda yet? Uh, just finished it. <laughs> we're, we're just finished with it. So, so we have Trader Ruski on. We have Larry Laffer. We have Brandon, uh, and now we have you from uh, Universal Studios in Singapore. Is that correct? Wow. Is that where you are? What's up, Calwat? What's going on, man? Are, are you? At, are you still at Universal in Singapore? 
He's not yeah. here. Okay. We are in Singapore, and then we, we leave early tomorrow morning. And are you going back to New York tomorrow We're morning? Going to Japan. Oh, you're going to Japan tomorrow morning. Now, w- will you be available I'm next? Sorry. Say it again. You're breaking up. Yeah, it's, it's hard to hear you too. Are you going? So you're going to Japan tomorrow morning? I don't know if it's happening, bro. Okay. <laughs> Much as I love Cal, I had to drop him. Let me, let me try. <sighs> to, I'll try to put one more time on here. It's just terrible reception. It's brutal for the listener to hear a, a struggled uh, VOIP <laughs> conversation. Cal, are you there? That's... No, he's not even answering now. Uh-huh. Well, he's trying. He's 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 given his best try there from Singapore. I, I give. Now him... listen, someone someone messaged me earlier. He's in Singapore. He's in Singapore right now. Yeah. That, you know what? Uh, someone messaged me earlier. I was not listening to this. Show. I wasn't even awake. And they said that you had broken the record tonight for the longest intro ever. That the show intro literally <laughs> was almost two hours. Is that accurate? <laughs> Well, sort of. We we had a uh, we were interrupted by a Ken Scaler call and took that, so that kind of became part of the interview. Uh, I so, can't say who, but they said that uh, they had to turn it off because it was literally two hours and it was still it was still talking about you know the intro. That's understandable. Caller, you're on the air. Hmm. Hello. Yeah, caller. Go ahead. Hey, good evening. This is Leaping Larry on the phone. Leaping Larry, hello. You're the guy uh, I, I held the fifty thousand dollars for. Larry. Good evening, good evening. My, my most trustworthy friend in the world here. <laughs> so, so, yes, leaving leave Larry friend. on the phone here. And he's, uh, he, yeah, he's the guy I held the money for. And I, I got to know him during this, uh, the, the past week yeah, before I left Vegas. And uh, I really like this guy. Larry's one of my closest friends Thank in the world. Thank you. Hi, Larry. And brother Brandon is me as well. Love this guy. He's like my brother from another mother. Yes. We, uh, Larry and Hello? I got into some... Yeah, we're yeah, here. We're, we're here. here. Can you hear us? Okay. Yeah, yeah. We're having... Yes, clear now. Okay, that's good. That's good. We're, I don't know, for some reason, at least I can take calls tonight, but uh, some of them haven't been that clear. I've tried to blame it on the other end, but that's just easy for me to do. It's just easy for me to act like it's the other person's fault. Now, Larry is what you call a true professional gambler, but a true, true sicko degenerate gambler. He has massive. This is true. This is true. So, Larry, I I think that the listeners will really enjoy this. First, I want you to tell them. uh, Actually, I just kind of want you to tell a a, a detailed story over the over the last twenty four hours. What happened when I the last couple hours, you and I, and then what you just texted me about what your day was today while I was sleeping. People might enjoy hearing it. So, just start off from last night at the Palazzo. We got back from we played bingo. At 3 o'clock in the morning. No <laughs> shit, because we were wide awake. We went over to Arizona Charlie's. And what, what did we win in bingo? $45? $45 is correct. Yes, sir. Okay, and then go from there. Talk about what happened you know, the rest of the night, and then your gambling ex- exploits today. I think it'll be very interesting. And I'm going to just mute myself and listen. Okay, to the Poker Fraud Alert universe. Here we go. So... Last night, as Brandon just stated, we played bingo, and we lost $45, and that's nothing. That's just chump change. That's just when the night just started getting crazy, so to speak. So we went and we went to the Palazzo, and we played what we call the Stadium Baccarat. And we were playing, and we were watching a shoe that never went more than uh, about three players or so to the entire thing, 
And it closed out, and it went on a very long run of players, and we were betting a lot of money, and we started getting stuck like crazy, and we couldn't hit a single bet. And the next thing you know, losing an absolute fortune of money, I'm losing about $13,000. Oh, wow. And I'm down to my last literally $1,900 in my pocket, and the machine wouldn't even take one of the hundreds. The white hundreds don't really work in these machines. Why, I don't know. So I had $1,800 left, and I went all in. One bet on the bank, and I hit it. And, of course, you got to pay 5% commission. So my money was 35.10 after that hand, and I went all in again after that, and I went again wow. on the bank. So now I have 6,800, and then I waited a hand, and then I went 5,000, and I won that. <laughs> so now I'm getting closer to even, and then I took one more bet for 3,000 dollars, and I won that, and then I quit, and I was actually ahead 400 dollars. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, wow. it's the truth. So, so, you, so you <laughs> a took, roller coaster. You, you took your your final eighteen hundred that you had on you, and and you parlayed it all the way back to uh, to over eighteen thousand. No, I turned it into when I cashed out the voucher. It was fourteen thousand oh, seven hundred dollars. That's right. For, all the back to fourteen something. Wow, that, that's amazing. And just over a few hands. Right. Yes, I, from four hands in a row of winning, I turned hours. literally an $1,800 voucher, and then the $100 that I changed for a different $100, though, I added everything together, and it turned into 14700 from winning four hands in a row on the bank. And the sick thing was I was sitting right next to him and did the same thing and turned peanuts into $15,900 right next to him. Wow. <laughs> What's up, Larry? Yes. Okay, that's great. Hey, Trader Ruski, what's going on? Just chilling. Sounds like I nice, nice. So, the, so then, so then, I mean, that was I'll probably our biggest com- That was probably our biggest comeback in terms of like from peanuts in, running in le- and in less than ten minutes, brother Brandon. Less than ten minutes. We had a voucher over thirty thousand dollars in front of us. <laughs> that is it correct. Was, it was pretty epic. And then I went home, and I had some things to do at my house. Then Larry went back out this morning or this afternoon, and it sounds like you've been all over town. You've been to three different, four different casinos today. Yeah. So, so, so let me get into today's event. Do I still, do I still have the floor? <laughs> yeah, I still have the floor. Just one moment, though. Uh, Calwater, oh. Calwater, are you here? I am here, sir. Yeah, you're here. So, so uh, Leap and Larry, who uh, I, I got to meet last week, and I actually held uh, fifty thousand dollars for him when he didn't know me, and he, he trusted me to hold. Is that 50- the, the gay bicyclist? Yeah, we'll go with that. Sure. So uh, anyway, uh, so Leap and Larry, he's he's explaining some of his uh, degenerate activities uh, recently here in Vegas, and uh, so what were we saying? In less than twenty-four hours here, less than twenty-four hours still, and it, it gets even better. How about today's events? Are we ready to hear today's events? Yes. Do it. Okay, so I'm st- I'm staying at the Golden Nugget. I've been there the past three days. I'm checking out tomorrow, and thanks to Mr. Trader Ruski, which is on the line also here. Um, he got me hooked on a uh, triple-play poker-type game. So when I woke up today at about 5.30 in the afternoon, I went downstairs and I went over to this triple-play poker game, which is $15, uh, you know, a push. You know, it's a multi-way game. You get three hands. Yeah. You familiar with that? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So I was playing that, 
And in less than 15 minutes, and this is no, this is no joke, I was down $1,300. The machine just ate me alive. I got nothing, literally. And I didn't even get close to a Royal. It was just horrible. I mean, at least the other day, I, I got some play out of it. So I lost $1,300 in that. And then I went up to my room and I took a break. You know, I was watching some videos and stuff, listening to some music. And then I went back downstairs and I actually left. And I took my butt over to the South Point and played, you know, what I specialized in professionally. I'm playing video roulette. So I played that and the machines were not cooperating there at all. And I lost $6,900 there. And I walked out the door because they don't have a wide enough variance of uh, range when you start getting stuck to get out of the trap, as I call it. So then I left losing 6,900 there. So minus 8,200 on the day, um, so to speak, combined Golden Nugget and South Point. So then I went over to the Bellagio and I walked right in the door and started firing $300 on one number on the roulette machines there, single individual machine, of course. And all I know is, and it hit a hand tag for 16200 It was $450 on the five. And when I got paid that, I had recovered 5900 of the 6900 I lost at the South Point. So negative 2300 on the day. Then I left the Bellagio, and as I'm still sitting in the garage here at New York, New York, I just finished playing here a session. Um, I played, and I was into a roulette machine right out of the gate for 8400 and I hit the 13 with 300 on it for 10800 <laughs> So I've gotten back everything, and I'm plus $100 wow, for the day. that's amazing. So, so this, there it is. Larry literally, <laughs> Larry literally has about 7 to $10 million in jackpot slips every year. Like he, <laughs> he hits. Wow. I mean, he'll, he'll have a day. I've signed $27,000 in the past two hours. <laughs> in two hand pays. Well, now, now so, here, here's a question: Do they give I, you uh, do they give you a hard time at the IRS with, when you have so many of these to to, to prove that you never, didn't actually win? Never, never had an issue. They never actually give me a hard time because I actually save all my slips, all my W twos, as they're called. I'm sure you're aware of that. And my father does my taxes for me, and uh, we write it all off. So let me let me let me tell you one more funny story, and everyone will really appreciate this. This is the epitome of Caesar's fail, by the way. So about, I don't even know, Larry, or Larry, five days ago, maybe, was that when you were at Harris playing one of those must-hit games? It was five days yes, ago? Yes, the must-hit 5,000, yes. yes. He was at Harris, and he's given Caesar's properties literally no action in a decade because they don't have any of the games that he thinks are plus EV or games that he thinks or enjoys playing. So he does not correct patronize any of those properties. Another friend of his was scouting for these must-hit games. And for those that don't know what, what I'm talking about, there are these games. They're made by a company called Ainsworth. Am I, am I pronouncing it right? Ainsworth? That is, that is correct. Ainsworth. Ainsworth Gaming Technology. Correct. And you'll see them in every casino, literally every casino. And they have a little rising jackpot that's only for that individual machine and it must, it says right on top, must hit by 5,000. And what that means is, say there's like 4980, you know, showing on the little meter, you know, within $20 it has to hit, or it could hit even sooner. Mom. It could hit it 
4,200, for instance, or 4,500. But most of the time, Larry, what, is, what would you say it hits around? Like right around 5,000? They, they, they average about 65% of, of the way through. So I would say in, they average probably about 4,800. Between 48 and 49, they usually go up. But they so can hit it any amount. And they start at 4,500, by the way. I just wanted to clarify that. Because yeah. so you were like saying 42. They start at 45. And, and again, every $5, I believe, you pump in, it increases the jackpot meter a penny. Is that correct? That is correct, too, which is horrible. But yes. the game gives bonuses and stuff so you can, like, keep playing all throughout. Now, but it usually another... costs, in general, $100 to move the game one point on the meter. Okay. That's the average. So as another notable comment, this was also the type of slot machines in which a former friend and business partner of mine wanted to play professionally and had asked me for a loan for. Uh, this is what was called plus EV slot, you know, slot point. Anyhow, so Larry went. Somebody had found this game for him. It was at 4,800 and what was it, 4,880? What was it at, Larry? It was. I started it at forty-eight sixty-five, which is a little bit low to you know to, to get married to a game. But I tried it. You know, I went for it. Right. So, nonetheless, he pumps in thousands and thousands, and this machine just won't budge. And at this point, there's like a spectacle. Everyone's watching. All the you know grinders and and, and teams are behind him. What is that background noise I keep hearing? Yeah, what is that? That's background? me. Oh, no, 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 that, whatever that tipping sound is, that's not me. <laughs> we have five okay. people on here, so it's hard, it's hard to know who to blame. So, There's five people here. Okay, so at this point, the professionals are watching Larry, hoping he's going to run out of money so they can jump on that's this correct. machine and bet a couple hundred dollars and get it. So long story short, he's plenty bankrolled for this game, and he's going to hit this jackpot. So he ends up hitting the jackpot. He plays the same machine for, what, five, six hours, Larry? Yeah, it took about six and a half hours to get that particular one, but yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Correct. he hits it. He becomes from having zero status at Caesars to becoming getting dime or getting diamond in a day. He became diamond in a day just for <laughs> that one session, and he also procured a seven hundred fifty dollar comp after he hit the jackpot for Ruth Chris. <laughs> uh, you know, that is correct. Me. Yes. So, but the best part is this. Yesterday, when I was with Larry, I said, have you logged into your total rewards account? He's like, no, I've never done that. I'm like, well, let's just look at it. So I helped him create an account with total rewards online, and we did so. And he he noticed just based on that one play that he had free rooms, and, and, and some of these rooms were suites at any Caesars property. So what we continue to do from that point as we booked Larry, how many rooms did we book, buddy? 13, and I booked five more today. So we booked 18, <laughs> 18 room nights. 18 room nights comped. And, and a few of them, four of them were in, a, in, in at Nobu, which is amazing. Yep, the Nobu's the first one. Yep, yep. And then a, a couple other suites at Planet Hollywood, back at Caesars. Based on that one play, he got a seven, he got a $750 comp for Ruth Chris and 18 free premium nights at not like not standard hotel rooms. Like, you know, suites. Off of an or... $1,800 net loss. Wow. Yeah, off 1800 That's strange. You, you so you what? tell me, why is the company $8 billion in, uh, in debt? What, was this an, I have a question for you regarding this. Is this a, a new card that you got uh, recently, or have you barely used no, the Caesar card? No, you've had the account for over a decade. 
But but okay. So that included Absolutely. none of the old play. He had a play. There was were... there was no play at all except for this range game, as I call it. Must hit five thousand. I mean, there was no is... play at all at a Harris property in this ages. Is... This is wow. the thing. I've I've logged in. You know, when I was seven star before, when I'm diamond. So I know how that website works. In some of the rooms that they were giving him that he could book on the website, I've never seen before in my life. They were never made possible. I'm talking about like the Lux suites. Um, you know, like there was like an Augustus Tower suite. There was, you know, an Octavius Tower suite. There was a Forum suite. There, there was like at Caesars alone, maybe 10 suites, not just like your standard, you know, Forum room and or, you know, the Julius Tower or even like the regular Augustus. Nobu was listed on there. Now, granted, it was, it was only a Nobu Deluxe room, but we looked online. Those same rooms are going for $389, you know, on the weekend. And then the same thing for Planet Hollywood in Paris. They were suites. You know, they were like 13, 1,400 square foot rooms that I've never seen offered to anybody on the website. You know what I mean? Just just higher end rooms. Well, here's the, I, think, I, can, I can give an explanation for this maybe because I, I – I, no, I've been following a lot of what makes them offer comps and not offer comps at Caesars. I've gotten pretty good at predicting it. Uh, so when was the last time, and you say you've had the card for a decade, but w- prior to this, when was the last time you used your card at a Caesars property? Harris, New Orleans, about three or four months ago. But I only played very, very brief. I mean, I only played maybe $200. I, I, I coin in through a machine. I mean, about, I really didn't play hard. I played a what, double diamond for 25 cents. And what about before I mean, that? What about before that? When was the last time you did it before? Oh, uh, it, it's it's probably been maybe a good a good seven or eight years. Okay, that's why at that, least that, that is, at least seven years okay, so here, for here, sure. Here's here's what here's what happened. Um, if you, I mean, I'm baffled. I'm baffled. Well, no, I, I'll explain here. Five days ago, I lost this money. If I'll explain here, they they give you uh, if you are an inactive player or a new player and you suddenly show up and bet in a pattern that they like, whether it's cycling a lot of coin in, betting in, in a, on a machine they think is ne- big net time negative EV, or even if you uh, have a bigger expected loss than they would have uh, believed a good player would get at something like video poker, which someone I know had that. Someone I know got a new card, played a, almost, a very high return machine at video poker, ran awful and returned like about 67% of their coin in, just because they ran so bad. they looked, So the computer thought that they, they were a video poker idiot and gave them a lot of great offers. So basically, if you're new or you've been inactive for a long time, they give you much better offers than if you've been reliably coming there. And the thinking on that is that, and this is the computer does it. When I say they, I mean the computer does it. The thinking is that they're trying to rope in someone who may or who may not come back if they don't give them something attractive, whereas somebody who is an addictive gam an addictive gambler is coming back, 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 back anyway, they don't have to give them that much to entice them. That's the thinking. Right. But right. But another thing is, another thing is I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. The the the, the main the main thing is with these video reels as they call them, they're penny penny machines. So video reels, so to speak. And these type of machines generate supposedly the most theoretical um, in return, you know, especially if you're playing at max bet. And I was playing at max bet for a good six and a half hours, but that's probably which because, was $5 a spin. But that's, but that's probably because you're playing them at the right time to get yourself a good return. They don't factor that in when they calculate the theoretical return. So that's why uh, they, they don't know that. Oh, okay. They don't know that when you're running it. 
Uh, in fact, even in some cases, if, if you're playing on a multiplay video poker machine that has some good games and some get bad games, uh, often the good games will not be taken into account and it'll be seen that you're running it on a bad game. So that... Uh, Okay. There's a lot, of ways, a lot of ways. But nonetheless, for an $1,800 loss to get 18 free nights in, in above standard room plus a $750 paper comp for a nice steakhouse, I mean, that's a pretty good return. Yeah, that it definitely for is. An and there's, and there's more. There's more offers. I mean, it, it goes on and on. This is this runs all the way through November. I mean, it's amazing how they generated this five five days after I lost the money. Not even. Four that's days that's after. the only thing surprising. It was already to me generated. Is, the only thing surprising to me is how fast it generated. I can't quite explain that. So anyway, now, let me ask you, let me ask you one last question. And this is something Larry asked me. Now, of course, he's going to play at all these properties because he wants to keep the offers going. But hypothetically, if he say his first day, which is at the Nobu, say he didn't play or then his second day, could they rescind the future reservations that he's already no. booked with a credit card? No. Okay. No. I, I didn't think so. I mean, he's going to play anyhow. It doesn't matter. But he well, was I, I should say, I should say, they, I should say they can, but they ne- absolutely never do. They, they don't ever rescind uh, comps they've already given out, even if they can technically right. do it. So they, especially just rooms, it's, they don't really care. They, they they care the least about free rooms as far as. They, I mean, he literally, he literally could book an, you know, a top tier room for New Year's Eve just based, you know, through the computer system, just based on that one session. It's, un, it's kind of unbelievable. He may, he may want to do, he may want to do. One six and a half hour session. He may, he, he may want to book a New Year's room in case he wants to use it later. I told him that. Because you could always cancel. Yeah. So anyhow, that that was it. Very interesting. And uh, sorry to hijack yeah, the show. Yeah, that's my crazy people, story of uh, 24 hours. Yep. I yeah. thought people left. And, and also, Larry, I met Larry about five years ago. And we both, at the same time after our friendship began, both simultaneously got DNI'd, which is do not invite from station casinos. That's kind of like our little one, our little bond that we have together. Um, we both started exploiting some things, at least in their opinion, and we were labeled advantage gamblers with station casinos. And although we're allowed to frequent them still, we don't get mailers. You know, my card isn't even doesn't even work. My card was deactivated. And literally, we could walk in there today and lose twenty, thirty thousand dollars, and they wouldn't give us a ham sandwich. Yeah. Uh, you know. So that's how I met Larry. That's correct. He's one of my you know good buddies from Florida, and he's 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 a sicko. I'll tell you that he's had. And what have you? What, what, what's the biggest session you've lost gambling in a day, Larry? What's the most you've ever lost in one session? Um, a little less than a year ago, I lost like 54000 in one night. It was between like three different places. I dropped yeah. 54000 Yep. Mandalay Bay got me really hard. I lost a ton there. 30 yeah, of it Larry, was just there alone. Larry would be uh, good to come on another episode just to talk more about other various forms of gambling. I know he told me there are these pull tap slots in Florida that have been around forever that he knows how to beat. Is, are they called pull tabs, Larry? They don't have the pull tabs anymore. It's pretty ironic how you say that because that used to be my screen name on ALL. My name was pull tabs 22, <laughs> my old, old email address. What, what are Funny the how you said that. What are the slots you told me that are at truck stops that are beatable? For okay, like now those, those are the, those are the, ch- yes, those are the cherry masters for anyone that, is listening is familiar with those those actually have a real betting code that a computer programmer figured out in the early 90s where you would bet one credit the machine allowed you to five times in a row it's all over the internet you could google it cherry master how to beat 
But you would bet one credit five times as long as it didn't pay you anything. And then on the sixth spin, you would send in the max bet, which would be 96 credits, especially when the baby cherry would be on one. And you are bound to get the three cherries, a triple line of three cherries, which would pay 1,920 credits, which is $480 on a quarter credit machine. Yeah. <laughs> and, these, and these machines. It's all over the Internet, how to beat the cherry master. And they still have them to this day, believe it or not, at the truck stops. And they don't pay cash, but they'll give you, like, scratch-off tickets. So you can compensate, you know, and you can scratch Yes. How's yes, my connection Cal. now? Uh, you're, yeah, Calwatt, you're back. Yeah, it sounds better. The problem, Calwatt, before is I kept hearing, like, like, like we kept hearing noise yeah. that was coming through. Well, let me, let me give you my Asian T-shirt update. Oh yeah, he's real quick. Yeah, he's seeing some Asian T-shirts over there that are interesting. Go ahead and tell us. Yeah. So first one was uh, so you know probably eighteen, nineteen year old, uh, pretty young girl, walking down with a T-shirt that said "fuck you" in <laughs> nice cursive writing, which you know I was gonna say something to her, but you know some big scary white dude coming up to her and accosting her and telling her a T-shirt said something about fucking probably wouldn't go over real well. You know? Do you think she understood what? Um, it, do you think she understands what, it, what no, she's wearing, or it's just never? No, no, no way, no way. <laughs> Especially in Japan, it's really big. Like you know, it's like a lot of Americans get Chinese and uh, Japanese tattoos. They don't know what the fuck they are. Well, over there, they don't really get tattoos unless they're in the yakuza, the um, you know the Chinese or the Japanese mafia. Yeah. But they do wear lots of like English T-shirts, right? Yeah. And I also saw a sign in um, one of the food markets that said ass-dried seafood, <laughs> right? And they meant assorted, but they didn't put the period there, right, for the abbreviation. So it was ass-dried seafood, right? Um, but the, I think the best one so far was this, you know, nice, pretty young Japanese girl wearing a T-shirt that had a rooster on it, and it just said, eat cock. <laughs> <laughs> Are you there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That was my favorite one. The eat cock shirt was my favorite. That's great. Yeah. So this is in Japan. I'm going to go. This go is ahead. In, what? This is in Japan you're seeing this? No, no. Uh, we Well, one of them was in Japan, but we're still in Singapore. But there are lots of uh, tourists here. Like, people that grew up in Singapore, they all know English very well. Um, so that's not really an issue. But the tourists, <laughs> a lot of them are from Japan and China. And, you know, they, they have no, no clue. Now, Kalawat, the internet tells yeah. me, the internet tells me that you almost got detained and arrested yeah. at a border crossing. Is that correct? Yeah, he told the whole story. That's true. Already. Oh, I you did tell the story. story. I gave the story earlier. Yeah, you have uh, to go back and listen to the fraud show, uh, Brandon, to hear the basically, whole. Basically, in yeah. a nutshell, no passports, going down the motorbike only lane to enter Singapore because we missed a turn, blowing by cops. I mean, it was not good. Yeah, it, it, it could have been much worse. They got they got lucky. We got really lucky. The guy just wanted some money. <laughs> so so okay. Well, uh, somehow you sound much better. So what are you? Are you still at uh, Universal there? Yeah, we're still at Universal. And I was going to tell you, like when I was here seven years ago, six seven years ago, they were just building a casino. So where we're at is that Resort World Casino that they built in Singapore. Oh. Um, so the Resort World, the casino is right next to the Universal Studios and also an aquarium and a bunch of other stuff. But I already I already looked it up. Like, the rake is so bad that 
I mean, they would have to be horrendous for me to even now, think about triple now, play. Now, wait a second. Is that the same company that's building on the Strip in 2020 uh, or 19? Resort World's the, the biggest, yeah. most expensive casino ever in Vegas? It's the same yeah, one. it must be. Yeah, it must be. They, they did a hell of a job here. I mean, this, uh, Universal is really nice. Um, but also, the whole complex is amazing. Wow. It's uh, this Sentosi Island, I think it's called. So you, it's actually like on an island, and I think it might be an island that they built. So Singapore is like, you know, it's kind of like the, the big toe of Malaysia. It's down at the bottom, and it used to be a um, UK colony. So it's got a lot. It's pretty modern, and they all speak English, but there's not much land. So what they're doing is they're actually reclaiming land. They've got this big project where they're constantly growing the country by dredging up the uh, ocean and like building artificial land. And I think this might be one of those islands that they built. Hmm. So you think it's a fake, a fake island? Yeah. Well, a lot of, a lot of Singapore is they've just been building it up because they're out of land. They can't expand anywhere else. I didn't, I didn't realize got Singapore... a lot of people. I didn't realize Singapore was doing that. I knew that uh, Dubai was oh, yeah. doing that for a while with the, with the uh, fake islands, but uh, I, I don't Singapore know. Singapore is a very, very well-off country. Yeah, I was actually. I think the highest hotel I've ever been in was in Singapore. I was at one that was like a hundred. I was on like the hundred fiftieth floor. This was like twenty <clears throat> twenty-four years ago. There was this really, really tall hotel. I really think I was like on the hundred fiftieth in that building. Yeah. If you want to stay in a really nice hotel, stay in the Raffles Hotel in Singapore. It's where uh, presidents and other people stay, and the, the rooms are fucking outstanding. It's amazing. Now, how, how is the dollar in Singapore, you know, as, as far as – I forget the currency exchange. But is, is everything cheap there? Point, or point seven, 0.73 right now. But, but overall, is, are things expensive or, or cheap there compared to the U.S.? Um, or I mean, Singapore, Singapore is like a city state, so it's kind of like being in New York or San Francisco, like everywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the cur- the currency is pretty good, so it helps. But it's nothing like Malaysia, where, you know, I mean, you you can live like a king for not a whole lot of money. Yeah, that's I, I found that in Malaysia. In fact, in all the Asian countries I went to, Malaysia was where I was getting the best deals as far as uh, things being cheap. Well, when you went there, it was right around the currency crisis, right? I went there in in ninety three, and the the ringgit was worth mm-hmm. forty cents then. Now it's worth twenty three, but that that doesn't mean that right. much. It depends on what things really cost right. over there. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, things are really cheap. Like, uh, I was surprised. I found a place that sold lots of, like, Belgian beers. And I was looking at the prices, and they said, like, you know, 25 ringgit. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's expensive. And then I'm like, no, wait a minute. That's, like, $5 for this, like, awesome Duvel beer. It probably cost me more in the U.S. Yeah. Which is amazing, because they had to put it on a boat from fucking Belgium. Yeah, that that is surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's this is uh, interesting. So we have the uh, we have the co-host on from Singapore. You actually sound pretty good right now. And then, uh, well, I want to I want to try uh, playing in a casino and give you a casino report, but I don't know if it's happening because we leave like our, our flight is at six a.m. tomorrow oh, morning. Okay, you got to be at the airport two hours ahead. So and we got a whole bunch of so we got to leave the hotel like three. Then you're gonna who's to- watching? Who's watching Kumba? Uh, we got a friend of ours that is living at our house. Okay, good. And we got to, oh, I, yeah, my wife asked me if I gave you guys an update. I don't know if anyone cares, but the dog is doing amazing. Like, he's off his meds now, and my friend told me that he wants to go out and run with the other dog, and the incision wow. is fine, and he's like a brand-new dog. Yeah. 
Well, I, I, nice. ma- I mentioned the, the $100 for the free roll tonight. I mentioned it was in honor of, of Kumba from you. So. Yeah, and I have all that money. I've got all of the ringgit. I put it aside, and I made sure I got uh, some of every denomination so that people are going to get, like, a rainbow of currency. They're going <laughs> to open it up, and they're going to be like, what the fuck is this Monopoly money, you know? <laughs> nice. Well, listen, guys, i got to get out of here. Thank you for having me on the show. Okay, thank you, Brandon. And Trader Ruski. And thank you also. This is Ethan Larry signing off. Thank you very much, Drop, for giving me the chance right. to no, no tell problem. the poker fraud universe. Okay. Poker fraud alert. my story for the past 24 hours. I really well, I'm, appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad you got it all back, Larry, and uh, uh, good meeting you last week. Yeah, thanks. I hope I can go and stay in the plus column now and not – Go on these crazy roller coaster rides. Yeah, I'd rather just ride the roller coaster here from New York, New York, just in general. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah that'd be good. Okay. Trader you have a good have a night. Great night. You All too, right. brother. I'll see you in a while. All right. Travel safely. If Larry Laffer is on the phone, we'll see. Larry Laffer is coming there. out here in three weeks. He's going to be staying in a butler supplied two story suite at the Hard Rock. Wow. That's I, where Larry Laffer yes. will be residing. Suite. Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. Oh, wow. He's, he's moving up in the world. That is, that is correct. Moving up. Okay. That's fancy. All, All right, guys. Have a great fraud right. show. Good night. Thank, thank you. Good night. God. Good night. See you later, Brandon. See you, Brandon. All right. See you, Larry. So we, we've gone down from uh, – we had six people total who were on the line here. Now we're down to four, including me. Oh, boy. Now, now it's just well, I, I'll, I'll stick around for a little bit because everyone's resting. But if the connection sucks, just drop me. Okay. You know? Yeah. All right. Good. So, so we uh, we have. Let's see what's on the agenda still to do. Um, oh, this is an interesting story to me, of of something that Poker Stars did that I think was nice. I don't get to say that very often, but we've talked before <laughs> about the PKR Poker Network, how they they basically closed down and filed for what was known as, quote, administrative protection, which meant they, they were broke. It's the equivalent of bankruptcy in the U.K. And uh, it, it looked like that uh, nobody was going to get their money. It looked like that uh, anybody who had money on PKR was screwed. They were part of the uh, the microgaming network, and they it's just like they screwed all their customers. So everybody, well, we've covered it before in the show, everyone just – Shrugged their shoulders that, oh, well, that's the risk we took. We're, we're, we're never going to see this money. It's gone. Shockingly, today, PokerStars announced that they are going to make every PKR customer whole, even if they weren't already on PokerStars, and there's no strings attached. Players can simply cash out the money immediately without playing even a single hand on PokerStars. So um, th- this is what uh, let me go, let me, I just lost it. I had the story up here. So yeah, PKR is uh, so. Let me get to the part where Poker Stars explains. Poker Stars said that uh, uh, seeing players left with no protection is one of the many reasons that we advocate for safe and sensible regulation. As an industry leader, we have the responsibility to lead from the front and demonstrate the importance of sound business practices. While we can't always be accountable for how other companies in our industry act, and it's not our role to be the world's online poker police, we can lead by example and encourage others to put players first. So this is clearly you know, something they're doing for PR, but, but great. You know, so people are actually getting their money back. 
and uh, Poker Stars is just giving away. No, I, I'm surprised. No rake requirements. Nothing. And they, they they announced this in their blog today. I guess now it's yesterday because it's after midnight. But it's on July 6th, announced by uh, Eric Holreiser, who's a longtime Poker Stars uh, VP of Communications. And the blog on PokerStars.com is called Putting Players First. And they, he says the, the recent insolvency of online poker room PKR left tens of thousands of players shortchanged and left waiting alongside all of PKR's other creditors. This is what happens when players aren't protected as they should be. It isn't fair. It isn't right. We've decided that we're going to make those players whole, and we've signed an agreement with a court-appointed administrator to do so. So they've, they've officially they, – they're not just doing it. They actually took the legal measures to take over the debts and, and uh, said, we're taking responsibility. We're going to pay everyone. And it says, beginning today, we're making players' PKR balances available dollar for dollar in PokerStars accounts with no strings attached. To be sure, we already have we have a relationship with the majority of PKR's players because they also already have a PokerStars account. Those players who don't already have an account with us will simply need to open a new account, and their funds will be available to them for withdrawal. Uh, so, yeah, they, they're saying no strings. You just get the money. You want to play with it? Great. If you don't want to play with it, just cash it out. You're fine. So that's a very nice move they're making here. Uh, again, they I'm sure this is a calculated... Uh, move on their part where they figure the total amount of money owed is worth the good PR they're getting for it. The you know, companies. How much is it? Do you know? Uh, I'm trying to find that. Um, let me try. It's not listed here. Let me see if I can find another article. I was wondering that too. But uh, that, hey, Drew. Yeah. I need some help. Do you guys know what the hell a Georgia latte is? No, I don't even drink coffee. I'm I'm at this coffee shop or this little place in here, and they're selling a Georgia latte. Like, I've been to Georgia many times. I don't know what the fuck a Georgia latte is. I've never heard of it. Uh, So with PKR, it's it's peach. It's peach. Okay, there you go. Oh, Georgia. I'm I'm uh, kidding. uh, I thought it actually seemed to make sense. Anyway, it's not. Why would they make a peach latte? I don't know. <laughs> so, hey, uh, before you go, uh, I actually have to sign off. So okay. I'd like to tell you all uh, good night. All right, good night, Larry. We'll be and, down soon. Uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. See ya. Right. Okay, Larry. All right, bye. By, by the way, I'm seeing you on video. See here. Ya, Trader. Trader Risky, I'm seeing you on video here with your shirt off. You might want to take video. <laughs> Did you know oh that? My God. I, I saw Trader Risky with his shirt off. Sh- oh. There we go. <laughs> I, I I saw Trader Risky with a shirt off here. It was a. Uh... Did you have to pay for that? No, I was I, I was thinking of just not telling him, but uh, I, I decided wow. to be nice. And I did. Did you accidentally put that video on Trader Risky? Yeah, I probably hit the wrong button. <laughs> I had to, my dog's bed was all why, left why, up. Why so can't this happen? Go. Why can't this happen with like a hot chick on this show? There, there, I won't say anything. <laughs> then I keep my mouth shut. Well, that's Trader Risky's pickup line. That's. I'll be on the phone with some chick. Oh, 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 I must have hit the wrong button. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I definitely would. Uh, if if there was a pretty girl on there and that came on, I, I probably would just pretend I didn't notice. I'd, if, if she even asked later, I'd say, oh, wow, I wasn't looking at the screen. I'm so sorry. But uh, see, Brandon's rushing back on here. I guess he wants to see it. Uh-oh. Brandon, do you hear? And now we can't hear him for some reason. Hmm. Brandon, do you hear? 
Okay, I, for, for, let me see. It, it keeps flashing like he's joining us. Skype is so screwed up. Okay, so. All right, so a Georgia latte is just coffee with milk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just an ice That's a letdown. coffee with milk. There's probably some guy from Georgia. They think he invented the latte. There might be a statue out there. There's, yeah, there's no, probably, I mean, there's probably there's a guy stuff like asked. that all over the place. Like we, we saw a, uh, a place that sold gourmet popcorn, and it said uh, a Chicago tradition. Hey, hey it's I'm me like, again. I just got a, an emergency text on the, the, the secret of line. They say yeah, someone's on the line doing topless webcamming? Yes. Not anymore, unfortunately. Uh, was it Stinchcom? If only, if only, no, it was a, yeah, our own trader Ruski was doing the. Oh, I gotta go! I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> that would that actually would have been. Uh, she could have made some extra money for the trip doing that. I'm sure. Yeah. I, it probably looked like a bird's nest with a pair of nip, nipples pe- peeking out, right? <laughs> You're very close. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this. No, no. What I was saying, Druff, is like. Um, there's a popcorn company, and it, their tagline or the way they sell it is a Chicago tradition. And I'm sitting here like, there's no Chicago tradition for popcorn. Like, what the fuck? There's just lots of stuff that they – as a way to market it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've seen – I saw this in Thailand. In, it, in Thailand, they like I once saw this like this fashion guide to the U.S., and they show like like Dallas, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and they're just, just totally just uh, putting up. Fashions that have nothing to do with those cities and the people don't even wear in the U.S. Right. They just put they just put that there. Yeah, so yeah, a Georgia, and like all a Georgia latte. Yeah, a Georgia latte. Like I said, it's just a iced coffee in a can <laughs> with some milk in it. I mean, it's not bad, but yeah. they don't drink this shit in Georgia. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, where is it? Oh, this Georgia latte is made in Singapore. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Imported and distributed by Coca-Cola Singapore. Oh, okay. So now, oh. now it makes sense. That's where Georgia Based in Atlanta. Yep. Yeah, that's where it came from. But it makes no sense. But it probably sells. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Someone it, probably it's sh- like a, a Singapore sling, you know? They, they probably that, saw. That they probably got the idea. They probably don't even understand what Georgia is. They probably saw something about uh, Coca-Cola Atlanta, Georgia, and then just took it from that. Right. They probably don't even know what Georgia really means. While you're out there, Kalwap, maybe we could do uh, the Trader Ruski herbal tea. We'll go (laughs) 50-50. Oh, there's lots of herbal tea here, man. Let me tell you. Any kind of herbal tea you want. Oh, I went went for a full body massage here, too. What kind of massage? Holy crap. No happy ending. Okay. And let me tell you, this this woman, like she was uh, Chinese but from China, if it was a happy ending, I think she would have torn that thing clean off. Uh Uh-oh. She was a strong woman. Holy crap. Like, I, I wanted to cry when she was doing so. She did the back walking thing. And she was like, we had just eaten dinner. And she's like, giving me this back massage, jumping up and down on my back. Oh, jeez. And it felt good, but it hurt too, man. I mean, some of it really hurt. You know what? I, I The only back walking I've ever had done on me, I, I've gotten Benjamin to do it before when my back hurts. Because he's, uh, oh, he, yeah. he's a little bit too light, though. He's like 50 pounds. So it's, it's I, I, need, I need a little heavier than that. But, uh. That's the best I could well, do. Well, my, my wife is like 86. Oh, really? I didn't know she's that small. But, wow. Oh, yes. Yeah, she's very portable. She's about 86 pounds. So she, she's done it a couple of times, but not really. You know? That, you're, once you're married for a little while, the whole back walking thing, yeah. 
she's not that uh, not that excited to do it. Well, that's why I got to get Benjamin. Like, yeah, you know, Benjamin, I, I'm getting him to do things whenever, uh, right? Like something hurts because, uh, you know, it's it's easier to get him to agree to it. So, yeah, I, I just got to wait for him to get a little bit heavier, though. That'll then then it'll be good. Like 86 pounds, that sounds good. When he's 86, if, if he's still willing to do it at that point, that'll that'll probably feel yeah. better than now when he's 50. So, just to finish off this other topic here. Uh, I think a lot of the money that po- Poker Stars is putting back in people's accounts is going to get played at their tables, and maybe, you know, and then some of it would pay paid on rakes. They can get some of it back, but there will be people who uh, either withdraw it or lose it directly to pros who withdraw. So, a lot of it's not going to be recovered by them. I still would love to know how much it is, but either way, it's good that they do it. It's good that they exist, and that they are deep pocketed enough to do things like this, and and. Now, this is the second site they've rescued, the bigger one being Full Tilt, but then now this one, too, PKR. So that's uh, that's one of the few uh, good stories here that I can report uh, in poker. That's not, And they'll get the overall marketing value of the big number when, in fact, I mean, what percentage do you think? Well, like for Full Tilt, what was the percentage of the accounts that you think people didn't even deal with? Like I had twenty seven bucks on there. I'm not going filling out a fucking form. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know what I don't know how much was never claimed uh, that that could have been claimed. I bet you a lot. I bet you a lot. But I, I think these were kind of different scenarios, right? I mean, Poker Stars did the full tilt thing in large part to get out of prosecution. Right? Yeah, they did. I did that. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. In, in this but... case, with PKR. I mean, it sounds like it, it probably was at a price where it's worth it just to get the customer list. Yes. You know, to market to and to have one less competitor, one less company no. that anyone else could buy and do anything with, you know? Absolutely. But, like, say it was, like, $5 million, and then half of that people won't collect. Another mm-hmm. 75% people would play. You know, so I'm just saying they're probably getting it. It's definitely a good PR list acquisition. Well, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's very similar to all the gift cards. I mean, the reason why stores want to sell you gift cards is a decent percentage of those always go unclaimed. So right, yeah, free, I mean, there's like billions money. of dollars. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, and that's why every store wants to sell a gift card because they know that there's a fixed profit in selling those in people giving them cash that never gets redeemed. Um, and I'm sure it's very similar here with uh, poker accounts, you know. And I bet you it's actually even higher with poker accounts. I wouldn't be – you may be right. It may be up to 50%. Yeah, I can't even find the exact amount that uh, – it, it may not have been announced. I, I can't find anywhere, even in old articles before poker stores took over, I, I can't find right. the amount. It may have never been announced. By the way, I think this is funny. A radio listener and sometimes forum poster who goes by MDJ1980 – has made his avatar on the forum a very small baby, a very young baby, listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio on a laptop. You can see the little on-air thing up there, and you, huh. can, see, you can actually see the young baby listening to the program. So I, I, I apologize if I've said anything uh, or, or anyone here said anything that's uh, going to scar the baby for life. But there, Oh, and f- I finally listened to the podcast, Druff, from yes. last week. Yes. And, of, of course, I didn't have it on when my kids were there. Come on, man. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Just uh, I was oh just, just concerned. I was just concerned. First of all, I mean, honestly, like, even if I did, I wouldn't really care. And the reason is that it's one of those things where they're not even old enough to know what is being talked about. You know what I mean? So it's not like any of it would 
affect them negatively in any way. Well, it depends what you know? it depends what the subject is. If it's if it's like way over their right. heads, then yes. But if there's a you know, especially if there's some well, some foul language or, or whatever, it's just. Uh... Well, in this case, it would have been way over their heads from the point of view. It just would have been boring, you know. And like you were talking about him and the lesbians, they don't know what the hell a lesbian <laughs> is, you know. And they don't know what two people would do together in a room. They have no idea. The, the they problem could is, have listened to that whole segment, and it would not have affected them at all. The, the problem, you know? you know, I just think of Benjamin when he hears things like this, then he always wants to know about it. He would ask me, "What are lesbians?" And like, I don't want to go into all that with him right now. So, uh, though these days, I, I have to say, in these days in the schools, I'll probably be telling him about lesbians pretty soon, anyway. So, anyway, let, let's. Uh, so, Connecticut, they're uh, they have two casinos at the moment: Mohegan Sun and Foxwoods. But those, I guess, are in the southern part of the state. I don't know Connecticut very well, but apparently the northern part of Connecticut just... I grew up there. Really? Okay, so... I, I grew up in southwestern Connecticut, and I lived briefly kind of uh, in the north near New Haven. Yeah, so I guess Mohegan Sun and Foxwoods are... <laughs> I sneezed there. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, it's it's uh, south and east in the state, and uh, the northern part of the state... Didn't really have anything, making it uh, somewhat of a drive to get to uh, Mohegan Sun and Foxwood. So a third casino has been approved by the state of Connecticut. Uh, Connecticut Governor Daniel Malloy signed a bill, and this was just on on Tuesday, that uh, authorized the, authorizes the construction of another casino in the state. Where? It will be in East Windsor, which is uh, uh, okay. in the northern yep. part. So, uh, yeah, and it's it's going to supposedly be a joint ve- venture between the Mashantucket and the Mohegan tribes. Sure. So uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's what it's going to be, and uh, it was introduced in, in early March. It passed the Senate twenty-four to twelve. That's what we're talking about. The state Senate passed the state House on June seventh by one hundred three forty-six, and the governor signed it, and that is that. So it's going to happen. Uh, That's a smart move. You know, I haven't looked lately, but for a very long time, Connecticut was the richest state per capita. Oh, that's interesting. And, well, the reason is that the whole um, kind of western part of Connecticut is filled with lots of people that make a ton of money in New York City, but they don't they want to live in the country. They want to live in like nice suburban type places. Yeah. So there are a ton of people that make a whole lot of money in banking and Wall Street and everything else that they live in uh, in western Connecticut. It's funny. When I think of Connecticut, I always associate it with, like, the Boston area. I never associate it with... Uh, uh, very different. With, 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 People from Connecticut, they used to send newscasters to Connecticut to learn how to speak huh. because people from Connecticut have no accent. They've got a very flat Oh, really? Accent. I didn't know that. Yep. Huh. Well... Very so- different. Like, a lot of Connecticut is very, like country club and you know that type of thing yeah so anyway the uh the the company that's gonna uh build it they had to immediately uh fork over a million dollars and i missed the opportunity Mm -hmm. to play that uh that sound clip but i'm gonna do it anyway one million dollars so they they have to fork that over immediately and then uh and then once they're operational the casino will have to pay 25% of gross gaming revenue to the state. Wow. 
and that, that's, just, that's that's a lot. That's revenue. We're not just talking about profit here. Uh, and then the twenty five percent. So so of the uh, the twenty five percent for games that aren't uh, quote video facsimile games, uh, they'll be split up. Ten percent will will go to a state tourism fund, and fifteen percent will go to the state's general fund. And then, wow. And then also. Uh, this is not much money, but they're going to have to fork over $300,000 each year for uh, problem gambling concerns. Huh. And, yeah. and then they also have to give grants of I don't know how much money, but uh, to the local towns of Ellington, Enfield, South Windsor, Windsor Locks, East Hartford, and Hartford. So yep. everybody has to get their piece here out of this. Well, let me tell you, man. I mean, that gives you some idea of their profit margins. Because any any other business... <laughs> yeah. You can't you can't take a twenty five percent haircut, let alone everything else. Yes, that's crazy. I mean, their profits margins must be obscene, absolutely obscene. Yeah, and uh, so there's apparently an MGM Springfield. Have you heard of that? I know where Springfield is. It's in Massachusetts. Yeah, so I, I guess that uh, MGM Springfield is um, they, they were concerned that that would take business from people in northern Connecticut that they would yep. rather go there than go to yep. uh, Foxwoods or Mohegan Sun. So this is Connecticut's response to it of just basically saying, you know, instead of letting these people go and lose their money out of state, uh, let's let right. them lose their money in state. So that's, that's, that's really and why that's this That's probably very true because it would take longer to get to Mohegan Sun than it would to get to the casino in Springfield Yeah, from that area for sure. So uh, similarly, uh, New Jersey uh, was uh, they, they were looking at expanding their casino gambling to allow some in the northern part of the state. You see, in the, right now in, in uh, Atlantic City, that's the southern part of the state. Uh, it's so, funny how all moral concerns just go out the window when you're looking at the money going to another state. It's really funny. Yeah, because they, they, they were afraid that the, there's casinos in Pennsylvania now, like uh, Harris, yeah. Philadelphia is a good example, and that they're afraid that uh, that they're the people there are just going to, to the Pennsylvania casinos and not bothering to go to Atlantic yep. City. So there, there's talk about that. And uh, and New York, uh, even I'm sure you know about this, they've opened uh, you know, casinos in upstate New York. Yep. And, uh, so, yeah, the East Coast, they're they're fighting it out for their local, these local casinos to get the, I mean, there's a, a lot of people out there. There's a very uh, large group of Dance. people. It's very dense, yeah. There's there's tons of people, millions and millions and millions of people over there in the Northeast, and uh, a lot of them want to gamble. Lots of money, lots right. of money, lots of money. They want to gamble, and uh, and and they just they're going to go to the place that's most convenient and closest. It's not like the old. I days. wonder how much that's going to hurt Vegas long term. You know, not not just this one place, but the the aggregate of all of these states opening up all of these casinos. Yeah, though, though it's got to affect Vegas to it, some extent. It probably does, but that's why Vegas is part of the reason they've been pushing away from, from gambling is their primary source right. of revenue. So that's, that's right. they're kind of preparing themselves if they, for this. If they do it right, I'm sure it will eventually. But I think, you know. Well, but how long yeah, until not, these places? Go ahead. Sorry, Tracy. No, I was just going to say ahead. they can make all their money off of parking now. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, right. But, but, but I, did, I wonder how know, long they... I wonder how I wonder how long these other casinos figure out the same Vegas formula and start offering like lots of shows and entertainment and stuff, you know? 
Yeah, the, the, I think the problem is though they, they don't have they still don't have the numbers of people visiting that Vegas gets to support all those. Right. That's that's what's right. still these are these are casinos well, that are, are big on their own, but there's just not one. There's not a just a, a massive row of them that, that sure. there's people from all over the world coming to visit. So, uh, so yeah, but more no one's just more places even just for like milking, up singers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But just milking New York. I mean, if they put something in like Westport. There's somewhere that's like an easy, you know, yeah, they're less not than put an it hour. In Westport. They're not going to well, put it in Westport, though. But Westport right. would not allow it. That, no, I know, they, I know they wouldn't. That they would some, never allow it. Right, but somewhere easily. I mean, my cousin plays in a game in Westport. I mean, it's, you know, I don't I, know. No, how. no, no. There are underground games there all the time, but I'm telling you, towns like that's where I grew up. Like, my. Um, my cousins and my uncle grew up in Westport, and I, I know the whole area. Those are towns that they they will never allow a casino in those kind of towns, but they will gladly go, you know, to some other town and patronize it there. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of like visiting a prostitute. Like they would do it, but they're never going to take it home. You know? Right. No. Yeah. And that, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking somewhere they're just like very an hour. waspy. They're just very waspy, very high, you know, lots of money there. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, and uh, here's, here's a bit of more information about this casino in Connecticut. Uh, it's actually going to open on a site of a former Walmart, and <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be off Interstate 91. And okay. they're, they're going to have to cough up, uh, in addition to that million dollars, they're going to have to cough up another $3 million 15 months before the casino is to open uh, <laughs> to the city of uh, East Windsor. Okay, and also every they're also going to have to keep forking over three million a year as well to East Windsor. So a lot of different payouts have to come here. Wow. So this is uh, so yeah, they must have a pretty as you said a pretty damn high margin to be able to eat all that. Oh, it's got to be obscene. And listen, guys, I apologize if. Uh... I've talked to over anyone. I think we just got a little lag here, so it's hard to hard to jump in there. But yeah, yeah I mean, there's so much money there. They're they're going to be making money hand over fist. But uh, you know, I wonder if they're going to suck the place dry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, and and then uh, yeah. So there's uh, MGM National Harbor that's already doing well. So you know, there's yep. a so there's a lot. A lot of these casinos in the east, they're they're springing up because they're they're doing well, and uh, they're all fighting for the locals there to not have to go as far to just to build a closer casino to a large group of the population that doesn't have a casino that close. So that's. that's I gonna... just wonder, Druff, like long term, whether this isn't like opening a coal mine, where in the beginning, you know, everyone makes tons of money, a big boom town, you know, busts out around it, but then they strip mine everything and there's nothing left. You know, I wonder how sustainable these things are actually going to be long term. Yeah, I don't know. It depends what what continued interest there is in gambling and casino gambling. And because uh, at some point people run out of money. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they run out. You know, there are the addicted gamblers who keep coming back, and then also people who uh, who come into money that didn't have it before, or people who right. get, get older and that weren't able to play before. So, but but the question is, will as the years pass, will people continue coming and will the younger generations want to keep coming to play casino games? And there, there's already some concerns right. that, that the traditional casino games are already 
not appealing to the current young generation as much as they had to previous young generations. So that's uh, right. that's why they were coming up with a skill skill based gaming BS and uh, this other crap to try to uh, appeal to the the younger set. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, yeah it's possible that these will start to fall as Atlantic City casinos are are seeing happening for a different reason just because uh, i mean I, I may be completely wrong what is it pt barnum said there's a sucker born every minute so i mean i guess you know there's constantly new fish being created every day right yeah yeah so we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens with that and uh but yeah if, if you're in uh, northern connecticut then you have somewhere to go that's closer i i don't know if they're gonna offer poker or not i presume they will uh but uh that's all the information i have on that right now so that, that's that's pretty much it as far as the stories on poker and gambling. But I, I I have one more thing I want to talk about here, and that is boy, it's pretty late. It's two forty three. I didn't realize that. But uh, we start. Are you going to talk about the the Jew kit? I guess we'll talk about the Jew kit too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Calwatt texted me a picture that it just says a Jew Jew kit. Exactly this down. It's a Jew kit. J-E-W space kit. And uh, it, it's, it looks like it's, it's the name of a business. It's like a, a yeah. big sign over a business. And it says, uh, yep. Jew kit at Killiney uh, PTE Limited. What that is, I don't yep. know. I asked him, what, it, what is Jew kit? So, do you, now, do you have any idea what that business does? Yeah, it's a, they sell kit for Jews. So <laughs> everything that a Jew might need. They got a yarmulke. They got, they got everything there, man. Well, here's here's the big question: Does the kit have any coupons in it? <laughs> I'm sure it does. I'm sure, like the entire thing that they sell is just cut out coupons and discounts. No, no, it, it's actually just. Uh, my wife said it's just an unfortunately named restaurant. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you might get some Jews wandering in there thinking that they're going to get uh, discount coupons, but all they're going to get is some egg foo young. You know. Yeah. The, the the funniest name I've ever seen on a sign in an Asian. Uh, country mm. was there there was one that said this is the name of the restaurant it had the name in, in chinese and then above it the mm. english translation was translation server error oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i've seen those too <laughs> so there's that and then the um my parents were in uh i forget where they, they were in some asian country they, they sent me a picture of one the restaurant fuck you in fuck you in yeah okay yeah. that makes sense so yeah, I, th- those are funny. Yeah, the, the small businesses, I understand why that happens. What amazes me in these Asian countries is sometimes very large companies, even with a U.S. presence, make uh, boneheaded mistakes with the English, where you think that they it would be very easy and cheap for them, uh, considering their resources, to just hire somebody who, who speaks English well, either a, an actual American or just someone who speaks English well in their country, to go over these yeah. things and make sure they're not making these dumb mistakes. But, Druff, real, realistically, who cares? You know what I mean? So let me give you, for instance, um, you ever heard of, like, um, the sort of Asian fusion restaurant in the U.S. called P.F. Chang's? Yeah. All right, so let's say that the Chinese characters that are on the P.F. Chang logo, let's say those are wrong, right? Do, who cares? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it just doesn't matter. It yeah, I can see the point, but, but, but I, I still think for a large company, it can still be embarrassing. Like, why, why allow that to happen? Yeah. It's, so, it's so cheap to avoid. Here's the weirdest one I saw as, as far as a large company making a mistake. Coca-Cola in Japan in 1988, and you can find it if you, if you search it online. They had 
a slogan, a national slogan for Japan, for Coca-Cola, I feel Coke. Mm. Does that mean anything? I feel Coke? And they had it on billboards. I feel Coke. I feel Coke. Everywhere I feel Coke. What does that mean? I feel Coke. (laughs) This is the Coca-Cola company in Japan, and there's not one person that said, that's nonsense. It doesn't mean anything. But it doesn't – I mean that kind of English would appeal to – the people that they want it to appeal to because it looks Western and they, they know what the words are, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, like one of my favorite drinks in Japan is there's a company called Pakari that makes it Pakari. And the drink is literally called Pakari sweat spelled S W E A T sweat Pakari sweat. And you know, nobody cares. (laughs) It conveys what they want it to convey. And I drank it. It tastes good. It's not sweat. It didn't taste like sweat. When no, I was when no. I was when I was a baby, my mom told me that she was at a supermarket and they came up to her and they said this is a new product from Japan. It's called Calpis. And uh, and my mom said that sounds like a terrible name. Said, well, so they, you want to try it? So my mom tried it and it was terrible. And then she gave it to me and I spit it out. Apparently, I guess I think I was like two. So I didn't like the Cal- didn't like it. I didn't like Calpis either. I, I wish I could remember. I tell you if it tastes like like uh, Calpis, but. I didn't like it, whatever it was. Oh, waiting for you. Let's go. If you want to go. Oh. oh, okay. I don't know what Is that your wife? Yeah, that's my wife. Okay. Here, hold on. I'll put her on again. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. No, she's being shy. Oh, she's refusing she to She doesn't want on. any part of it. Okay, makes sense. You know, my... Um, other than a, than a gag on uh, April Fool's where we pretended to have a fight, uh, my girlfriend's never been on the show. Well, I think uh, she might be mad because I walked over and I said, what are we waiting for? And she said, you. <laughs> but I, I thought I was waiting for everyone else. Yeah, I've had that happen a lot of times where I, I think I'm waiting. Yeah. I, I've had a lot of times where I think I'm waiting for her to do something, and, and I really am. Right. And so I just go, you know, take out the phone and, and I look at Facebook or I look at uh, Poker Fraud Alert. And, and then right. she says, uh, uh well, why are you on the Internet? Why are we going? I said, well, you, but I was waiting for you to do this. She said, I'm done already. I said, well, I didn't know that. Well, because when I came over here, everyone was just sitting down. So I'm like, okay, I'll just go call them up and hang out for a little while until everyone's ready. You know? <laughs> okay, so you, you have to go now? No. Oh, okay, now you Apparently don't have to now the, now the baby's sleeping. Oh, okay. So we can't take the, the family picture that they wanted to take, so. What, what, uh, Druff, I'm sure I'm going to have to pay with an ounce of flesh for this at some point. Okay. Where where is where is the baby sleeping? In like a little stroller. Okay. It's funny how babies can do that. They can just sleep through all kinds of noise and ruckus, and they just. Let me tell you, this this baby is our um, Polly's sister's baby, and we traveled all over Malaysia in in a bus together. Holy crap! So painful, man. I, I don't miss the baby stage at all. There's a lot of crying? Oh, God, dude. It's, you know, it's not the kid's fault. It's a baby, and it's being carted around when it's used to napping and everything. But Jesus Christ. I used to get so, frust- <laughs> I, I used to get so frustrated by that. But since I had Benjamin, who wasn't even a big crier, but since yeah. I had him, and, and now it happens, I go, well, I put people through this myself, so I guess, I guess I've got to deal with it now. Well, for me, I can't take it because I, I actually get noise headaches. Oh, Okay. From from that type of stuff where I actually physically start to get a headache and then imagine baby crying over the headache after you've got the headache. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's not good. Not a good, not a good recipe. Yeah. Some people love the baby stage and God bless them, but I, it is not for me. 
I like my kids now when they're older and I can play with them and do stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes I still, I, I still sometimes actually miss Benjamin from when he was a baby. And, uh, mm. I, I think part of that's, you know, I'm not going to have anymore. That's it. So, uh, Oh, you get the snip. No, no, I could, I could have it, but, uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, not, it's not going. We so. had our second, we had our second kid and I just got the snip. No, I didn't. I get looked the, at my wife. My wife looked at me, and we're like, "We could not live through another one." <laughs> no, it's just it's just an age thing with uh, the mom. Is thinking it's not going to happen. So, no, it could have. Like the factory is still open. She's significantly no, no, for, younger. I know for you, but not not for me. Oh right, right, right. I got you. I got you. So, so that's it. So uh, anyway, someone uh, let, let give me uh, the the editorial here. You guys can can jump in if you want, but. I, I have noticed something that, uh, and I, I just experienced a little of this today too. That I, I've seen a lot of freak. I, there's a lot of noise in the background, by the way. Oh, you're hearing a lot of noise here. Yeah, a lot of noise. I'll like, mute it. Okay, I'll mute that's, that's it. I'll good. mute it. That's good. All right. So, ever since Donald Trump was nominated for the, you know, he got the Republican nomination for president about a year ago. I don't remember the exact date. It was around a year ago. That really caused a lot of uh, left-leaning people and organizations and companies to pretty much flip out. I mean, really, really flip out to where before that happened, even if you didn't agree with them, even if, uh, you know, the individuals, you know, they, they had just completely different political views than what you had or uh, in terms of companies, you know, they, they may have leaned a certain political way that you didn't agree with, but you could still have respect for a lot of them. They, they still acted normally, even if you didn't agree with them. And, I, and I'm not someone who ever has disdain for someone or dismisses someone just because their political viewpoints are different than mine. I, I try to listen to everybody, even if they don't convince me of anything, even if we just can't see eye to eye with that. I at least want to listen to their point of view, and I do it respectfully. I don't, I don't ever attack anyone just because they don't see something the same way as I do. Uh, now, I'm aware that on both sides of the political spectrum, you do have those that viciously will attack, you, you know, I'm talking verbally uh, or, or in a written form, those that are on the other side politically. And it's happening more these days than it used to. But where I'm especially seeing it getting really bad is from certain people and organizations on the left that are pretty much just tilted that Donald Trump first was nominated and then he won. Because before he was nominated, it was just kind of a joke to them. Um, it wasn't quite real yet that Donald Trump could be president. Once he won the nomination, even though they thought Hillary would win, of course, there was the legitimate fear that maybe Donald Trump will win. Well, then once he actually won, uh, then the bitterness was escalated big time. And then once he actually became president, once he was inaugurated in January of this year, then it went up another notch. And it's been kind of going up notches, you know, every so often ever since as they're getting angrier and angrier watching the Trump presidency. And I understand if, if you know, if someone is on the other side politically, and especially if they hate Donald Trump, why they can be upset at uh, what they're seeing and why they don't like him and why they... Uh, don't like the situation, but what I'm seeing is a lot of behavior that from certain companies is surprisingly unprofessional, 
and from individuals to where they're just irrational, and ones who were not like this before. Uh, there's someone that none of you know that uh, I've known for many years. And again, it's not someone from forums, not someone from poker, not someone who's ever been on this show, so don't try to guess. But uh, just someone I've known for a very long time that we've always been on different sides politically, you know, going back many years. But that was fine, and, and we always got along. And in fact, on Facebook, uh, you know, they would post a lot of left-wing articles that uh, I would sometimes uh, take issue with and say I don't agree. And I, I, I take issue very respectfully. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't call anyone names. I wouldn't uh, be nasty. But I would say, you know, I don't, I don't agree with this, and I would, I would give all the reasons why. Um, up until about a year ago, this person was totally fine with that. And even when they're friends, this person had a lot of social justice warrior type friends who were just really obnoxious and, and really hated any kind of dissenting opinions existing and would get really, really outraged and demand that this person unfriends me, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this person said back, no, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm not unfriending them. I've known him for a long time. You know, talking about me. I've known him for a long time. Uh, you know, he's actually a good person. He, uh, you just don't agree with him, but the, you, know, you don't have to agree with everybody. Uh, basically had a very good response to all that and just said, look, you know, I, I don't agree with everything he writes either, but, uh, but that's fine. He, he can disagree with us. You shouldn't get so mad, is basically what, what they told this, uh, these people who demanded that they would unfriend me. Um, this all started to change about a year ago. And I would watch as I would sometimes debate these issues back and forth that this particular person who had always been kind of sitting out and on the sidelines as these would go on, or sometimes would, would give their two cents but wouldn't, uh, would still do so respectfully, started to get more aggressive with me, would start, would, would, would like posts where people are calling me names or saying bad things to me, which they never did before. And yet when I would respond, they would never like my response. You know, they, sometimes they'd even you know, criticize me for, oh, how can you say this to this person? It's like I'd be called some, some horrible names. I'll say something back that's much more mild that insults them back, and, and I'm given the hard time for, you know, why are you acting this way? Things like that. So uh, I, I noticed as time passed, this person got more and more irrational and more and more of the belief that uh, when I'm responding to anything they post, when I'm disagreeing there, I'm just being ignorant or I'm being you know, so, you know, racist, homophobic, whatever it's going to be, whatever the issue is. Uh, that, that Whatever I'm supposedly being is justifying the people hitting me with, just, with nasty insults. And that's why it's okay, but I can't give the same insults back to them because they're just, quote, telling the truth about me and I'm just insulting them. That, that, that's the stupid logic I'm being given. Now, you may say, okay, this is just one person. This is just one person who's off the deep end here. That's not, that's not a fair way to judge uh, a lot of people on the left. Unfortunately, I'm seeing this more and more. I'm seeing this not just with individuals. I'm seeing this with a lot of different people I've known, that very reasonable people on the left who I never agreed with, but we could have a civil debate, a civil discussion, and, and everything would be fine. And even if their friends would get involved and, and bash me, they would never take part they would never join in in fact they'd even sometimes laugh uh, you know uh, privately haha that was kind of funny watching you and that person go back and forth N not anymore now now it's like it's like i just insulted their mother now if i dare say anything that strays from their talking points uh those are fighting words and these are the same people that before were very reasonable and rational uh, rational and reasonable and 
it's it was very disheartening to see. And I'm not someone, you know, I didn't, there's a lot of people who lost a lot of friends during the last election. People who uh, stopped talking to each other, unfriended each other on Facebook, longtime friends. I, I didn't have anyone like that. I actually, during the election, there was not a single person. Um, there's I, Actually, there's one person who I, I kind of knew from a long time ago was never very close to who unfriended me. But other than that person, I didn't have a single person who unfriended me and, and, and broke a relationship with me. And I, when I say a relationship, I mean like a, a friendship relationship uh, over political differences. And I, I didn't do that to anybody either. And I wouldn't do that. But now I'm, I'm even afraid in some cases to even respond to some people of what they write because I'm afraid it's going to create big rifts and they're going to be pissed off and I just don't want the, the stress of it. And, uh, um, and and those that I was responding to before that I thought could take it uh, can't anymore and, and are just uh, really nasty and, in fact, encourage their friends to say you know re- really obnoxious and insulting things to me. Not that I can't take it, but it's just surprising to watch that, the transformation. And I believe the reason for the transformation is bitterness over Donald Trump. That they there's there's they hate Donald Trump so much that anything that reminds him of Trump, meaning basically any Republicans, anyone with a right leaning viewpoints, anyone who challenges the the left leaning articles they post, uh, is automatically the enemy. The same way they see Trump. Even if I didn't vote for Trump, which I didn't, even though I'm not a big fan of Trump, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that I'm not on their side, and therefore I am the enemy. And it's starting to become where those on a certain side, especially in the left, who feel like they're they're fighting from a defensive position since they, they lost the election and they lost some other elections at the time, and they feel like they're on the defensive, and that they uh, it, it's a that puts them in, in a position to be more bitter than the ones who who are on the winning end at the moment. So yeah, are there are there obnoxious people on the right who do the same thing? Yes, but it's not as prevalent right now. And I, I think a lot of that is because of uh, which party won. But a lot of the left don't even realize they're doing it. And I pointed out to them, and they come up with every excuse they don't know they're doing it. But it's not just individuals. So, something disturbing happened on, on CNN that uh, this past week, and I, I really couldn't believe it. Donald Trump, he, he really, it's amazing what he tweets every morning. If you go take a look at Donald Trump's Twitter between like 6 and 9 a.m. every day, you're usually going to find something very entertaining and uh, funny. Uh, if, if you put aside the fact that the president of the U.S. shouldn't be tweeting things like this, but if you, if you just ignore that, <laughs> you know, like there, there are a lot of entertaining things like, wow, I can't believe he just wrote this. I can't, wow, I can't believe the president's writing this. And you know he just does it like off the cuff. He doesn't run it by anybody. He doesn't... Uh, uh, no one's writing it for him. He just he just does it. Nobody likes that he does it. That it works for him. Uh, the Republicans don't like that he does it, but he just does it. And so, one of the things he tweeted out, which I saw like like four minutes after he did it, so I was one of the first ones to see it. Uh, first ones meaning of, of people I know, uh, was that video of that, that was modified, where like a re- an old wrestling video. He, he really was in some old wrestling videos. So someone took an old wrestling video he was in and changed the person that he was body slamming to the CNN logo for the head. So it shows him, like, body slamming CNN. Now, obviously, that's just a joke, and, and he, so he just tweets that out. Like, he just wakes up in the morning and tweets that out, which is funny. Uh, and, and I'm like, you know, I, I know Donald Trump's not sit, sitting there with, uh, with, with Photoshop or some kind of animation program making these things. I know he's not making it. So I'm like, at first I'm thinking, like, where did he get this? Like, is, is he browsing Reddit to find this stuff? Like, I had no idea where he got it. I still don't really know exactly how he got it. But 
it was just funny. Like he's tweeting that out. He's tweeting out a, a, like a, a little video of himself that could also be made into a GIF of, of him body slamming CNN. It's funny to think of the president doing this. So it, it's sort of funny. <laughs> it's sort of embarrassing too. <laughs> it, it is, but it, it's also funny. So anyway, um, CNN. I was wondering how they were going to respond to this because I'll say something about CNN. There used to be all these accusations against them for years by people on the right that they were biased. They were called the Communist News Network. Uh, all these terrible things said about CNN, and yet I would read it every day. That was my main news site I would read. And believe me, I would have noticed if they were left biased. Now, they were a little left biased. I'd say they were like center-left, but they, for the most part, were pretty centrist. They were not. I agree. So I, I didn't have any issue with them being biased. I mean, the, the little bit of left bias I saw, no problem, compared to... A lot of the other biased news out there, it was pretty unbiased. That was until about a year ago. Once Donald Trump got nominated, the, the bias came out very strongly. And it was there was no question that they were very, very against Trump. And as time passed, they weren't just releasing stories that were unflattering to Trump on purpose. But, um, but they were actually the tone of the, the, the articles, the language used, sometimes even adjectives were used to describe him. Like, you know, Donald Trump went and, uh, you know, Donald Trump took, took an inappropriate action today when you don't write that as a news story. Like, a new, when you're writing news, you're not ever supposed to use descriptions, uh, you know, a- adjectives to describe the way someone's acting. You're not supposed to decide if it's inappropriate. You're supposed to just, uh, you can say that, uh, you know, certain people on the left uh, claimed it's inappropriate. You can write that. You can't write it is inappropriate as, as the person reporting the news. But I started seeing more and more of that from CNN. They weren't even trying to hide it that much anymore, that they had such open disdain for Donald Trump and were just going to write articles bashing him and put them on the, the front page, uh, front and center. And I thought, wow, this is, uh, this, I didn't expect this. They, this is, uh, they've, been, they've existed since 1980. I've never seen this out of them. Uh, by the way, I'm still hearing uh, background noise uh, here. All right. So... So I've never seen this out of them before, and I was surprised. I understand if they don't like Donald Trump, that's fine. If they, uh, but 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 they were so biased that Donald Trump's uh, claims about them, a lot of them weren't even far off because uh, they really were out to get him. They really were out to make him look bad, and not just by reporting legitimate things he did that were embarrassing or stupid. They actually went beyond that, where they, they, it wasn't enough for them that he was doing a lot that they could report that would make him look bad if they just stuck to the facts. They had to add on to it or, or editorialize in what's supposed to be news stories. I, I couldn't believe it because that was not the CNN I got to know for all these years. Uh, so it, it started getting worse and worse, and, and it just uh, around the middle of this year got to a point that uh, was even worse than I'd ever seen before. So when this gift came out, I wondered, what are they going to do about this? How are they going to react? Are they going to ignore it? Are they just going to report it? Like, how are they going to handle this? And, like, how much is this going to bother them? So I got my answer. Uh, Not only did they write an article bashing him for this, but they tracked down the guy who made this uh, little gif or video. 
And, of course, the identity of the person who made it is unimportant. I mean, maybe there's some curiosity to it, but this person didn't do anything wrong. They didn't do anything bad. They made, like, a parody wrestling video where instead of wrestling uh, another person in the the video as it originally was, uh, Donald Trump's wrestling and body slamming CNN. Okay, big deal. It's a a joke. You may say the president shouldn't be tweeting that, but there's nothing that bad about it. Some people are saying, oh, that's encouraging people to to attack the media. I I didn't take it that way. It's a joke. There's all kinds of gifts like that out on the Internet. That, uh, I don't think that's saying that, you know, it's not like he's showing someone shooting a, a person with CNN on their head and, the, and they fall down dead. This is, this is a, a showing Donald Trump himself wrestling and body slamming uh, CNN. I mean, so I, I don't even agree this is uh, something that's encouraging violence against the media. But, but even if you want to say it is, clearly the person who made it was just doing it for parody purposes. They weren't doing this to attack, to seriously attack CNN or do anything bad. They didn't do anything illegal. They just made uh, an, an amusing little video about Donald Trump f- uh, fighting with CNN. Okay, Donald Trump found it somewhere. He liked it. He sent it back out. So the only story here was Donald Trump sending that out, not, not the guy who made it, not the actual content of it. The story was that Donald Trump, the president of the U.S., sent it out. So if CNN had a little curiosity where it came from, okay, I, I, I guess. Uh, but once they found who made it, and they, they found it by scouring all the posts. They, they, they found the first instance they could find on the Internet of that video. And then they scoured all the posts from that person who went by the screen name Han Asshole Solo. So they scoured all the posts by Han Asshole Solo and found that in addition to this gift, that he, he had posted a lot of offensive things over time. He had posted uh, um, like a, a list of all these CNN employees with Jewish stars over them, saying, hmm, I wonder what they all have in common. Yeah, so that was kind of anti-Semitic. So he posted some anti-Semitic stuff, some racist stuff. He was, just, he was an Internet troll. What, I don't know if he really is anti-Semitic or racist, but, but his posts were, okay? So it turned out the guy behind that video... Uh, had posted some previously anti-Semitic and racist things. Okay, you know, b- big shocker, a guy who makes a parody gif on the, on the Internet also uh, trolled with racist and anti-Semitic things. That's, that's not a shocker. Uh, th- there's thousands of people, maybe millions of people, who, who are doing this on the Internet. And, uh, you know, every one of them doesn't need to be tracked down and exposed unless they actually really do something. So CNN put a lot of effort into scouring all this guy's posts and, and trying to come up with little bits of what he may have mentioned about himself. You know, something maybe about um, what city he was in, you know, whatever. Any little tidbit he mentions, they're able to put together and eventually were able to identify who he was from that. I know that can be done because I've done it myself. I've done it myself when, uh, um, you know, long-term trolls have harassed me and I go back and look at everything they've ever written and sometimes I do find enough clues to figure out who it really is. So it's possible that CNN did it. So they found him. Okay. So at this point when they found the guy who made this, they, they basically had two choices. They could have said, okay, this guy isn't really important. We don't really need to publicize who he is and interfere with his private life and get people on the other side harassing him, especially if we reveal about his other posts. Like Maybe we should just leave it alone. And you know, he's kind of a nobody. It wasn't, he doesn't, he's not affiliated with Trump at all. They, they were able to tell for sure that he has nothing to do with Trump. So it's just some idiot on the Internet. So their choice was either, one, realize he's just a nobody and, and don't bother identifying him, or two, say, okay, uh, we think the public deserves to know who made this thing that, that Donald Trump tweeted out, 
and, and, and the information we found about him and, and, and uh, identify him. Okay, those are the only two legitimate options. But they did not take either of those options. What they did was they sent him a message. They, they called him and they sent him an email and said, basically, uh, we know who you are. We know you're Han Asshole Solo. We've seen the other things you've written, and we want to talk to you. So, of course, he shit his pants when he got this because he knew what a sensation this, this, this gift became. He knew the country's curious who made it, and he knew that once they said who he was and exposed that he also wrote this awful, this awful stuff about Jews and, 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 and uh, the, the racist stuff he posted, that he would have a lot of people who would hate him, who might threaten him, that he might have trouble getting jobs, that you know, it's going to affect his real life. Now, I'm not saying to feel sorry for him. If you write this stuff on the Internet and you get found, then you're tough luck. But um, obviously he was very nervous about it, and CNN knew he would be. So he called them in a panic and basically begged them not to reveal who he is and, uh, and said he'll, he's going to post an apology. He, you know, he, he said, he, please don't reveal it. It's going to really harm me. Please, 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 please. So on July 4th, CNN posted... Uh, the way they celebrated the 4th of July was they posted a weird front page top story article of how we identified the person behind that video. And they explained it. And then they explained about how nervous he was when they contacted him. And he called them back and, and that uh, and then he posted an apology. And that he said he, you know, he, that he's, he's trying to encourage people now not to do this anymore, not to troll anymore, uh, to be careful what they say on the Internet, that he's done doing this. He's encouraging people to not do this anymore for themselves. And uh, so they said, uh, CNN has chosen not to identify him. However, we, we reserve the right to change this decision uh, if, if, uh, if the situation cha- – we, we, re- we reserve the right to do so if the situation changes. The situation referred to above changes, something they were like that, where they basically said, I can find the exact uh, wording they used, but they were basically saying he promised he's not going to troll on the Internet anymore. He promised he's not going to he promised he's not going to say the stuff he was saying before. So if he's a good boy and he doesn't say things on the Internet we don't like, we're going to not reveal him. But if he does, we're going to punish him and we're going to reveal it because we know he really doesn't want it being revealed. So they are tying his future speech to whether they out him or not. And I've never seen a major news organization ever do that. It's either newsworthy who he is and what he did, or it's not newsworthy who he is and what he did. There shouldn't be, we're going to identify him only if he doesn't behave in a way we want him to behave. And that's, that's what the message was, which was very disturbing to me. you have a comment here? Calwatt? Uh, I'm here. I, I hear the background. Were you going to say something? No. I was okay. just tuning in again. We had oh, okay. to take a couple of family photos, and we're going to go eat. So okay, okay. I'm actually going to going to sign off. Sorry for all the crappy quality, but I'll check out the show as I go to sleep tonight. Okay, and uh, I see uh, Trader Ruski's leaving as well. Is that true? Trader Ruski? Yeah, he messaged me he's leaving. Well, I'll trust the message. He's, he, He's got the herbal tea. He's done. Okay. All right. Well, good night to both of you, and thank you for being on the show tonight, uh, especially uh, Cal, you from, all the way from Singapore. Yeah, next next week we'll be from Japan. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, if there's a show next well, actually, no, I, I hope what happens next week, I hope I have, I'm doing a show on Wednesday from Vegas, saying I'm, I'm, uh, I have a lot of ships after day two. 
He's, that when, would be fantastic. Wednesday's an off day, so maybe that'll be what's going on. I as an in, as an investor, that's what I would. Oh, wait a minute, I'm not no, in no, that. It's I'm over. Not in that. It's one. done. No, it's just me. Oh my God. Sorry. All right, later, man. All right, later. So nobody's left, just me. Nobody's left. So the good news is the sound quality is going to improve greatly because there's no no one to have uh, background noise. Anyway, I I found that was awful. People were tweeting with a hashtag CNN blackmail because of what they wrote. And I, I don't blame them. It does seem like blackmail. It does seem like blackmail because they are putting a condition with his future behavior of nothing. We're not talking about anything illegal. We're not talking about like, uh, you know, we, we were. For, oh, oh, boy. Look at this. Another commercial I don't want. I'm trying to break up an article about this. But it's not like they said if, if he commits any crimes in the future, then we'll have to identify who he is. Right now, he's not a criminal, but if, if he commits crimes, then yes, we will say who he is and related to this. Fine. That's not what they said. They just said that they are going to post if he changes his behavior. They'll post his identity if he changes his behavior. They wrote this is specifically what they wrote. CNN is not publishing Han Asshole Solo's name because he's a private citizen who has issued an extensive statement of apology, showed his remorse by saying he's taken down all his offending posts, and because he said he's not going to repeat this ugly behavior on social media again. CNN reserves the right to publish his identity should any of that change. I mean, that's, that's crystal clear. They're saying, oh, it's a misunderstanding. We didn't really mean that. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You're very clear. You said what he did. You said what he did afterwards to mitigate it, that he, he uh, made an extensive apology. He, he, he took down all the offending posts. He said he won't do it again. He won't repeat this, quote, ugly behavior. And they said he they reserve the right to publish his identity should any of that change. Any of that meaning anything that they just listed there. The, quote, ugly behavior. The, quote, offending posts. So this is really disturbing. CNN is saying that we'll reveal your name that will really harm your life if we don't like what you write on the Internet. But if we do like it, then we'll keep it quiet. If you play ball, if you don't say things we don't want you to say anymore, then we won't reveal who you are. If you're a good little boy, we won't reveal who you are and get all kinds of people harassing you and ruining your life. We'll keep it all quiet as long as you do what we say, as long as the speech you exercise on the Internet is speech we approve of. And that's what they're saying. There should never, ever be this condition to not revealing his name. They either should reveal it because that's the right thing to do, or they should not reveal it because that's the right thing to do. And they need to decide that. But it should not be attached to a condition regarding his behavior on the Internet with how he acts out there. That's not something for a news organization to do, especially a very large one like CNN. They're not the moral police. They're not his parents. They're not his parole officer. They're not a judge. They are a major media organization, and they should act like it. They shouldn't be demanding people don't write certain things on the Internet anymore, or otherwise they're going to reveal their name. Now, 
Some have framed this in a way that CNN is just doing him a favor, that CNN could have revealed it, but chose to do something nice for him and not reveal it if he really is going to change. That maybe he's seen the error in his ways and they want to not ruin his life. Aren't they being nice, some people say. I disagree. If they're being nice, they should just not reveal it at all. It is never their business to tell them what he can do in the future. Other than not commit crimes. If they want to say we're going to withhold his identity unless he's involved in in major crime in the future, then we will mention that this is the same person that we we would have revealed back then. Fine. That's not what they're saying. They're saying CNN reserves the right to publish his identity should any of that change. Any of that meaning how he was behaving on the internet. So there's some people saying that this is technically blackmail. They quote uh, Georgia statutes, you know, like the Georgia latte, uh, regarding um, blackmail and theft by extortion, blah, blah, blah. I don't believe CNN has committed a crime by what they're doing. But because I'll tell you why it's not legal blackmail, legal blackmail, meaning legally defined blackmail, that blackmail that's legal. Because they're not demanding um, anything in return. They're not saying uh, we're going to publish your name unless you pay us $20,000. That would be blackmail. That would even be extortion. Uh, or, or blackmail would be uh, you know, something that's not extortion. Um, you, know, you better write uh, such and such a positive article about us or we're going to reveal uh, what, what we found out about you. That's also blackmail. They're just saying we're, we're not going to – they're not asking him to do anything. They're asking him to – they're saying we're just not going to reveal who you are uh, if you don't engage in behavior that, on the Internet that we think is, uh, is harmful. I don't agree with it. I think it's terrible. But that's not – that can't be legally defined as blackmail. And anyone who says it can is, is in dreamland and just wants to see CNN suffer. But – so it, it's not a – they're not committing any crime by what they're doing. But it's what I call implied blackmail. Implied blackmail means you're not really directly blackmailing someone, but you're making them very fearful of a consequence that you could easily put upon them to where it's obvious they will change their behavior based upon what you want. I gave an example when I discussed this on the forum. Let's say there was a a troll on the Internet named Mike. And let's say Mike was uh, always bashing me, always saying bad things about me, just just constantly mocking me, constantly giving me a hard time over the years, and I'm just getting so sick of it, and I wish I could stop it. And he's a poker player. Let's say Mike's a poker player. So this year I'm at the Rio, and I'm just kind of walking around, and who do I see? Mike. But he doesn't see me. And who do I see with Mike? But a woman sitting on his lap, and he's kissing her, and they're groping each other. They're kind of sitting in the corner in some room of the Rio. You know, like a public area of the Rio, but kind of sitting in the corner, and just a public display of affection, let's say. And I whip out my phone and take a video of it. Then I run upstairs to my room. And I look up Mike on Facebook. And then I look up his wife. And I see that the woman on Mike's lap was not his wife. And that Mike was cheating on his wife in Vegas with that woman sitting on his lap. So then I have a light bulb pop up over my head. 
I email this video to Mike. I say, hey, look what I have. Look what I took today. I saw you in a public area of the Rio doing this. I took this video. I know this woman's not your wife. I've considered posting this on a poker forum, but uh, even though you don't deserve it, uh, I might be nice and not do it. That's all. Have a nice night, Mike. If I did that, do you think Mike would come back out and troll me anymore? Do you think he would ever screw with me ever again if I did that? No. Mike, unless Mike didn't care about his marriage, if Mike did care about his marriage, Mike would never say another crossword about me or write another crossword about me because he'd be afraid that the, my response would be, here's this video. And then he would get back to his wife and his wife would divorce him. So Mike would stop bugging me. Mike would stop trolling me. Now, would I have committed blackmail by doing that? No, because I, I wasn't demanding anything out of Mike. I, I just sent him something and said, hey, you know, I think I might decide to be nice and not post this. And without me demanding anything, it's very clear to him what I mean by that is stop trolling me or I'm going to post this video of you cheating on your wife. You don't have to be a genius to get that would be the point of my message, yet legally I would be doing nothing wrong because I would not be asking for or demanding anything in exchange for that video not being released. Now, if I said to Mike, uh, give me 20K or I'm releasing this, then that would be a crime. That would be extortion. If I were to uh, demand something non-monetary out of him, let's say I said to Mike, you know what, Mike, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've actually always been attracted to you. Uh, go meet, meet me in the hallway, uh, of, meet me in a stairwell in the Rio on the eighth floor. And give me a blowjob. If you blow me in the eighth floor stairwell, then I will not release this. That, that would also be blackmail. And that would be a crime. I, I, would, I really wouldn't want Mike to blow me, but I'm just giving that as an example. So these would be actual blackmail that would be actionable legally if you were to report them. But uh, simply sending it to him and just implying without ever stating that I'm expecting him to stop trolling me in exchange for this uh, not being posted, but not saying so, just saying, yeah, I may be nice and not post this. We'll see. Th that would get the message through loud and clear without ever having to say it. And that's what CNN did. CNN knew that by contacting Han Asshole Solo and letting him know that not only do they know about that gift, but also the other stuff he's posting, that his goose is cooked if they ever do that. And that's what sent him into panic mode. That's why he posted an apology, which of course was not sincere. It was done out of necessity. And that's what made him rush to call them and beg them not to identify him. They knew they had him. They didn't have to make any demands. They knew that he would do it all on his own. So it really is blackmail. It's just implied blackmail. But why is CNN doing this? Isn't this weird? It's just a guy who made a, a stupid gif about them. Why are they going to such lengths? And why do this? Why actually put up an article, the front page of CNN throughout almost all of July Fourth, doing a victory lap about this and bragging about it and putting that they'll uh, that they may change their minds about this if if uh, if he changes with the way he behaves on the internet. The old CNN I knew would never have done this. But the old CNN I knew, even as recently as 13 months ago, doesn't exist anymore. 
and they really have become a highly biased and erratically acting and aggressive, and not in a good way, news organization that they've been accused of being falsely for years. They were accused by conservatives for years of being uh, left biased and unfair, and now they've become what they were accused. So, it's pretty bad. I was shocked when I saw it. When I read that article, I was shocked. I really was shocked. I couldn't believe what I was reading. I, I even scrolled up to see, well, is this like an opinion article? Is this like opinion colon? No. Does it say editorial colon? No. It just it's just just an article. <laughs> it was just an article. So, and then I had that in, incident earlier today with it with a person I've known for a long time that uh, before we could discuss things very rationally, even uh, if we didn't agree. Not anymore. And I've seen a lot of that. So, you know, I I actually read a lot of left-wing articles on the Internet. I'm not one of these people who will only click through to something if it looks like it's something I agree with. I, I will click through to things on both sides. I will close the things that look like complete crap on both sides. I'll sometimes see a horrible clickbait right-wing article and say, I'm not reading this. This sucks. This is just stupid clickbait, and I, I close it. I'll find a horrible clickbait uh, left-wing article. I'll do the same thing. But uh, as far as things worth reading, I'll, I'll read things on both sides. I'll interact with people on both sides. I'll debate with people on both sides. And I'll never hold anything against someone for holding the opposite point of view. I, it's very dangerous to start thinking anyone on the other side politically is evil. They're bad. They're heartless. They're cruel. They're racist. They're homophobic. No! You can't think that. You you have to look at them as human beings. You have to say they have their reasons for feeling this way. They feel they're right. They feel I'm wrong. They have their reasons for it. It's, it's not rooted in evil or intolerance. Or at least usually it's not. In a few cases it is with people who are legitimately not good people or, or very misguided people that grew up in an environment where they believe certain things that uh, that are wrong. But, but for the most part, people who believe a certain way politically are not believing that way because they're evil or deserving of scorn. And you have to understand that when you're debating with someone, even if you don't agree with them. And it's very sad that some people are so mad about Trump winning that they take it out on those who are not of the same political opinion as them. And the excuse is, oh, you're ignorant, oh, you're hateful, you're bigoted, whatever. But whatever, I I don't need friends like that. And... Some of these people are just from a long time ago. I have good memories of some of them, but sometimes people change and you just have to let things go, let people go who are no longer worthy of being in your life. And I I have not deleted this person. I, I don't delete people typically on Facebook, even people I don't like. Unless I'll delete someone if I think that they're just spying on my page to tell things to people who I wouldn't want to see it. You know, I, I don't want spies there. I don't want moles there. 
but I, I don't usually delete people just because I, I, I have a fight with them. And I have not deleted this person. I'm not planning to. But uh, if they delete me, so be it. I expect that will probably happen in not too long. So when will the next show be? Well, the next show will be whenever I can fit it in. The main event is on Sunday for me. And about 60% of the field tends to make it, sometimes even more. And uh, day two is the one that not as many people survive. So day one is Sunday. Day two is Tuesday for me, I believe. And I believe day three is Thursday. So I'll either fit in the next show in between days, or if I don't even make it past day one, then you'll, you'll probably hear me on Wednesday anyway. <laughs> so there's a good chance you'll hear me on Wednesday, July uh, 12th. As that, uh, it's either a day I don't play or a day I'm already out of the event. But I guess it's possible I could bust on Tuesday and then be driving on Wednesday. And then I'll probably be doing the show on Thursday. So probably Wednesday or Thursday next week, we will have the show again. Thank you to Calwatt for calling in all the way from Singapore. Trader Ruski, Scott from the East Coast, who co-hosted near the beginning and kind of mysteriously vanished. It's funny our co-host just mysteriously vanished. A lot of them just disappear. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. Like, they're just on here, and then they're just gone. I never really hear why, but I'm just happy for the time I had him. Uh, Larry Laffer was on with us for a while. The other Larry, Leaping Larry, and telling us his comeback stories in Vegas. Brandon joined us for some time. I think I mentioned Trader Ruski already. Anyway, yeah, I guess we had a lot of people on tonight. And a thank you to uh, Dizzle for giving us his report on the legalized recreational marijuana that he bought since that new law was passed on July 1st. That is all for tonight. The show has been uh, more than six hours. Well, more than six hours. Almost almost seven. Almost six and a half, not seven. Still pretty long. I will be on next week, hopefully with good news about my main event. Good night and shalom.